everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 333. 333. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my David Bix and Span and Bix. We're doing this show on a solemn note this week as um, a man who um, has been very important to the independent wrestling scene for the last 20 plus years tragically uh, passed away on uh, the day we record this show, the 13th of December. Uh, one Jimmy Rave, who um, we've both seen live and I've seen live many times. And um, of course, we've watched his career in the various incarnations of his career. And um, yeah, it's it's been a tough day today. Talk to uh, to you know follow along what's been going on on uh, social media and everybody talking about Jimmy and just all this all the stuff that he went through in the last few years of his life and um, just a sad day. Yeah, I mean you know neither neither of us knew him particularly well or anything, but we just had so many mutual friends with him, you know. Um, and from everywhere too, and I think that's something people are realizing today. You know, seeing who's memorializing him, I mean, it's feeling like basically every wrestler who worked in independent show on the East Coast in the last 20 years is chiming in. Because between Wildside and his Southern Indie resurgence and ROH and when he was based out of Philly later on and helping out at the CZW school and working all over the Northeast from there, like... And the fact that, you know, his reputation was just this guy who had this great mind, all this TV experience, knew how to mix the Southern style with the more modern style. And, like, everyone, even, you know, you know, recently, after having, you know, 75% of his limbs amputated, you know, he's still sending people, you know, advice on, you know, constantly DMing them and stuff on how to improve in wrestling. Like, this is a guy who went out of his way to help everyone everywhere he went. He's a, He was a savant, a wrestling savant. He had one of the sharpest minds in the business. And um, I was talking with uh, our dear friend Dylan Hales, who was very close to Jimmy for years there. And he, I mean, he, he told me that the three greatest minds in wrestling – that he ever knew personally was Jimmy, Daniel Maccabe, and Chris Hero. I mean, they're, they're just wrestling savants. And Jimmy was one of these guys who, you know, he, yeah, I knew of, of, of wrestlers that, you know, he would watch their stuff and he would t- talk to them and, like, just dissect their match, you know, tell them what they need to do better, you know, talk about psychology. He was big on in-ring psychology. And just the old style of getting heat and whether you're a heel or the baby face, you know, either or he could do them both great. And, um, yeah, I, you know, he had a lot of problems for a lot of years, but, you know, at least he did have that run where he had this redemption run. And, uh, I mean, he was working here pretty much on the ground floor of that, uh, in my town. And I got to see him every month for a while there. And then, he really started blowing up as 2015 went along and then, you know, scenic city invitational you know, winning that the first year and just being the guy who was holding the South down 
I mean, he became the guy in the South for a while there. And just the influence he had on so many people, you know, um, in the business. Uh, good Lord. I mean, so, so much talent. Um, like um, Adrian Armour, Chip Day, Priscilla Kelly, Gigi Dolan in, in, in uh, NXT. I mean, he, he was a major influence on her career. Um, just uh, so many others. And yeah, like I said, the incarnations, you know, the wild side run and then the ring of honor stuff, being a member of the embassy with Prince Nana and the toilet paper, his impact run. I mean, he had so many different things going on that so many people knew of him from so many different ways. And there's not many wrestlers who you could say that about that. People were turned on to him from different incarnations of him it's just crazy crazy to think that he's left us um just had his birthday last week too just a sad sad situation and um our guest this week who is a patron who requests to do this show ironically um put the hundred dollars down so he's gonna be up for the whole show with somebody who also knew jimmy fairly well as a we're joined by Joe Blair. And Joe, um, what are your memories of uh, being around Jimmy Rave? I mean, again, thanks for having me on this week. And the first thing that always comes to mind with Jimmy is it's a little memory of the first show I really went to here in town when I moved up here. Because I'm from Florida originally. Not much of a scene. But I ended up going to an NWA Chattanooga show in Saudi Daisy where the main event was Tank versus Jimmy Rave. And it was still the same guy I saw from tape, busting his ass, doing his job, you know? Mm-hmm. It's just, and I'm, and I'm this idiot in the back while everyone's, you know, booing him, screaming out embassy from the balcony, <laughs> like a goof. So... <laughs> I, and then there is the the SEI stuff because I was not there for 2015, but I was there for 2016, and just the Jimmy Rafe uh, talk at the hotel. Oh, absolutely, I was a him and Matt Riddle. They yep. wrestled that night. Mm-hmm. They had a match that night, and both of them were sitting there. And I mean, Matt Riddle, who at that time, you know, he was picking his brain right in front of us, picking all. his brain in front of us. And Matt Riddle, this is when he's ascending as. One of the the biggest names on the independent scene, and yeah, I mean he he was picking Jimmy's brain right there then and there. I mean that was well, twenty sixteen. He, he was like on this is like it was like right as he was coming up. Oh yeah, yeah. It, yeah was, the evolve run start. It all started in January, and it's really it's going by summertime. It's really going. Yeah, you know? and yeah, I mean that was that was a great day. That was a tremendous day, that whole day. That, that, that was a tremendous two days, to be honest. Yeah, I wasn't there the first day. but yeah, that, I was, and yeah. I actually dropped the tweet, the time, the date this even more. It's like, because I was in that front row. Yeah, I remember. Watching him versus Sky, uh, Skylar versus Jimmy. Yeah. Which was a great little deal. And it's like, wow. It's just... <sighs> seeing yeah, Jimmy the, rave... The, the finals was... Let's see. What was the finals? Gunner, Riddle, Jimmy, Hero. Yes. Oh my God. What a match. Yeah. And That's so, all the story. All the stories that went into that match too. I mean, and 
Gunnar Miller beating Jimmy Rave to, you know, he, I mean, Jimmy, oh. he beats Riddle, he beats Hero. That was the line. And it was, like I said, it was straight up. Like I said, that's probably still one of the best four ways I've seen live. Absolutely. Um, like I said, that entire weekend was great. It's like, in a lot of ways, that weekend alone set me on the course I'm currently on. More, probably more than anything. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. Amazing, amazing uh, deal there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, without Jimmy, who knows what the SCI is? And, I mean, yeah. without Jimmy, who knows what a lot of things right now in current independent wrestling would be? I was about to say, and I mentioned this on, I mentioned this on Twitter, Jimmy Rave is the godfather of the Southies. Of, uh, of, the, of this incarnation? Absolutely. Well, he's the guy yeah. who bridged the two eras. Yeah, it's about to say, he is the father of your style if you're in these parts. Pretty much. In a lot of ways. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, without Jimmy, there's a generation of guys who don't exist. And yeah, My trainer doesn't exist without Jimmy. In some ways. Yeah, yeah, it's... It's a domino effect, absolutely. And um, we'll be talking more about Jimmy on uh, Exile on Bad Street with uh, Jeff G. Bailey and, and Dan the Dragon Wilson, Reverend Dan, when we do that show. Um, that show will be coming out probably the first week of January because we're not going to record until the end yeah. of December because of uh, commitments and this, that, and the other. But um, the holidays are real. Yeah, we're going to uh, we're dedicating that show to Jimmy, and because uh, Jimmy's a major part of the show, mm-hmm. that's stuff we talk about. So because uh, that's that's his real big ascension and wild side in a lot of ways. So uh, yeah, we'll definitely be talking more about Jimmy on that show. So um, rest in peace, Jimmy Rave. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's get to this show, shall we? Mm-hmm. As we are going to discuss the week that was December the 15th through the 21st of 1990. And so before we get started with the show, I'd like to try to do this with our patrons that are with us on the show. Joe, why did you pick this week? Honestly, it was for two reasons. A, this is basically the heart of my wrestling childhood. Yeah. I was I'm a w I'm a WCW NWA kid. I make no bones about that. How, how old are you at this time in 1990? 1990. This would put me at eight years old. All right, so I, I would have been 11. Yeah, like Sting was my guy. I like Sid. I liked Lex. Steiners were awesome. And on top of that, my personal reason, and we'll get to it in when we get to that section. This is my show. Stargate. Stargate yeah, 90. Is the show that, if anything, cemented, this was it. So, yep. And uh, like we said last week, uh, this is going to be a heavy, heavy WCW show. But we have other things to talk about yes. before we get to WCW. And we start with the World Wrestling Federation. And not a whole lot going on, as this is still in that era where... They're taking basically two weeks off for the for the Christmas holiday, and co- they're coming back on Christmas Day more often than not. But um, yeah, this is that era. We're basically towards the end of that era, but uh, we're in that era where they're taking time off. Japan's off, so 
yeah, it's a, a lot of downtime in wrestling, but there's still this stuff that's going on. So we start with this. Andre the Giant is doubtful for the Royal Rumble because of some sort of leg injury suffered in Japan. They believe this was an outer ring injury, and with one report from Japan saying he suffered either a broken blood vessel in his leg or a blood clot in his leg while riding in a taxi in Tokyo. Um, Bixie was already having major health problems, and this one right here pretty much does it in for him. Yeah, because what was going on at the time was there was the thing where I guess he was not under contract, and he had made the decision that if Vince wasn't going to use him, he was going to try to pull a stunt to get Vince to use him, which is why he showed up on Herb Abrams TV, which is why all of a sudden he shows back up and is advertised for the Royal Rumble, and then this happens. Yeah, people forget that he did that uh, appearance on UWF television. And smart business move on Andre's part. (laughs) Yeah. As we'll talk about when we get to the, the UWF discussion in the show, I mean... Joe, if 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 you can't if you can't get uh, what you want from the the guy that's employed you for so many years, you know, make him want you. That's right. I mean, that's always been the secret, hasn't it? Make him yeah. want you. On well, top that, of that, that, you know that 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 also goes in real life with uh, um, when you're trying to hook up with uh, a guy or a girl. You know, I mean, make make them want to get with you. Yeah. <laughs> And I was about to say, also, the image of Andre in a Japanese taxi sounds tremendously <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, that has I mean, up any to taxi. Chin. Any <laughs> taxi. God. Do you yeah. find something humorous about my appearance when I am riding in this automobile? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, any taxi. I mean, for God's sake. <laughs> Because you listen to the stories of, you know, the boys will tell and shoot interviews about Andre. I mean, he always tried to find the guy with the biggest car to, to drive him around. Yeah. So, you know, taxis in, in general are not going to be those big cars. So, not uh, to mention, like it's over there, it's 1990. So, what you got? Like a Nissan? <laughs> I mean, who knows? Um, something. Yeah, it's just Daihatsu. Yeah, but still, it's just Andre in the back going, left. (laughs) I can't see around your knees, sir. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, that had to be extremely... And and that's the thing about Andre. His life was so uncomfortable in so many ways. The stuff he had to to deal with just to to do his job. Mm -hmm. You know, what a... What a bad way to live you know yeah i mean and god bless him i mean he he wasn't always a guy who was considered surly he got that way in latter years and you kind of understand why oh yeah i mean if my body was in the constant process of breakdown i'd be pissed off too yeah hell i mean just simple way to put it absolutely so but yeah, he was going to be in the Royal Rumble. Didn't happen. So there you go. All right, now let's go to Matt Watch. Titan has returned WF Challenge to WBEU Challenge 69 scheduled in Atlanta. Negotiations broke down over a time slot for Challenge on WATL 36. So Challenge will return to the kickoff spot of the Saturday Night Marathon at 8 p.m. followed by UP, LPWA, USWA, Pro Wrestling 90, Memphis, Dallas, and ICW. 
So, so wait, wait, wait. that was that was your lineup, Vix, on Saturday nights on Channel sixty nine. Well, wait, 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 though. Okay, let's parse this though the way that Steve wrote it. He says he includes as separate entities USWA, Memphis, and Dallas. Okay, so Memphis is obviously the sixty minute cutdown of the WMC show. Yes. What are the other two shows? Challenge and main event. Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, okay, that's right, because Main Event is a rerun show, so they would still be showing Dallas stuff at this point, even though there hadn't been any Dallas tapings in months. Basically, yeah, exactly. What you're saying, yeah. And Pro Wrestling 90 was basically the retitled This Week in Wrestling. Yeah, Pro Wrestling This Week, but yeah. it's it's mainly, and Pro Wrestling 90's mainly, though, um, George All-Star. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, 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 it. Joe Pettacino will do little things of this, that, and the other, but it's just mainly George All-Star Wrestling. All right. And ICW, of course, is some oldies. Yes. So, yes. Um, and we're also several weeks away from the Savoldis, their financial backer, and I guess their lawyer, maybe, sending letters to every USWA syndicated affiliate because this is around when they announced International World Class Championship Wrestling with the name change and Kevin Von Erich working at taping and stuff. And they claim that all of the syndicated TVs are in, in Kevin Von Erich's name. So you must start airing this tape. We will be sending you in uh, a few weeks. <laughs> wow. How how very strong arm from the Savoldis. <laughs> oh, gee, I wonder where that comes from. I know, right? <laughs> and then, and then of no course, they mobbed up allegedly. Allegedly, <laughs> yes. Well, Steve points out at the time too. It's like this is a bluff. There's no way this is happening because if they just cold mailed the tapes to all these stations, it would cost seven grand at least per week. Bluff my ass. This literally sounds like a shakedown. In a way, yeah. But I can see two dudes in suits showing up to lo some local dude in like Paducah going, you got to run these tapes? <laughs> also, I have to mention this now that I can look at this lineup. I am so jealous of people who lived in Atlanta at this time. <laughs> My God. Yeah, I had it every year. It was, it was assistance. <laughs> you son of a bitch. Well, because you also had other indies that had other less formal wrestling blocks, too. Well, as well as the competing more formal wrestling block that came at one point with, uh, oh, what's his face? Why am I forgetting his name? Oh, God. Uh, Randall. Randall. Yeah. Randall uh, Brown? The, yes, the guy who may or may not have faked his own kidnapping. See, uh, <laughs> Between the Sheets, episode 24. <laughs> Oh, wow. How about that? From memory, huh? That was that early? <laughs> yeah. 1989. No, but I mean, I, that was that early an episode? I thought we did that later. Yeah. Okay. Ah. Don't want my favorite stories ever mentioned on the show. Wow. That's crazy. It's crazy you remember that. All right, so I'm, I'm looking now uh, for the, our week. Mm -hmm. um, guess what's airing? On Saturday morning on Channel 36. Tell me. Wrestling Challenge. WWF Wrestling Challenge. <laughs> that could just be a mistaken listing, though. I mean, it could have been. It could have been. Yeah. That uh, happens. I'm looking now. Um, let's see here. All right, so... What, what's the date for right, Saturday? Here, here, okay, here's what it has, Bix. Um... But what's the date for the Saturday, Chris? December the 15th. Okay. 
right, so I'm looking here. Um, the Saturday late night slot has USWA Wrestling Challenge at midnight, has CWA Wrestling from 1 to one thirty. So they're still calling it CWA to distinguish it. L- from the- LPWA one thirty to 2, and an ICW from 2 to 3. Okay? Now the primetime slot, well, here's one. Well, they had a bowl game. Oh. Uh, the Poolam Weed Eater Independence Bowl. To- Woohoo! Um, as uh, Louisiana Tech faced Maryland, but NWA Pro was on at 11. All right, so let me look. Let me go back to a night when there wasn't a bowl game. Let's go December the 8th. Um, let's see how different this lineup is. Hey, there's Wrestling Challenge at 11 a.m. on uh, Channel 36 again. Uh, let's see here. All right. So, yeah, there's the USWA Challenge, CWA, LPWA. And then you have WF Challenge at 8, Pro Wrestling 90 at 9, Worldwide at 10, NWA Pro at 11. That's on December 28th. I'm pulling up the 22nd now. Let's see. All right, so the 22nd has WWF Wrestling Challenge at 8, Pro Wrestling 90 at 9, NWA Worldwide 10, NWA Pro 11. Yeah, what I just said. Yeah. I'm seeing if it, it if it's the same here. Then USWA Challenge, half hour, quote unquote, CWA. Half, That's what I said. Oh, I didn't mm-hmm. hear you say half hour. Okay. Yeah, then one one yeah, So it's the same one. Yeah. All right, but if you look at like, um, all right, so let's go into January just to get the full gist of this. All right, let me. Let me find a good date here. All right, January 19th. Uh, all right, so... Oh, here we go. Uh, Channel 5 started airing Superstars of Wrestling at 11 a.m. on uh, in January 91 on Saturdays. No more challenge on 36. Um, and the... And the yeah, I'm looking at the 26th, too, and the... Yeah, definitely a little bit of an order, because we got WWF Challenge, LPWA, what is referred to in... All right, here here we go, here we go. All right, so January 19th, 91, you got Pro Wrestling this week at midnight, USWA at 1, ICW at 2, then Wrestling Challenge at 8, LPWA at 9, Global Wrestling at 10, Global Wrestling. Well, we'll go over that in a second. And Georgia All-Star Wrestling at 11. Okay, so clearly what happened here is being that this is the Pedicino block, Pedicino is thinking, oh, I'm running my global pilot taping at the end of December. He sent, you know, he provides information to WVEU, who provides it to the newspaper, saying that what was USWA Challenge is going to be global wrestling. Mm-hmm. Wow. And, and all what, I can think to myself is, all I can get was, you know, later in life was, you know, Explosion and IWA Puerto Rico. <laughs> I'm sunshine nowhere. Like, uh, but, but basically what, what Steve has here, Bix, is the lineup that starts in January. So he obviously got that direct from Joe. No. Kid. <laughs> so, so there you go. Let me actually, uh, I want to see real quick, too, if... um. Because that's not the, the lineup that aired during the week that we're doing the show. 
I'm curious what they have for the sports channel block that I had, at least. Uh, we don't have anything for USWA Challenge. Let's see if I put in USWA. Okay, here we go. It's USWA Wrestling. Um, At least in our week, the block on Sports Channel is just USWA Challenge and AWA uh, All-Star Wrestling. Ooh, that's a lot of wrestling. Yeah. I'm, <laughs> at so different points, the block also included it, ICW. So I'm guessing this is the point where ICW is on earlier in the day on Sunday. And L did they have LPWA? I don't think so. I feel like they might have had a syndicated version of IWA too. So different parts of it jumped around, but there were times where it was like a three, four hour block on every Sunday night. But anyway, enough about Atlanta wrestling television. All right, um, let's move on to The Torch. Wayne Keller's surprise that Vincent Mansell and Dusty Rhodes leave the WF with dignity. The polka dots are gone, and Rhodes, alongside his son Dustin, have returned to the image and look as well as the interview style he had during his top years of the NWA, such as appearance on the Brother Love show this weekend. The only difference is that not every other wrestler the WF mentions Dustin in their interviews, and he comes to the ring with a different theme song. Vince loved Dusty. <laughs> and the, the Brother Love Show aired the weekend outside of our week, so that's before our week Well, because the but... torch is still uh, every other week for a few more months. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that what you said is, is, was what it was. And, mm -hmm. and think about this. I mean, Dusty's leaving to become the booker of the rival company, and he lets him leave with dignity. Yes. <laughs> Vince would not do that now. No. Not in a million years now. Well, also, I bet at the time he's also like, well, goddamn, like, I, uh, I mean, I beat him with him as the booker, so why not? Well, yeah, but I mean. You're good to do, pal. <laughs> I mean, Vince had, a, Vince had a soft spot for Dusty. So. Just like he had a soft spot for Flair. Mm hmm. Yeah. And yet, yeah, Dusty would. I mean, Dusty got rid of the polka dots. He went back to wearing that. Uh, the hat that he used to wear in at the end of the NWA. Sad jacket? No, 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 no. The uh, poncho. Oh, yeah. yeah the, the poncho, poncho with and... the top hat with the bone in it. That's right. Yes. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's what he was wearing. I'm thinking even later, because coming right uh, like in, around January, he's actually sat in jacket dusty for a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. But, yeah. He's wearing the satin jacket in the Dustin angle, isn't he? Yeah. It's just the thing is. It, it, <laughs> It's this hard on the newsletters had for Dusty. Well, as we talked about a zillion times. And Dustin, as a result. Yeah, it's just crazy. Because shit rolls downhill. It's just insane. And we're going to get to some results here that are amazing, too, in the context of everything, though, as far as Dusty's dignity. Oh, yeah. In a few minutes, but we're not quite there yet. But We're almost there. Yeah. All right, it, appear it appears that the deal where Red Bastine was going to join the Titan front office is now on hold. Oh, I, gee, I wonder who tried to get him that job. It's not like well, his former Red... tag team partner works in the office or anything. Well, well, Red Bastine was with them in 84. I mean, he was mm -hmm. with them off and on for a he while. At point, yes. As a local say, promoter? He was working as office. As an agent? Say, uh... Yes. Oh, so that's why he's on TNT when he when he when they're doing the legends he, interviews. He announces what announces with Monsoon. He works as a referee at times. Yeah, he, he, as I say, he wasn't he key to the LA TV for a little bit. At, uh, he had a part in that. Yes, 
Yeah. Probably. He was like local, local promoter in California, if I'm not mistaken. I'm guessing it went to him after LaBelle got aced out. Yes. Because originally it was a Vince LaBelle partnership. And then it wasn't, and yeah. well, Red 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 was doing Bay Area at first. Ah. Then he got so then he got SoCal when LaBelle got aced. Okay, and I'm yeah looking through results and stuff. On the Met Center debut, he's the special referee of Man Dog Vashon's debut. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's see anything else on here. He announces the Meadowlands show that had Hogan and Andre against Bundy, no, Bundy, uh, Hogan and Andre against uh, Adonis Murdoch and Stud, he announces with Gorilla. He's the color guy on that show? Mm-hmm. I have no memory of that, and I'm sure I've seen that match at least a few times because of the best WWF Volume 1. Um, mm-hmm. I gotta get that back. He works Philly as a guest referee for Piper Snuka in July, yeah. which I, I've see, definitely seen that show, and I don't remember that. Um, yeah, I missed, yeah, July Meadowlands, and that's it, at least as far as his name coming up in results, but yeah, he's also on, he has one of those TNT Legend interviews, although not all of those guys work there, because they have Fez on, but still, I gotta think, though, that Billy Redlines is part of this. Yeah, of course. I mean, I mean well, Pat. Well, you know, because <laughs> Pat so, worked with him a lot in San Francisco and AWA. Yeah, so there's a, a lot, a lot that, that that a lot of connections there. So I just need need to get a copy of uh, Best of WWE Volume One now. <laughs> Anything yeah. involving the words Murdoch, Adonis, and Stud is like okay, I'm there. I forget yeah, the best of the WWF on the network. I think that one is. I'm pretty sure that one is. Oh, isn't it like they have all of them up except for Around the World? Or am I thinking of I think, what went on Classics on Demand? Yeah, I think yeah, I think it's on. Yeah, I think everything but that one's on there. Well, also, if it's not on there, there's a certain Coliseum video collection on a certain internet archive that should have it as well. I would it's, think. It's the thing. I was about saying, worst case scenario, I can go to a certain stall at my local flea market. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right, Jacques Rougeau is returning with a Canadian mounted policeman gimmick. A Canadian covers U.S. Cup view with Boss Man, maybe? They sure are just for gimmicks. Although Jacques has always had one of the better smart-ass heel personas, and he could be a good wrestler. But you know how that goes in the WF. Well, in the second part, he's right, because boy, does Jacques slack off in the ring in this run. We'll, we'll hold off on our Jacques discussion, because we have the video coming up. In yeah. Minutes. yeah. All right, so let's go to the results for house shows. December 15th in Philadelphia at Spectrum. Drew six thousand and twelve in an eighty-eight thousand four hundred seventy-two dollar gate Ugh. as yeah. Saba, Saba Simba. Tony Atlas pinned Bob Bradley. Shane Douglas pinned Black Bart. What was billed as a wrestling match between the Warlord and Dave Boy Smith turned into an arm wrestling match <laughs> with Davey winning. Warlord turned over the table on him. Based on reports of the Warlord Day matches, it's better just to watch the bar wrestle. Our foundation over power and glory. Bossman over Bobby Heenan in 15 seconds. Sarge over Duggan in a horrendous match. Piper missed the perfect by count out. Best match on the show. And Warrior over Savage, Savage Fair. All right. So being as we have an exact attendance in gate here, tell me, Dave, Dave tell us that you called the commission without telling us you called the commission. <laughs> for well, I mean, well, well, in this era, he often just calls the arenas, too. So. Well, as we've seen, 
That I mean, some of these numbers that he gets is not always the case. Oh, no, no, no. But I'm talking about something like this where it's an exact figure. It's not an estimate. Well, not so fast. Oh, you found stuff where the newspaper what, is claiming a different seemingly exact number? Yes. Well, how do you know that's, that's not a worked number from the promotion, though, in some cases? It's in state athletic commissions. Oh, it's specifically yeah. – oh, it's only in commission states. That's so why I tell you, I always go to Jersey and Pennsylvania, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Always gotcha. get the, They always have the real numbers. Okay. Even though they – commissions are a work. Yeah, but they always have those real numbers. Hell, Scranton – that's one of my favorites to look for is old Scranton results because they have the actual gate down to the Ooh. dollar. So, uh, yeah. Yes. Now, do you want to save the business discussion for after we get through all three sets of results here? Well, just say just do the results discussion as we get through the results. Yeah. Okay. Montreal, the forum drew nine thousand as a Shawn Michaels pin smash at demolition. Dino Bravo over tugboat by countout. Virgil over Dusty Rose in less than a minute. Dignity. Yep. Jake Roberts over Rip Martell by DQ. Teddy Biasi over Kerry Van Eric. Legion of Doom over Orient Express and Mr. Fuji. Handicap match. Snuka over Haku. Says Baku. And Hulk Hogan over Earthquake. Then the metal oh, band. What? I just it was like, of course Dino had to go over Tugboat in Montreal. Of course. Oh, na- naturally. Yeah. Um, Lands, East Rutherford on uh, the 16th century, 7,700. As Shane Douglas beat Black Bart, star and a half. Bossman over Bobby Heenan in 10 seconds. Dud. Sardis Slaughter over Dusty Rhodes. Dud. LOD over Orange Express Fuji. Three stars. <laughs> Jake over Rip Martell by DQ. Two and a half stars. Saba Simba over Bob Bradley. Three quarters of a star. Warlord double cut up with Davey. Dud. Hearts and the Bushwhackers over Power and Glory and Rhythm and Blues. Star and three quarters. Hmm. All right, Joe, any thoughts on the results here that we just read? Like I said, besides, you know, Dino being like, I'm sorry, brother, that don't work for me to tugboat. Um, It's just like looking at these now, it's like the names alone in combination. It sounds wild if you didn't weren't there. Yeah, it's like Black Bart getting any kind of run in any company that's not Texas. On Texas, well, he was he was in that what I call preferred jobber role. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you had him, and Pez Watley, and Scott Casey, and Tim Horner, Dusty Wolf. What even they're higher on a higher stage than Dusty Wolf is. Dusty Wolf's a TV oh. guy. I mean, these guys are you know yeah. Dusty Wolf's an extra just when they're flying in sometimes. Yeah, oh. these guys are d- the des- are job designated job guys on house shows. Oh, and it's like Scott Casey said and Tim Horner said too. Hey, I mean, we could have worked in, on the you know indie scene and oh yeah, you know, been in, on higher up on the cards, but we got paid good money. I know. I'm not never going to shade a dude's hustle. Yeah, I mean, they got paid good money. They didn't, have, they didn't have they didn't have you know hard real hard matches. Oh, like I said, won't shade the hustle. I do have or want to see this LOD Orient Express Fuji three star match now though. Well, I'm pretty sure a lot of that was you know Pat Tanak, uh you know bumping all over the place for. Oh home. yeah, he pinballed. So that's probably what a good bit of that was. Yeah, but, yeah. There's a time in WF this in the 1990 because we're about to get in 1991, which is a. Big transitional year for WF. And oh, yeah. 
this this is like that last stage of that era, you know yeah. the 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 middle Hogan era. You know? I was about to say it's the last stage of what it, I could almost comfortably call the tail end rock and wrestling, where you can still see all the traces. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I like the you know eighty four to eighty eight. I, I mean, basically, like from Russ from Hogan winning the title from Sheik to WrestleMania four. Mm-hmm. And then you go WrestleMania four to I'd say seven WrestleMania seven, and I mean, and, and then you could you know go dissect the other parts because nineties gets kind of tough as it goes along because there's a lot yeah. of change, a lot of changes. Oh but, yeah, you know, it, a lot of WF is still the same. You know, that, I was about to say that, half that, of the people on this list are gone after January ninety one. 88, 89, and 90, there's a lot of similarities going on, yeah. you know, with how everything's presented, too, so. Yeah. yeah. And also, 90, they recover a bit of 91 before things start dropping off again in 92. 90 is the first year where business really, really goes down, though, at least on the house yeah. shows. I was about to say, 6,000 and change in Philadelphia. Yeesh. Yeah, I mean, they had problems, though, for years before. I mean, they had their problems. I also, mean, that hell of a drive on that double shot, too. Oh, well, I mean, yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of those. Yeah, All right. Um, uh, well, also, too, on the attendance talk, so there's no, like, I don't know if, actually, this is ju- actually, wait, I was going to say, I thought it was monthly, but it's weekly. But just, I'm going to mention this, even though it's just before our week, it came out on December 10th, um, that issue of amusement business, which, I mean, effectively, it's the issue for our week, I guess, um, has a whole article about how the arena industry is cutting back on expenses to save money and get ready for recession. Be- I mean, because one was, if not already there, on the way, it seemed like. Yeah. And it came up in my search, because they, they don't quote him, but they talk to Ed Cohen from WWF and it says uh, World Wrestling Federation which takes its events to facilities around the country is minimizing the effects of the recession by playing with booking patterns said Ed Cohen, Vice President of Arena Booking so they're aware of it, they're conscious of it and what they are at least saying publicly is they're going to change up the schedule in which they book different buildings and stuff like that I guess yeah in a couple of years, they just say, hey, are you a high school in the Northeast? <laughs> Let's do a TV well, show. That's, <laughs> well, that's later. Let's, let's, you know, a few years later, but yeah. Let's get all the kids together and pro production on. Yeah. I mean, it's right, next... early 94. That's only a little over three years later. So Yeah. That's, well, that's still three years. It's a long time in wrestling. Well, a lot changed, right. yes. Nasty Boys coming in. Their first program in January will be with the Bushwhackers. Which, I think they work some house shows. I don't think that even hits TV, does it? No, it's not a TV feud. No, uh, no but it sounds like a hoot. Very oh, under- <laughs> hoot and a half, yes. Very underrated WCW Everybody thing, by the way, is not even bothering to sign them to a contract. After that killer of a match at Halloween Havoc 90. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Well, this is what happens when you're when you're going through the change you're going through, which we'll talk about later on. So. Oh yeah. Well, also, you know what though? 
between money and other factors, including quality of life, which I'll get to in a second, like, they absolutely made the right choice, too, because while they are much better in the ring before the WWF run, it's as these big bumping heels, and they did not need to do all of that in the WWF. No. Strangely enough, though, quality of opponent does go up during that change. Because you're working nightly for a while there with Heart Foundation. And you can't get any better on working with Brett and Anvil at that point. Yeah. And they're working with the uh, Row Warriors eventually. Yeah. And, you know, different teams. The Rockers. Oh, yeah. All right. Crush, a demolition, has been out of action for the past two weeks with a bad back. Supposed to be back when they return from break on December the 26th. So there's that. So when, when right. did the break start when they were doing their Christmas break? December 16th. So they took 10 days. Okay. Which, is it, or is it weird that they gave the wrestlers more of a Christmas break then than they do now? Well, then it wasn't late stage capitalism, David. Oh. Well, they didn't have a weekly. No, they didn't have a live TV. On the night primetime television show either. So yes. there's that. No, I mean, they have primetime wrestling, but that don't count. All right, um, so let's go to clips. We talked about the Mountie earlier, and they're playing his vignette. So here's a vignette of the Mountie from the December 15th episode of Superstars. This is the first one, or? It's either the first or second. Okay. Officer, officer, I'm lost. I'm looking for the United States. Officer, (laughs) I'm not an officer. I'm the Mountie. Well, Mr. Mountie, I'm looking for the United States. Which way do I go to get to the U.S.? I'm not a tour guide. I'm the Mountie. But as a Mountie, I do know something that all Mounties know. Let me show you. This end of my horse points to Canada. Come on. (laughs) And this end of my horse points to the States. Even if you're an American, the Mountie always gets his man. God bless you, Jacques Rougeau. <laughs> uh, he's a, he's fantastic in this gimmick, but Bix was right earlier. His his uh, work rate suffered. Yeah, he became a nerveful guy, but the character work was still on point the entire time. And then, though, when he takes his break again and finds Carl Willett, he gets a lot better again. Yeah. And he marries the two, basically. But I, I think part of that, too, is, got, you know, part of that is, you know, he's in a tag team and it's not gimmick heavy. Like, it, it, yeah. they weren't gimmick heavy. He wasn't, you know, with the hat and the glasses. Like stick. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they weren't. But, well, and yeah. the song. Was can't was there, but then and, and it's Johnny Polo, not Jimmy Hart, so it's it's a different. Yes, and also by the way, on this wrestling with Paul video, the next clip is a promo the Bushwhackers are cutting with the Gobbledygooker, which we're not they, playing. Man. Which they look like they may eat the poor man. <laughs> is this not from our week? I taken. It is, but I'm not. It's nothing to play. So why we don't get any. <laughs> No. I don't want no girl. No, but what is in our week is The Undertaker made his singles debut on Superstars on December the 15th. So let's watch a little bit of that, shall we? And listen to Howard Finkel 
and what he says and what the announcers in post do not say. And his opponent, coming down the aisle, managed by Brother Love from Death Valley, weighing 328 pounds, King the Undertaker. Where did they dig this guy up from? I'll tell you what, he really gives you the creeps, this man. Now, Chris, what does his graphic say? The Undertaker. So for those who don't know, here's how things happened here. He debuts at the taping, which is, what, the weekend before Survivor Series? Mm, Yeah. It's either the weekend before or the weekend before that. At the taping, obviously, that we're seeing here, he is announced as Kane the Undertaker. So then on the first TV that even, but even though he's never announced as Kane, the Undertaker at Survivor Series, he's just the Undertaker. This was taped on November 19th in Rochester. And Survivor Series was when? Uh, the Thursday after. So this is a month, this is a month before it aired, basically. Yeah. Survivor Series, let's see, let's, I'll look at that. Wednesday, right? This This is the first one on Thanksgiving Eve. Um, so let me see how that plays out. Uh, Survivor Series would have been on November the 22nd. Okay. Yeah, so that works. It's on Thanksgiving night. Oh, so this is the last one on Thanksgiving night? Yes, Thanksgiving night. So 91 is the first one on Thanksgiving Eve. This was a a Monday taping. Interesting. Uh, Okay, that explains that then. But anyway, so at the pay-per-view, he's just The Undertaker. Then the weekend on TV, Okerlin's update wraparound, excuse me, had been taped before the pay-per-view, who knows when, and he refers to him as Kane while throwing to the pay-per-view clips where he's not referred to as Kane, and then three weeks later, which also interesting that they held his TV debut back so many weeks, um, we have... Finkel calling him Kane and the commentators not because they had made the decision three and a half weeks ago at least to not call him Kane. Anyway, back to the clip. An unbelievable impression he made at Survivor Series. His first appearance on Superstars. Is is this man going to be in the Royal Rumble? Yes, sir. Along with Andre the Giant. Is he already signed in the Royal Rumble? The model Rick Martel will be there. Honky Tonk Man will be there. All, all 30 wrestlers have been signed now, Roddy, but I don't see your name on there at all. Honker, what, what are you going to do against this fellow here? That's what, a good question. The, I mean, it's every dog face for himself in the Royal Rumble. There ain't no friends. You ain't going to have nobody there to back you up. Roddy, please. I'm sorry. Just slow down. Okay, but nonetheless, don't beg the question, Honky. It's a very good one. How do you compete? Against a man, oh, about 6'10", I guess he is, well over that 300-pound mark, and is agile and has the gifts that this man has. How do you compete with him? A, a little song and dance routine, Vince. Oh, I, I know you wouldn't do anything about that. We spoke with The Undertaker earlier on with Brother Love. Oh, my! Behold, brothers and sisters! Behold, for the end is near! The tombstone is on the way! And the epitaph... Always reads the same. Here lies another opponent of King the Undertaker. <laughs> the Undertaker, 
Well, he's staying there. Complete <laughs> control as he has been from the outset of this matchup against Mancini. And Brother Love is a manager. What kind of a manager, Hot Rod, is Brother Love going to make? A lousy one. Thank heavens he's got something to work with. Look at this. Look at this. Walk in the top rope, Roddy. Walk in the top rope. At 300 plus pounds. That's amazing. The Undertaker with Mancini has him back up into the air. What is this? I think this is the tombstone. Oh, Jesus Christ. Reverse pile drop. Still better than Coco. Get away. Look at that man's eyes. He needs to get some sleep that time. Here is your winner, King the Undertaker. He's awesome. The Undertaker, victorious. I guess Hockey Talk, you could even say that the Undertaker is deadly. Okay, so a few things here. Too. So I believe this is his. Because wait, did they tape? They tape superstars in the nineteenth. You said so this is his actual debut in the gimmick, and he did not do any dark matches in the gimmick. Is but it? it's not his television debut because his first TV match was the previous Sunday's challenge. <laughs> Even though that yes. was taped the next day. Yes. This is the Undertaker debut. Yes, this is, this is his Mancini first actual still got match. Off light. Say that again. Yeah. It said Mancini still got off light on that one. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, I forget who it was that tweeted that compilation of early Undertaker tombstones a week or two back. Oh God. I can. Oh wait, I can find it because what was it? I think I quote tweeted it by saying this is a video of murders. <laughs> he okay. He just killed dudes with it. He had... Okay, so is it that he has no idea how to protect them? Because it's not like it was a common move then. It existed, but it was not common. Or is it... And I'm only bringing this up because a lot of people did in replies. Is this him freaking out about potentially having a dude's crotch in his face so he's doing it over the shoulder and not able to protect people properly that way. I don't know. I mean, it's probably a little from column A, a little from column B. I don't know. I just maybe just felt like he wanted to do it differently. I don't know. Yeah. I was supposed to say, he still got a flyer in Coco. Yeah. yeah. Coco got, got stuffed. And he eventually gets better at it, but he doesn't switch to the traditional tombstone until he comes back at SummerSlam 94. I think he was. I think they were probably. Sh- they probably showed him Morocco tapes. There you go. Yeah, because Morocco was over the shoulder. Oh, it was uh, Grapple Clips with a K that had tweeted it. Yeah, I think Morocco. They, they probably showed Morocco tapes. That's where he learned it from. I guess so, because he was the person who had previously used it with the most regularity in the WWF. Bulldogs had yeah. used it, both of them some, but. Yeah, but they were very much traditional straight down the middle with theirs. Yeah. yeah. At least this time he... Go ahead. I was going to say, at least this time, though, he had the dude's leg, the head, somewhat protected. Because, like I said, he basically hit, for all intents and purposes, like a Tenzon on Coco. Yeah. Oh, God, that's still gross. (laughs) Yeah. But the big... um, thing that happened during our week in WF happened on Superstars as Mr. Perfect got a shot, a rematch at the uh, Intercontinental Championship held by the Texas Tornado. 
So let's go to that, shall we? Actually, real quick, um, just because I forgot to mention this, the one other Kane the Undertaker thing. Mm-hmm. It was actually so the update was actually not the following weekend. It was the weekend after that. What they aired the weekend after the you know the Saturday after Survivor Series was the announcers talking about how the Brother Love show was gone because now he was going to exclusively be the manor, manager of Kane. Just Kane. No Undertaker. So, another layer to that too, but yes, let's go to uh, what I'm sure will not be a title switch here. Oh, we're not playing the DiBiase thing before the match? No. Okay. So for those who don't know, DiBiase is at ringside because he had bought his way into being guest ring announcer, right? Yeah, and and if you're wondering why these three clips from the same show all have different audio, it's because they're all from different videos. (laughs) So The Undertaker was from WWE's direct YouTube. Yes. For somehow, somehow, some way... Wrestling with Paul did not have this on his December video, <laughs> and um, this was this only video of this I could find on YouTube. So, well, also the wrestling with Paul stuff often has comes from various different sources as well. Yeah, but this is only yeah. only thing we have of this. What can you, you do? Yeah, yeah, because well, wait, does this, the network doesn't have prime time from ninety, right? No, no, so it would, yeah, so it's, that wouldn't have any version of this. Joe last week, he didn't do nothing except help a poor kid in trouble. Come on, Tornado, turn around and give it to him. Texas Tornado, big laugh, yeah, things are real funny around here. The championship's on the line, and the Texas Tornado giving it his all, as is Mr. Perfect at the moment. Put him away. Mr. Perfect now with Texas Tornado. Yankee with a handful of hair, no reversal again. The most telegraph rough bump I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Yeah. That was my. Thank you. 
Well, Jim, you can't send them to a medical facility yet because Jim Ross isn't there yet. <laughs> no. That whole tornado IC title run was weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you obviously you give the title to the replacement at SummerSlam. You have to do that. You know, although obviously it's different from two years earlier, which how weird is it too? First SummerSlam, the biggest thing on the show is that they did a work injury with Brutus Beefcake to set up the Honky Tonk Man open challenge to lose the Intercontinental belt to Brutus. Mm -hmm. Second SummerSlam, he's in the main event. Third SummerSlam, supposed to be his big moment. He gets legit injured from the parasailing accident, nearly killed. Mm -hmm. And Warrior's best friend who just signed is the replacement who wins the title. The cursed existence of Brutus Beefcake. Yeah. I mean, all things considered, he got lucky. But, you know, relative to being in that accident. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, of course you give the belt to carry there. You you want to have that moment, even if it's not a second replacement or a you know super late replacement, because they had a you know they had a cycle of TV with him replacing Beefcake or more, I think actually. But then they just didn't do anything with him as champion. Which between that and based on how he looks here, I suspect is them realizing just how deep his issues are at this time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he got the team of Warrior and the LOD at, at, at different you know, p- points. He was he was in the midst, but he didn't have a, a, a proper feud, and then they were starting a feud with DiBiase, and then they take the title off of him. So, yeah, and it, never it, have a feud with DiBiase. Well, they do a house show. They do the house show run. They do have a mini feud. Yeah. But that's it, a mini feud. So, actually, wait a second. I just realized something. So this was taped on the fifteenth, right? Taped on the nineteenth. Excuse me, nineteenth. Sorry, this aired on the fifteenth. Sorry. So this is taped on November nineteenth, and what city is that? Rochester. And as I'm looking through the results here, let me say something real quick as I'm trying to figure out the exact date I'm looking for. Okay, at the previous cycle of tapings in Fort Wayne, I guess it is, when he when Carrie's riding with Brett and tells Brett, I I have planned to join my brothers in heaven, I just don't know when I'm doing it yet. So, yeah, he was deep into his issues. Yeah. I'm sad. All right, let's close out with this note. Heavy rumors within the bodybuilding world of Vincent Man trying to sign Lou Ferrigno, who played the Incredible Hulk for his muscle federation. Joe Weider, or at least those close with Joe Weider, are spreading the story that while Vincent Man is getting into the business, that what happens if he loses money, he may quickly lose interest and drop it. And they're saying that's what happened with Vince and Roller Derby and in Everyone Anywhere. What? The threats are that anyone can jump to McMahon, but if he doesn't make it, there's no jumping back, which is, of course, more of a scare tactic than reality. Bodybuilders don't know whether this is this is so or not. In fact, Dave never even heard of it. But apparently at one point around 1985, David Lipschultz, who had a role during promotion in this area and has helped tighten on their barrier shows during the gimmick table, timekeeper, etc., met with Vince. 
They set them up with USA Network executives, and they worked out a deal where McMahon would put money in and be involved. But McMahon did lose interest and never materialized. The difference is McMahon may have considered roller derby, but it was never any major thing to him, whereas bodybuilding is. That's his hobby and his thing, and he's certainly not going to give up without a fight. Hmm. Which hmm. we know what happens here. <laughs> yes, he, he, he gives it some time, although... He doesn't really try to do anything much with it for the first year plus. You know, it's the one competition which isn't even on pay-per-view. It's just a home video. You know, the bigger push really comes in 92 with Body Stars, with the pay-per-view, with Ico Pro, And it's all a massive failure. And for it now. Yeah. I was about to say, it's like, the biggest thing I'm just considering right here is just... What would Mc, Vince McMahon's roller derby look like? <laughs> it would look like roller games, probably. But he would actually have gators. <laughs> I mean, well, come on, really? pal, you could do it. You just what, what, stop. what is significant about 1985 and roller derby, though? ESPN. They're on ESPN. Uh, is that when Vince tried? Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah, 85. Okay, huh. He saw those L.A. Thunderbird shows and was like, I gotta get on this. Yeah, and Roller Derby had kind of got hot again, you know, being on that show, being on that block on ESPN, so... Well, yeah, and cause... also, according to that Electronic Media article from Spring 85 about the WWF-TBS split, WWF was negotiating with ESPN. Hmm. And it's... But... I was about to say, ESPN ran roller derby for a while. Yeah. yeah. Because it was, the block was roller derby and usually like USWA, Global, something of that nature together. Well, AWA at first. Yeah, but about four o'clock in the afternoon. And then they, well, no, this is, no, this is nighttime. This was, um, oh, no, I got the afternoon when I really. See, you're, 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 yeah. A couple years, remember, so. Yeah, so and when this started in 85. Yeah. But you would have been how old in 85? Three. Three. Yeah. So you had the roller derby, you had AWA, and then you had like um, drag racing and all that stuff going on in the same block. Yeah. So tractor pulls. Tractor pulls, stuff like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. And around the time we're talking about here, there was some kind of cheap roller derby type show on Sports Channel America as well that I think might have aired after the wrestling on Monday nights. Especially, it could have been the LA T-Birds, because they syndicated pretty heavily. I don't think it was anything like that. It no. definitely looked kind of boot-like compared to roller games and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, real quick before we close out the section, just because I forgot to mention this earlier, and you know, there's not a week to peg it to, so might as well mention it here. The December issue of the toy industry uh, publication Playthings gives the top-selling toys of the year, based mm-hmm. on... Uh, a survey of buyers representing over 10,000 retail stores, such as K&K Toys, Affiliate Associate Drug Stores, and Target Stores. What do you, where do you think the then brand new and also only out since the summer WWF Hasbro line places in the top selling toys of the year? Hmm. Chris? No idea. Probably number five, if I had to guess. Number three behind Playmates Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Mattel's Barbie. Oh, yeah. 
Where was G.I. Joe on that list, or was he even on the list? G.I. Joe was ninth. Oh, okay. Your top ten from one to ten is Ninja Turtles, Barbie, WWF, Hasbro, New Kids on the Block, the Nintendo Game Boy, where I believe this is by dollars generated, not units sold, Uh, My Pretty Ballerina from Tyco, the Super Mario Brothers 3 cartridge, Tenor Batman Toys, G.I. Joe from Hasbro, well, G.I. Joe, Real American Hero. And number 10, the, I guess the hot new board game, Milton Bradley's Scattergories. <laughs> Which and, soon became the bane of every party your parents ever threw. Yes, and uh, everything but Turtles, Barbie, and G.I. Joe was new to the list. And your uh, honorable mentions include Magic Nursery Dolls, Monopoly Jr., Go Go My Walking Pup, Victorian Dollhouse, Magna Doodle, the Atari Lynx, which again, revenue generated, not units yeah. old, Golden yeah. Activity Books, Quince from Tyco, Koosh Ball, and Turbo Football from Nerf. God bless that Nerf football. Fun times. All right, let's go to a very truncated international section now. And we'll begin with Tokyo Sports as they have their awards going on. And Atsushi Onita was named Wrestler of the Year by Tokyo Sports. And a big surprise. While the Onita Tarzan Goto Barbara match was named Match of the Year. Keiichi Muto Masiro Chono was named Tag Team of the Year. Vader versus Stan Hansen at Tokyo Dome was named Foreign Match of the Year. Mitsuru Masan was named Most Outstanding Wrestler. Onita won a lot of brownie points besides for making a success out of promotion with little talent. And issues the Tennessee style promotion to Japan, but also for dropping the Jose Gonzalez angle because of pressure from the press. So thank you for listening to us. That's what it seems like Dave's implying here. So Onita worked the refs. Good for Onita. I mean, yeah, FMW had a had a great year that year, but to me, shouldn't Mr. Hamasawa be wrestling the year nineteen ninety in Japan? Well, so also, because the indie revolution is really not going yet, I'm guessing the politics of spreading the awards around a lot are not really there yet, right? No, obviously not. So... And Onita Goto won over Masawa Jumbo? I mean, it's it's some uh, interesting stuff. Well, not just Masawa Jumbo, like Ursano. Yeah, but Masawa Jumbo seemed like the obvious pick. It is, but... I would say Liger Sano is probably the next most obvious. I mean, get. is there another big old Japan match in '90 that would be like obvious? And that yeah, the other Masawa Jumbo match. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, but for pure spectacle, I mean, well, and also meant, meant. none of the interpromotional matches. Yeah, which are the type yeah. of thing that you would expect to maybe win an award, even if it didn't necessarily deserve it. Also, uh, how was the relationship between Super World Sports and the magazines early on? Because I don't think it was great. Well, they, I mean, Super World Sports 1990 is not a whole lot of anything, really, so to speak. Right. It's only like, yeah, and they have that reputation as money wrestling. Yeah, they have a 91, they have more stuff going on in 90. But um, no UWF awards either, even though they ran most of the year. Well, again, this is all political stuff, and they're dead, as we're about to get into Well, so. yes. Um, and I was about to say, in Fader Hansen is the eye match, correct? 
Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, the, they have a rematch, I think, on a smaller show. But yeah, and then another rematch that goes nowhere in Phoenix. Yeah, this is the match. Yes, so. and also the whole Tennessee style promotion thing. For those of you who've never seen earlier FMW, yes, and you know this this last some with the street quote unquote street fight main events, mm-hmm. but for the first like. Well, especially once the karate influence is lesser. First year, year and a half of FMW, the main events are all Memphis style brawls. There's a well, yeah. I mean, it's all. uh, I mean, you could point to Memphis, but where did they work before they went to Memphis? There was in Fuji's previous territory. Yeah. Well, no, it should be both. But the style of brawling in the main events is more Memphis than Puerto Rico. I was about to say, there's a reason why there's now shirts out there of Anita saying Tennessee is the home of hardcore wrestling. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Memphis, you know, stuff influenced them too, but Puerto Rico was there. They were there first. Oh, yeah. So, there but is, Puerto Rico and Memphis kind of merge in a lot of ways. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of similarities there. but I mean, you get but, Eric Embry everywhere at some point. No, but basically, yeah, I mean, it, it's him listening to them yeah. about Jose Gonzalez. It's pol- It's all politics. That's oh, what yeah. all these magazines award. Now, well, so here's something else before we move on with that, too. Do they know that the angle was entirely Onita and that Gonzalez wasn't even in on it? <laughs> Who knows as what they know? As far as the stabbing part. Gonzalez knew he was working a program with Onita, but the... And we talked about this once or twice before. What actually happened is they shoot the photos of the attack in Puerto Rico. Gonzalez leaves. And then Onita starts trying to gig his stomach and make it look like he's been stabbed after Gonzalez left. Asushi Onita, everyone. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's go to all Japan pro wrestling. Of course, off tour. But we have a news bite. Johnny and Frankie Favorite will debut for all Japan in January's tag team. Replacing the Nasty Boys who canceled the tour because they're deaf now. They are two protégés of Larry Sharp that work in Jersey. Frankie is Glenn Roof who wrestles as the Spider and has a ton of potential. How many weeks of Glenn Roof talk have we now had? <laughs> and, My uh, God. They actually do work the tour. So who is Johnny Favorite? Johnny Favorite, not Chaz Warrington, who I don't think is wrestling yet. It's Mike no, Kari, who yeah, John, yeah, Chaz is not wrestling. Yeah. What was, did he, It just says Mike Picari, also known as Johnny Favorite. There you um, go. And aside from... Aside from the All Japan results, we have WWF TV jobs, and that's it. So there you go. I don't know how long he was around. One of his WWF TV jobs... Okay, so jobs... Well, there were a few. He teams with... In one, he teams with Mike Durham, Johnny Grunge. He also teams with Ross Lindsay on a Wheeling, West Virginia tape. Ross R. Yes. That's a bit of a weird one. I guess yeah. he wasn't that much of a favorite then. No. And obviously they don't make TV at all or else this would be more familiar. But yes. here's what's particularly interesting about this, though. Chris, who is Larry Sharp expecting to be his meal ticket around this time? In 1991? Like in this period, like 1990. 90, 1991. Um... 
pit bulls. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pit bulls, who at the time are working as the pit bulldogs or the American bulldogs, where the whole idea was to get them into Japan to feud with the British bulldogs. You know, they had the similar look. At one point, they had similar gear. They also had the hard foundation-style gear, but with yellow instead of pink at one point. So here, though, we have Larry Sharp seemingly getting someone booked in the promotion the Bulldogs are working. Actually, wait, it's late 90. There's no more Bulldogs. I'm an idiot. Well, uh, you have the British yeah. Bruisers, though. Yeah. Larry Sharp, always a couple of months late. Yeah, and I hey, wonder if that's hey, that's got to be. That's got to be part of his thinking, though, right? Like, Maybe. Eh, the, the dyna- it, like, well, Davey's not there anymore. So. Well, they're replacing a nasty boy, so that's the reason why they're there. The nasty boys are going to be regulars in all Japan, more often than not. So, why, so. How are, what do the favorites have in common with? It's, they're a team that just got in. They're, they're from f- the Northeast. Who knows? Who knows? All right. Let's go to New Japan. If Mike Rotunda does not re-sign with NWA, New Japan's issue in bringing him in as a regular as a tag partner with Brad Rankins and had them feud with the Soviets. He had... Okay, so the tour he works as Michael Wall Street was in late 90, wasn't it? Or is it in 91? It's in 91. hmm Okay. I thought it was... Because I remember I had TV with it, and the, well, the quote-unquote local TV that only aired in some markets during preemptions and stuff, and I could have sworn it was from 90, but he does work that one towards Michael Wall Street, and that's it, because he goes to WWF, I guess. I was about to say, the idea of Mike Rotunda and Brad Ringens versus the Soviets must have given Bern Gagne the biggest boner. <laughs> yeah, I mean... Vern would have loved would have loved that. I mean, oh, he would love the Soviet straight up. It, uh, it's it's ninety one. He works in New Japan, and he's not. And the results have him. He may have been using the Michael Wall Street gimmick. I mean, as far as like his attire, but he was billed as Mike Rotunda by New Japan. Well, not Michael it, Wall Street. Yeah, I think they only called him Wall Street like during the NWO Japan run stuff. And well, and who's one of his tech partners on the tour? Brad Rankins. I believe he's wearing the Wall Street singlet, at least in the stuff I've seen. Yeah, he was probably wearing the look, but he wasn't built as such. He was built as Mike Rotunda. And at least the tapes I had gotten were... Okay, so this at least has the Mudo match, which is probably what I've seen airing on TV, but I don't think it aired everywhere. Him and Ring has got to be Kido and Fujinami and Masa and Kido. So there you go. Then they lost to Mudo and Masa. Wow. But there you go. Yes, and then he's not back right. for over six years. Yeah. Now, speaking of more f- issues with foreigners, Negro Casas won't be returning to Japan as part of the Universal promotion because of heat with Booker Granabada, which is why Casas won't work, which is why Casas is working for New Japan on their TV special, which is uh, the December 26, 90 special. Legendary. Yes. Cu- yeah. When Casas was cut from the future Universal tours, Jushin Riger found out and immediately tried to set up the match because he'd been wanting to work with Casas his first time Casas came to Japan. Dave, it's an L, not an R, for the love of God. <laughs> he Lion wasn't the only Tiger. And I think he knows that part by this point, too. He wasn't the only one. All the newsletters are calling him that. Tape so, lists. Tape lists, newsletters, I mean... I know, but still... 
At some uh, point, you would think someone got in the words like it's an L, guys. And he does uh, get a shot at, at Liger for the IWGB title and uh, loses on the King of Kings show on December twenty six. Okay, so that's the official name of that sh- that one off show then, because it for a long time you'd see it on tape lists and stuff, and results build as Legends Night because that's the yes, show King- with uh, Fez Chono, Bakwan yeah, Saito, and, yeah. and there one more. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna write that down for later. Um, it's um, let's see, Des Chono, Saida, Botwinkle. No, that's the only those? trade legends match. Yeah, I mean, well, Tiger G, Tiger G, Singh, and Mudo, but kind of, yeah. yeah. And uh, Tony Hall may put up on Shin Yashimoto. That's, no. that's that's Holmey. If it's not his debut, it's his first big show, right? I think it's his debut. Yeah, I'll double check on that, but. Yeah, that's a fun show, though, because, you know, the clips of Chonothes are fun for what they are. Saito Bockwinkle is actually really good. Liger Chono, uh, not Chono, Li- Liger Casas is phenomenal, though. Um, and Tony Hall. Yeah. Yeah, but it's in a different style fight. He's in his element. Yeah. Well, his in-ring element, his out-of-the-ring element is being a literal Nazi. <laughs> Glad you said it before I could. Um, okay, so he had, okay, (laughs) Chris, okay, so he had worked Herb Abrams tapings before this, but otherwise, Chris, who do you think his only other New Japan match was with in a different style fight? I don't know. My lights just went out of my room. I just got highly distracted. (laughs) As in the light bulb went out? I'm guessing not the, not the electricity. Vamp for a second, and I'll be back. Talk, talk about Tony Hall, man. Okay. Oh, there it goes. It just got back on. Okay, so that's <laughs> weird then. That is very weird. The ghost of Tony Hall, is like, you're going to listen about me. He's haunting us from down there in the bad place. Yeah, it lose power. Just the light went out, and then came back on. That's amazing. Like, also, lights don't usually blow just being on. They blow when you turn it on. So anyway, Sometimes they blow. Just... It just lights are funny. Okay. I think there's like I think there's like a uh, switch thing, something with a switch. Okay. Oh, so did either of you guys have any guesses as to who his one previous New Japan opponent was, and it was a different style fight? Uh, Ron Simmons. No, Chris. No idea. That would be the Soul Taker. Okay. AKA comma the Extreme Fighting Machine. In oh. my veins. All right, UWF. Or with the remnants of UWF. Shinji Jin, who was reported last week, has left the wrestling business, closed down the office. And after all the wrestlers banded together and supported Akira Maeda and their behind the scenes squabble over the direction of the company and questioned about financial improprieties. On December 17th, Maeda and the other UWF wrestlers had a press conference where Maeda said that they would start a new company without getting a new name. It appears that Maeda will continue to have the same access to foreign talent with his new promotion. Mainly Florida-based wrestlers trained by Larry Malenko and European fighters, judicus, boxers, amateur wrestlers, and sambo wrestlers trained out of Chris Dolman's gym in the Netherlands. The current plan by Maeda is to restructure a new company with him handpicking the front office, probably taking more care in writing the legal papers and structuring of the company. While this hasn't been announced, the word is that Maeda will promote his first show at Corken Hall in Tokyo in March or April. Maybe then he can call the card starting over and over. That's an inside joke, you see. When they opened the promotion in 1988, the first card in Tokyo was called UWF Starting Over. And, well, I guess you had to be there. 
<laughs> Dave, if you have to explain the joke, it's not a joke. Um, so, okay, the interesting how this goes. So, Rings does go with Chris Dolman's guys, because Chris Dolman, and had any of his other guys been working in UWF, or was it just Dolman? Oh, man. I think it was just Dolman at that point. If it, but not, it wasn't the heavy Dutch presence either way that you would see in rings. And they do keep working with Dolman, obviously, but, but the Malenko and Carl Gotch hookup does not go to rings. That goes to Fujiwara Gumi, which initially was going to be called, wait for it, the UWF. Mm-hmm. But I forget what the reason they decided not to call it the UWF was if, it had to do with the UWFI announcing their formation or whatever, but yeah, this, the Florida guys and others who are training with Malenko, that does not that does not happen in rings. They go to Fujiwara Gumi, and that's... Also, was was, so. was Dirt Verge a Dolman guy? I think so. He was already... Yeah, he worked. Yeah, Bart Cops Jr. Okay, he, so you already had some, some of the other Dutchmen in uh, UWF. As about to say, I'll just point out possibly put out a theory. I don't think they wanted to fight between sponsors. Maybe. Also, how different is the history of a lot of things if Rings gets the Malenko hookup? Because if Rings is the one that ends up with the Malenko hookup, which I'm guessing the reason it didn't happen is because of the closeness between Carl Gotch and Sammy Saranaka and Fujiwara... But if that if it did happen, there at a minimum, I don't think we get shoot fighter Ken Shamrock. No, because he stays Vince Torelli, right? Because he was a guy who was you know a Malenko student, who like the Malenko students were in that era learning some shooting from Sammy Sornaka at Car you know at Carl Gotch's place with Carl overseeing, and you know he only starts. Gets on this, he gets on this path. Well, actually, wait. Shamrock, no, Shamrock was never in UWF, was he? Or did he work a very yeah, late UWF? He was. That's right. Yeah. It took me a second <laughs> to remember. Well, you, I, it took me like a second, but still. He worked the last show. <laughs> he right. lost the Fanaki in a main event. Yeah. That's right. I, I, but the well, the big point Shamrock. being is. The big BM point if, being, though, is either way, if he goes to rings, he's not on a direct path to fighting in actual shoots it, no. it, when he does. Either way. No. He stays in his Jim Barnett-approved white tights. I don't know. If he goes to rings... Sticks in the Carolinas. I don't know. He, if he goes to rings, we still may get the same trajectory. He's not... I don't think he's fighting in the first UFC if he's not in Pancras. But if we did get him in ranks, we would get Ken Shamrock versus Volkan. And I'm kind of down with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, who knows? All right. Um, let's go to Mexico now. CMLL. They had their uh, show at Arena Coliseo. They had already ran their year-end show in Mexico on December 21st. It was pretty poor, Dave said, with none of the matches better than one star. Ouch! Hey, those those shows in the latter half of December, early January, are the lame duck shows of the year in a lot mm -hmm. of ways in Mexico. Volcano, uh, Tony Arce, and Commando Russo uh, beat Aguilar de Plata, Aguilar Salaterio, and Dr. Rocambale. 
Hakimate, Javier Yanes, and El Egipcio, the Solar, Desiero, and Moguer. Then we had Misterioso, Volador, and Mascara Sagrada, beating Ulises, Masacre, and Peroff. And then the main event saw Satanico, Fuerza Guerrera, and MC Uno beat Otegon, Huracan Sevilla, the former Huracan Ramirez Jr. before getting unmasked the prior week, ironically by Octagon, who he teamed with here, and Angelis Teca, second fall into the DQ when Octagon unmasked Fuerza. And they seem to be building towards Octagon, now their most popular wrestler, against Fuerza in a Mascara Contra Mascara match, probably anywhere from three weeks to two months down the line. How about 30 years? <laughs> and they're st- they still haven't had that match. <laughs> Things take time. Things take time. <laughs> Not that, enough this. That match has been talked up so much. Oh, my God. And it's I just never happened. signals on a radio show. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> never happened. Probably never will happen. So. Not enough money, brother. <laughs> Egos. It's just egos, you know. Money will fix a Money's lot. all been there. It's just egos. Sometimes. Some of these guys, some of these guys, they they're total marks for their mask, and will and won't lose them. And by that, you just mean El Santo, El Hijo del Santo. Oh, there's others too. I mean, well, I'm just gonna call it the big, the big. Well, one. he's the big gun, but he's at least he's got that reason. True. To do to not to do it because of you know his father. Yeah. But some of these other guys, you know, <laughs> oh, uh, he ain't no money for him. But uh, L.A. Park, you know, he's one. Um, you know, Wagner went years before he finally did it. You know, and he's a handsome devil too. Yeah, I mean, there there are other guys that 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 their mask would be worth a lot of money, but they don't want to lose them. And by the way, that's technically Game Changer Wrestling's Dr. Wagner Jr. No, it's El Hijo oh, yeah. Jr. MLW. Was he, he didn't work MLW, did he? Yes, he did. Oh, that's right. He did do it. That's right. Yep. Yeah, MLW. Court got that uh, Lucha hookup like a son of a bitch. Yeah, well, I know the, the parks are always there. I forgot do, that doc. Parks, Arimis, Eras. I just watched the most recent match with those two. Yeah. All right. Um, Juarez. We have a show on uh, December 20th at Ignacio Municipal Jose Neri Santos in Ciudad Juarez. We have Medico over Junior King Takeda over Freddy Krueger by his qualification. The Astro Boys 1 and 2 over the Almada Brothers 1 and 2. Crazy Boy 32 over Cobarde. And in our main event, Eddie Guerrero and Perata Morgan over Santa de Oro and Emilio Chavez Jr. Hot damn. Yeah, which, considering who's involved there, probably was a hell of a match in 1990 and Juarez. And we don't have that footage, do we? Well, no. <laughs> Someone does, because it randomly showed up on TV locally uh, several years back, and someone put Some it on Juarez YouTube. Some Juarez stuff, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, like, showed back up on TV out of nowhere. And some ended up on YouTube, but it was only, like, clips, and that guy's channel went away very quickly. Yeah, that's why you gotta grab stuff as soon as you can on YouTube. Believe me. All right, um, UWA is with Temetsuko, Yoshiro Sai, and Negro Costa had a singles match on December 18th in Pachuca. They believe their August 30th match between the two of them was named Match of the Year in Mexico. Ah, uh, damn, it probably was. <laughs> Would nobody, yeah, if somebody would have seen it, that wasn't, yeah. their, that wasn't their lives. Those people, though, will tell you. 
Yes. I mean, who knows how many great Asai matches, of course, Asai, Ultimate Dragon, who knows how many great Asai matches was around in that era that you had to be there to see? Because that's the only way you would have saw them. I was about to say, I can say the same things about certain people having amazing runs you will never see because they put, don't put out the footage. Yeah. Now, uh, real quick, because so the fax is from our week. It doesn't have a date for this. Uh, would the uh, EMLL bodybuilding contest have been in our week? No. Ah, so that would have been before our week. Okay, because that's it's always in the, it's always at the end of November. Okay, because after you eat, you need to feel shame. Because look at how good that guy looks. Yeah, that's always in November. <laughs> okay, I wanted to make sure, because there was no date here for that. Um, Hell of a diet they got in Mexico. Jeez, how long has that thing been running, though? Been running for years. Going back to what, at least the 80s? Yeah. I was about to say, that's a shoot contest, right? Yes. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah. Cool on them. All right, and we'll close our international with WWC. Actually, I'm Bayamon on December 15th. We had a WC women's title match as Sasha beat Monster Ripper to win the title. Perfect. Uh, as you may know from WWE. Yeah. Ronda Singh. Uh, Ronda Singh, yes. Caribbean tag titles. Eric Embry and Rick Valentine. Kerry Brown defeated the Super Medicos. One and three. Jose Estrada and his son. Jose Jr. Then you had Caribbean heavyweight title as El Bronco, number one, beat Kim Duck to win the title. Tiger Jeet Singh. And Universal heavyweight title, Carlos Colon went to a no contest with Greg the Hammer Valentine to retain his title. Yes. We... Oh, this sounds this sounds like a fun time. Well, I, I've watched all the WC from this era TV that's around, and it's an interesting time. And Greg is just time. being allowed to do what he wants on his off days as long as he's not working competitive TV in the mainland. Pretty we'll much. have more on that. And just... <laughs> Well, more than that in just a minute. Just hold your horses. Bill. Okay, just good hold... to know. Um, anything else of note here? So Embry here is... he is He's booking. Bo- is he the booker or is he Akbar's assistant booker? He's booking, but he's about to leave because USWA Dallas is about to start back up in January. Yeah, he's right. about to Ak- become... Akbar's not there yet. Akbar replaces him. Okay. Yeah. As about to say, Embry's about to become, you know, king shit of Dallas. He's about to go back and turn heel, yes. Yeah. So, yep. So, let me see. Interesting stuff going on in 90 and 91. Kim Duck turns babyface in 91, too. That's always a hoot. So, uh, oh, Lord. Yeah. So, there you go. All right. So, let's go to the Indies. And let's go to Herb Abrams Universal Wrestling Federation. Yay. And we go to the Pro Wrestling <laughs> Torch. Herb Abrams was reportedly in Tampa and is now saying that he'll be bringing in Rick Rude in February with Percy Pringle as his manager. I have a question. Yes. Was it Rick Rude who said this and Percy Pringle, or was it Coke, Herb? Was it Coke? <laughs> well, Rude does work for ICW, and who knows? That may have been the plan before WF came a-calling. Well, doesn't Rude work a taping in a non-televised match or segment, too? Yeah. Or at least get close to it? Yeah. And then, and then a couple, and then later he shows up in October and yeah. starts one of the best runs of his career. Yeah. But, um, yeah, this may have been an actual thing. I just don't know. 
It's just that he can't I, get Root out of the contract, and at this point, you know, no one's recommending Percy yet because Bruce is managing Undertaker. Yeah. Yeah. So, of course, you know, of course Rick Root's going to ask Herb Abrams to bring in Percy Pringle. Hopefully they also pay for smooth with pay for smooth operator. It's a shame we never got Rude and Percy as a in a major act. Oh, you know? yeah. Because they were great together in world class in Florida. So mm-hmm. it's a shame we didn't get them together in WCW, WF or whatever. I just the idea of Percy Pringle and WCW sounds like an amazing time. It should have happened. I mean, come on. It should have happened. Instead of Harley managing the Lugar. I think if Michael Hayes would have had some booking power, which, yeah, Michael Hayes never really had booking power in WCW. But if he ever had booking power in WCW, some sort of a committee work or whatever, mm-hmm. and in that time period when Percy was around and before he went with Paul Bear, uh, he would have been there. I think he would have brought him in. Yeah. yeah. Top heel manager Percy Pringle with acts such as John Tatum and Robert Gibson. <laughs> and the Lugar. <laughs> Yeah. All right. So, um, Bix asked about Greg Valentine. Torch has this. Even though Greg Valentine's name is listed on booking sheets for UWF in January, he still works part-time for WWF. WWF is allowing Valentine to work independent dates, which he has been doing on the East Coast. But speculation suggests that WWF will draw the line with Abrams because of running New York, specifically across the street from Madison Square Garden. <laughs> and this fact alone is the reason why 90% of your Northeast Indies exist. <laughs> well, no, they let a lot of guys work on the part-time level, you know, in in the early '90s. So, mm-hmm. uh, but that's why Valentine's a Puerto Rico mix, and double seasonal competition to them. So, sure, you know, we're not going to do anything with you. You can go work there, but not this dude who's like somehow arranged a meeting with Vince out of nowhere to, to ask if he can run his rest, West Coast operations a year earlier or whatever the hell happened. And it's a guy that's using Andre the Giant, uh, you know, and Vince's face that's employing Albano and Bruno who's burying Vince on television. We're about, you know, going to be doing it soon. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot that goes on here. So Herb Abrams is an id. <laughs> Herb Abrams is a uh, is a, a treasure pro wrestling. That's for sure. Yes, and he's, well, he's an unfettered id. Joe, were you the one that said around when the Dark Side aired that if he didn't exist, we would have to invent him? Yeah, there's, he's one of the many people. Those many people in life, you know, they said it about Nixon. I'll say it about Abrams. If Herb Abrams didn't exist, we would have had to invent him. John Collins too. <laughs> yeah. Paul Heyman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I mean, he did exist, even if people <laughs> thought he was invented. <laughs> yeah, he like, did. Real, actually, I'm not going to lie. Real talk, I've had in my brain one of these days the drop references to Oluwamie somewhere. <laughs> for no good reason other than just to make myself laugh. <laughs> All right, Georgia All-Star Wrestling, and we go to Matt Watch, of course. Expect Ronnie P. Gossett to make a significant return here. He's appearing on WVU 69 announcing he is scalping talent. <laughs> Ouch. Well, he's saying he's saying scouting, but it's Rampy Gossett, so it sounds like scalping. <laughs> That's that deep Chattanooga accent of Rampy Gossett. Oh Lord. And I'm scalping talent. I've heard that accent occasionally. <laughs> As someone not from the area, it is hard. 
the, the <laughs> cipher sometimes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. yeah, it's like dealing with the Scottish. You can, you can only imagine, I wish you had this, the interactions between Ryan Gossett and Joe Pettacino. <laughs> Classic. Actually, I just want to see the footage of them at a Shoney's. <laughs> God, that breakfast bus buffet must have been going. Yeah. Or bacon. Matt Watts also says, Pettacino's GWF duties will force him to give up his weekly play-by-play -play work here. New co-hosts will be appearing on the January 20th TV taping, but nothing has been announced. Well, co-host? Scott Hudson and Stephen the Truth. God bless. This is them. This is what gets them work. The Atlanta boys ride again. This is the beginning of that. Yeah. The actual beginning of the Atlanta boys. So there you go. Yes. And I posted, as I posted on Twitter uh, the other day, from what was it? It was the, uh, which, was it the Chair Shots Annual, I think, for 91? He even gets to meet Tessa. Yeah. Well, that's a treat for everybody involved, believe me. All right, so you, we have wrestling schools all over the country now. Mm -hmm. um, different people have schools. Joe's, in fact, in wrestling school right now. You know, back in these days, that wasn't a big thing. There weren't a whole lot of wrestling schools. Well, the folks at Sarasota, Florida got lucky. As Silo Sam opened up a wrestling school in Sarasota <laughs> with the name Monster Factory. This name is trademarked by Larry Sharp, who has Monster Factory schools in Ohio, Baltimore, and Paulsburg, New Jersey. He wants to get out the word that he's got nothing to do with this operation. I want to know the Silo Sam curriculum. <laughs> Well, so, uh, also, do we think he is actually running the classes, or do we think this is, like, Great Kali opening a wrestling school and somehow hiring Facade to run it? I hope it's that. So, so who, yeah, who, who, who is the who is 1990 <laughs> equivalent of the Neon Ninja Facade? Barry Horowitz. <laughs> I mean, who knows? I mean, it's Florida. I mean, that could happen. Yeah. It's either Barry Horowitz or Larry Hamilton. God help us all. Thunderbolt Hamilton. Oh, that guy. Well, also, but, though, I had no idea that there were ever Baltimore or Ohio monster factories. I knew about the actual Florida monster factory that Larry opens in, like, 91. That. But I never knew about either of these. Did you, Chris? It makes sense. But no, I didn't. So he's franchising these, I guess, so... What do we think? That maybe, like, um... Charlie Fulton took on Monster Factory branding in Ohio? It's possible. And Baltimore? And would who knows? Baltimore be in this era? A young Axel Rodden? No. Uh, well, when does I'm, Axel start uh, training people, though? It ain't this early. This well, 1990. When does, when does Ian start wrestling? Uh, I mean, 91's when Ian's with Bad Breed and Global. Okay. I don't even know if he had a school proper, though, or if he was just training people before shows or what. Um, Meanwhile, in Axel Rodden's backyard, take a bump. I mean, I, I mean, it's possible. It's possible. I mean, oh, Axel, Axel had been wrestling for a few years. It's just... We should also someone know, in, a school, in a school now, it's just... Man, we all got lucky now. Yeah. In a lot of ways. 
because the idea of a silo Sam wrestling school in all seriousness sounds like it's the start of a story that ends with, I gave him $500 and he disappeared. (laughs) Yeah. But silo Sam hardly ever worked. He wasn't that good. I mean, he's a a big, tall redneck. I was about to say, if you're going to say work in silo Sam, I think air quotes are required. Yeah. Also, but, we should no. Oh, go ahead. I thought you were done there. I was about to say it's just it's like again though it's like yeah there were yeah, I was like I think Larry Sharp was the school of the era really. <laughs> well, but Sawyer also, had his too, even if it wasn't really well known that he finally had an actual school at this point. Yeah, it's Sacramento, like, right? Yeah. Um, who else is there? That I mean, you know, Charlie Fulton has his school if it's separate from this. Uh, I don't know how many there are. You know, Chris Adams, of course. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, note to kids today, y'all lucky. Y'all real lucky. Ken Mantell didn't have a school after 88, did he? No, that's what I know of. Also, it's particularly egregious that this is when Silas Sam is doing this, because it was only back in March 90 that the Rolling Stone feature on Monster Factory came out, and that's some of the biggest publicity they ever got. Yeah. yeah. Besides that thing Paul did. Well, this at this era, it's really, I would say, like, your Bam Bam Bigelow through very early 90s is the peak of Monster Factory publicity. Yeah. So it's pretty egregious that he's doing this, especially since... You know, a lot of it was in wrestling magazines and stuff, but this was also really just the first wrestling... I mean, it was the first wrestling school that got any publicity or anything. It really was the first commercial wrestling school on any kind of real scale. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were ads in, ma- like, your third-tier magazines. At least I saw. I mean, I remember. It's like the same ones that would have your, you know, um, stately Wayne Manors write in would have Monster Factory ads. You mean oh, your friend good. Ernie? They were very popular in the in those wrestling main event magazines. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yes, and also there's the weird side note that originally the whole idea was kind of Buddy Rogers wanted his son David to break into wrestling. He trusted Larry, and they opened a school to kind of, like, on the back of that. And the rest is history. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, it's just—it's so much easier now, though, to find schools. You may not find a good school, but you can find a school. Yeah. All right. Uh, USWA. No TV for a week online, so boo. We just have this. USWA television taping was originally planned for the Bronco Bowl in Dallas has been moved to the Sportatorium on December twenty-eighth. This taping will be called USWA. The January 22nd taping in Louisville will be billed as the first taping of the Global Wrestling Federation. Jerry Jarrett will promote wrestling after that weekend with house shows every Friday night in the Sportatorium. Use the men and the guys who live in Dallas once again and take television every Saturday morning for pro- proposed syndicated network only in the state of Texas. All tickets for the December 28th show are $5. When a line of being Terry Funk versus Jerry Lawler for the USWA title, Unified. Doug Gilbert and Tony Anthony against Dirty uh, Doug Gilbert and Dirty White Boy Tony Anthony against Dr. Jeff Stevens and Terry Gordy for the tag titles. Eddie Gilbert versus Jeff Jarrett for the Southern title, plus one man gang, Kathy Chat, Sky the Body, Nick Busick, Akira Nogami, Steve the Brawler Lawler, Chris Walker, Conan Chris Walker, Hubley Festus, Skandar Atbar, 
studying Steve Austin and Billy Joe Travis. <laughs> Scott Hall's also being taught with. And Wayne, the train bloom, and Mike Eames are scheduled to work Louisville, as are Jim Cornette and Stan Lane. Anyway, this should be a very interesting taping. And so. it was. <laughs> okay, so let's see what what stays the same, what changes. Um there is no January 22nd taping in Louisville. There's no Global Wrestling Federation. No. And the, the USWA taping is in a sportatorium in December 28th. But mm-hmm. it, well, okay, so a few things here. And so, no Steve Williams. No, he does work. He and Gordon. Yeah. They, work yeah. a, they end up just working a squash against Chris Germany and I forget his partner. But, okay. It moves to the sportatorium. I guess it wasn't reported this week. I forget when. But I think it, it's somewhere buried in a Matt Watch issue that there was some kind of production setup issue that kept them from using the Bronco Bowl. I think it was maybe there have needed to be too many obstructed view seats or something. Plus, there was issues where potentially someone we need to pay to fix up the sportatorium to keep it from getting condemned. So even after Kevin Von Erich had stopped running, there was a lot of question marks. So there's that... Um, so at the Sportatorium, Funk Lawler happens. Uh, Dougie and Dirty White Boy against Miracle Violence co- Connection does not happen. Gilbert yeah. Jarrett does happen. Gang, I think most of the other guys work the card. Yeah. I don't know if the Georgia guys do, though. But Gang, yeah. Cactus, Scotty the Body all work the card. I don't think Austin does. Does he? Austin does for a short time before he heads over to WCW. No, but he's back in the Dallas TV once USWA fully comes back. I'm not sure he's on this taping. Uh, Travis, I think, is. And then uh, Nagami... I think Nagami's in the tournament. Nagami's there, but I don't think he works a match, if I remember right. The most interesting thing of all this, though, to me... Is um so was it the whole story here that Joe Pedicina was supposed to buy the USWA at this time? Wasn't that the deal here? That okay, was a talk. But it would, I, I forget at one point it shifted from buying the USWA to buying the syndicated network, though. At least during well, the, these original talks. Alright, so here we are. Jerry Jarrett is setting up his ESPN deal with USWA. Mm-hmm. I wonder if Joe knows that. <laughs> well, All I know is a couple of days later, Jerry started looking for a bus. I was, I, was say, I wonder. I wonder if Joe knows that. I mean, he's probably telling Joe, "Well, we're going to run the sportatorium. Uh, we'll, we're just going to focus on local television." Just Texas, Joe. Don't worry <laughs> about it, Joe. Nothing yeah. bad will happen, Joe. Well, also there were some reports in the newsletters that. Um, what was it? I lost my train of thought for a second. Oh, that Jared, after a certain point, was just like, you know what? Unless he actually comes up with this money, I'm going about my business. That's what he does. Yeah. Now, you guys, Jared looks out for one. Side note that I believe we discovered. Um, did that file just download? Okay, yes, it did. Uh, when we were doing the first GW Patreon show, dug into the Georgia business records, we find this. Incorporation filing for Kongi Sports and Entertainment Inc. With, uh, let's see, were there any particular names on here? Yes, J. Olu Oliemi of Sandy Springs, Georgia. And the date, 
Okay, so when is the taping? December 28th. Yes, that's on the 28th. The Articles of Incorporation of Kangi Sports and Entertainment, um, which of oh, the board of directors were J.O. Oluoliemi, Joseph V. Pedicino, Conrad Burke, who we never figured out who that was, and Carol Lindsay, who would later end Conrad up funding Burke. Global. Yes, Conrad with a K. And, okay, uh, so not that Conrad, gotcha. No, not, I mean, different last name, too. Yeah. But it was filed on December 26th with an ex- a request to expedite, saying reason for expedite, closing of business transaction on date of incorporation, <laughs> December 26, 1990. <sighs> so basically what happens here is Olu Oliami is scrambling to complete his 419 scheme on Joe Petticino somehow, and to do that, he feels like he needs to somehow get a deal on paper between Jarrett and Pettacino. And he realized, oh, wait, I don't even have this company like incorporated on paper yet. As about to say, there's so many red flags in this, you would think it's one of my axes. Well, I mean, Lord. people want to listen to We did put that one up for free in the main feed, I believe. Yeah. That's <laughs> global show. You know, it's also on the Patreon, of course. Five dollars a month. Thank you. Patreon.com slash between the sheets. There are so many red flags, like all this, all this stuff about like, oh, this is where the funding is. The largest financial trust in California, or is it on the East Coast, or just a bunch of nonsense. I say, I say the first red flag should have been Sandy Springs, Georgia. I've been to Sandy Springs. No, I ain't nothing good coming out of Sandy Springs. What part of Sandy Springs have you been to? Part I don't want to go back to. Sandy Springs is actually a nice section of the. Uh... <laughs> Of that of um, the metro, <laughs> mm. a, lot, a lot of affluent people live in Sandy Springs. <laughs> so as we I have, have, I have very little trust of affluent people, sir. That's what I said. What part of Ted DiBiase taught me lessons. <laughs> now, as we would learn in '92, after Pedicino and company leave Global, and Bruce Mitchell writes his infamous "Fool or Liar" column in the Torch. You get your letters from the likes of Craig Johnson slash John Horton, Scott Hudson, Freddie Fargo, and I think maybe one other person in the torch, where it's made clear that one of the big reasons this happened was that Oliemi had already been a longtime business associate in some form of Carol Lindsay, and it seems like she vouched for him. Yeah. So. All right. So back to 1990. Andy Gilbert injured Brickhouse Brown's leg with a chair on television on December 15th. Sad to see that. Dirty White Girl came out on television and said that she's going on vacation to Hawaii and will be wearing a stream bikini, or was wearing a stream bikini. Roll Tide. I, I know Joe's upset we didn't have that. <laughs> yes, you, we, I am. <laughs> My God. How, how uh, old is she allegedly at this time? She's in her 20s at this point in time, early 20s. Okay, okay. Uh, Steve Kern did an interview said he had a difficult time accepting Jim Cornette as his manager, but so far everything's been fine. This is the their baby faces here. Still, the baby face fabulous ones with baby face Jim Cornette. So that turn's coming in a few weeks. And then the thought says Jerry Lynn has a start date of January 5th, but he'll be working under a different name. Since they already have Jerry Jarrett, Jerry Lawler, and Jerry Calhoun. Can't have more than one Jerry. He worked as Jerry Lynn. <laughs> so you have four Jerry's. <laughs> I guess, Sounds like a great doo-wop act. 
I guess, yeah, I guess I guess Wade was having the uh, Vincent Mann uh, thought process in 1991. Too many cherries, pal. Too many guys with the same name. So, yeah, he wait, and he's there for a little bit. 91, you know, gets a little run. So, yeah, and influences a lot of people. Yeah, interesting that uh, Wade Keller has this inside knowledge of what Jerry Lynn's uh, future is, isn't it? I wonder how that happened. He said, <laughs> "No one." You know, right. from the TV and Coliseum results, he has some interesting matches that's out there. You know, like teaming with Jamie Dundee against the New Kids, teaming uh, team with Cody Michaels against the Fabs, teaming with Cody Michaels against the Pitbulls. Some interesting yeah. stuff. Also, yeah. a singles with Eric Embry, too. Ooh. Two junior heavyweight legends. Yes. All right, Global Wrestling Federation. And we go to the torch first. Negative speculation will really start rolling this week as the closing date for the partial USWA purchase has been moved from December 26th to the following week. So people will say there was never any deal for a few days at least. Oh, right. That's the closing date, too. <laughs> <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So there you go. Now, as far as global, this is Dave. Joe Pettacino is wanting to bring in someone as the global heavyweight champion. With a storyline that they've been defending all over the world and few that person with Terry Funk or whoever holds the USWA Unified title. The top guy on his list is Owen Hart, who last word scheduled to start with WCW on January 11th in New York. Doesn't happen. No, of course not. None of this happens. Yes. Joe, it's a shame that I, that I, you know, I was never able to talk to Joe. Uh, and do a podcast up with Joe before oh. his health issues got real bad to talk about this because there's uh, I can only imagine what his plans were. Oh my god! Like what was your original plans? Yeah, greatest unknown notebook ever. Because he has some plans. I mean, you can piece them together from the the newsletters who he's talking to, but he had a lot of grand plans that, of course, never happened because there was no money. Nope. So. Now, the Madwatch has this. Hours after Starcade, Conan made a verbal agreement with Joe Petticino. Word has it that he'll premiere after the first of the year as the Global Wrestling Federation light heavyweight champion. Conan will sit at home nursing his e- knee injury until January. Hmm. Hmm. Now, for those of you, the timeline may sound out of whack. His, WC, his WCW TV matches were taped before Starcade. Yes. Yes. So, yeah. So, Joe had him on verbal retainer to come in, but... We could have had Conan versus Jerry Lynn and Conan versus Lightning Kid. There's a time, like I said, there's a time what the plan is for. You know? In 1991-ish, 2-ish, goodness. Yeah. That could have been dope. Yeah, and one of these days we got to figure out, though, why are there so many people trying to do startups at this point when it seems like there's barely anyone willing to put money up for them? Mm. I don't know. I, I really mean, don't know what the, what the hook was in 1990 for all these startups to be going. I guess, I mean, it would kind of start in 89, but 90s. Really, I mean, that's probably part of it, but. But I'll, off the top of my head, Global, UWF, LPWA. NAWA to a degree. Um, you can IWA. argue IWA because he did have 
Russin did have broader goals with it, even if it started on a smaller scale. And, uh, and it continues. For and it continues as, as 91 and even 92 comes along. I mean, it's the IWF. first three. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the first three years of the 90s. I was about to say, IWF. I remember those IWF shows. Yeah, the, I mean, it, it, it's it's the early part of the 90s is when yeah when we get all this. It's basically, it's it's throughout the 90s. Yeah, no, know, like it, literally it, through AW, the AWF. I mean, we can go with all these startups. Oh, yeah. well, uh, uh, not Al Persina, um, Gordon's Kazari, AWF. Yeah. WWN. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I would say cable expand the expansion of cable. That's part of it. Is- Honestly, I just realized what I think it might be. Mm. People don't see WCW as val- as viable until Hogan comes in. Yeah, but it still continues after Hogan comes in. And yeah. Not to the same degree, though. Not to the same degree, you're correct. But again, for basically the decade of the 90s, anyone with an idea was coming up going, I can start a wrestling company. Yeah. All right, so let's go to Texas, the Texas Wrestling Federation. On December 16th at the Metroplex Arena in Dallas, we had the California stud Rob Price go to a draw with Matt Bourne. John Tatum went to a draw with Terrence Garvin. Tim Talltree, Tim Renesto, beat the assassin, his real life brother, Tom Jr., Tom Branch, in seven seconds. Mm. Action Jackson over Cowboy Tony Falk. And the main event saw Iceman King Parsons, Matt Bourne, and Terrence Garvin Stunning Steve Austin, Hollywood John Tatum, and California stud Rod Price, two out of three falls. That's a Texas spot show setup. Have I ever seen one? <laughs> this was one of, the, one of the rare times you get Tatum, Stud, and Austin in, in one team. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And the Renestos explode. Yeah. <laughs> so, so there's your uh, TWF Gary Hart extravaganza. Yes. Right. Yeah, things have wound down from when there were multiple promotions running weekly earlier in the year. Yeah, no Big D. Mm. Well, Big yeah, D's later. Yes, this no, is yeah. At this point, uh, it's Sportatorium, whether USW or World Class, TWF, um, and Tim Brooks and AWA. Yeah. All right, AWA. Larry is officially stripped to the AWA title because he's going to the NWA. On TV, they're starting a storyline that Zabisco's been asked to defend a title in Japan. Total work. And they don't know what his actions, and they don't know what actions Joe Blanchard might take against him if he doesn't go. And there are hints he might not go. Of course, he's not going, so that's the corner story to strip him of a title. Of course, as the AW has a record in many months, Dave's not sure what he's being stripped of. Yeah, and as we played on the AWA Patreon shows, Larry does come by the studio and shoot an angle for this. Yes, he does. Yes, it's yeah. not like he just disappears with the be- you know, as champion. Um, what the point of this is is a very good question, especially since no one remembers it because it was on the Lance and Freebirds version of Pro that less people saw because so many were watching the New York and Chicago versions on the Superstations. Which Larry Zabisco is one of the host of. Mm-hmm. The Chicago version, yes. Uh, well, becomes one of the hosts of. But he was already the host in yeah. 90 for Chicago, right? What the, yeah, he was the host at the beginning. Yeah, no, it I was Tony and Jeff. Got... No, 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 no. I think we got syndicated pro. Where I was. <laughs> uh, pro in 1990, Larry Zbysko is on there with Tony. What and week Scott. does he start? And when it so starts, which was when 
August, September. So he was an announcer for months, but only on the Chicago show until this. Yeah, pretty basically. much. Okay, because yeah, we didn't have, we did not have WGN here until years later. Okay, um, but where I was going with this though is Lance teases before what was supposed to be Larry's debut. We've got the AWA. That's right, the AWA World Heavyweight Champion Larry Zbysko debuting next week or something like that. So. He was supposed to come in as champion, and of the, of the two scenarios, I think that would have been better for the Ganyas. A lot of scenarios would have been better for the Ganyas. Well. And he's their son-in-law, too, so. But they didn't care. Yeah. Yes. Oh, They're too busy per- trying to invent UFC. <sighs> yeah, invent it, yeah. Yeah, also, just because he it came up on Twitter, um... I don't know how it became a thing that people think that uh, Tim Zabisco is Vern's grandson. No, he's the son of Larry and Larry's, I believe, second wife. Oh, Ripper Zabisco. At least his post-Kathy Ganya wife. I almost went two weeks without hearing that name. Dang. I'm sorry. It's all right. Portland Wrestling. They're just in a 15 card open with Val Madrill facing Bart Soria in a pinata on top of an eight foot ladder match. Bro. After a few false finishes, <laughs> Sawyer pinned Madrill to win Al's favorite pinata. This will set up a hair versus hair match between the two for next week. Next up was Steve Dahl, Northwest champion against the Equalizer, the future Dave Sullivan in a non title match. And if Equalizer won, he'd get a title shot next week. Hey, guess who won? Finish saw Equalizer distract referee Larry Oliver, Rip's son. Regular referee Sandy Barr was injured. And Grappler came in and kicked Steve Dahl with his loaded boot to set next week's title match. Grappler then beat Sky in the body, not a babyface here, after throwing powder in his eyes. The match between Top Gun, Fidel Sierra back under the mask, and Brad Anderson, Zamp Hanser, never took place, and instead Brad wrestled John Rambo. Anderson was DQ printing Larry all over, and then he started hanging Rambo with his noose until Top Gun ran in to make the save. But instead of challenging Anderson to a match next week, Top Gun challenged the Grappler. Okay. And the finale saw Jimmy Jack Funk beat Doug Masters by DQ. During Funk's interview, he was talking about his father, Sandy Barr, and his flea market. And they said he would be, they said there'd be a special guest on Sunday at the flea market. They said he wasn't allowed to mention his name on TV, but his shirt would give everyone a hint. He was wearing a Beetlejuice shirt. So our bar is back home for Christmas. But the commission won't allow him to work here. Technically, it's not because of his rape charge or a sexual abuse convention. Although in reality, that is the reason. The commissioner refuses to license Barr because he lied on his license application when he said he had no prior convictions when he had a prior conviction. It is a legitimate reason to suspend someone, though. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, but it's also very convenient for them to suspend him, too. Yeah, I was about to say, how very commission. But you know what? Who's to say they even knew before? Yeah, but it's still, it's, it's, not, it's 1989, 1990. Like I, I can see a scenario where they had no idea until he got charged. Jen took the plea, and more digging the happened. Record. Yeah, yeah. I mean the the thing though is like so. <clears throat> going back just a hair though. Wow, that's a lot of stuff for one bit of television. Well, it's a ninety minute show. Yeah. Looks fun though, outside of you know, possible sovereignties and you know, 
person. It's Portland. It's a lot of the same guys. So I mean, yeah, yeah it's 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 going to be entertaining. Yeah, and was yeah. Grappler booking throughout '92? Pretty much, yeah. Wow, yeah. but just without I guess without Roddy's help, I'm guessing. Oh no, 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 yeah, that's long gone. Yeah. But it's still you can tell you can tell from the ninety angles though that it's not like Roddy was just the Booker and all but name, and it's not it's not like it's not like Lynn Denton was the Booker and name only in eighty nine. It's him and Piper working together because you can see there's a lot of similarities to how the TV is constructed here. And it's about saying I would have put a pass Lynn Denton to give Piper a call occasionally. Sure. Well, they were. In business together. Yeah, well, I was just about to say it's more than uh, call, more than call him. It's that his day job is working as a mechanic at Roddy's auto shop. Well, considering travel and all that. Yeah. Well, sure. All right, so we have an interesting story to close out this half of the show. Yeah, the first half of the show is everything but WCW. All right, let's go to Matt Watch. Take Judge Wapner and add violence to the courtroom. Along with Jesse Ventura, and you have the newest element of Crash TV for fall 1991. Genesis Entertainment's Grudge Match, designed for late afternoon and late night weekend slots, is in the marketplace for syndication. Ventura and former Learning the Rope star Lyle Alzado are the co-color commentators, along with play-by-play host Tim Brando of ESPN. According to Broadcasting Magazine, the game pits people with real-life feuds into physical combat. The pilot features a main event featuring Mr. T battling a boxing promoter who failed to get him his promised shot at former heavyweight champion Mike Tyson. The other two are undercar bouts, including two drunk college students battling over true, excuse me, two college students. They're not drunk, but who knows? They might have been battling over the sharing of vacation expenses. An engaged couple duking it out over who covers the replacement cost of a stolen VCR. <laughs> Among the weapons contestants can use are oversized boxing gloves, grease medicine balls, plates of spaghetti, chocolate pudding, fire extinguishers, and balloons full of vegetable oil. A scoring system will feature a CompuBoss computer to tally hits. A panel of celebrity judges will decide the winner and how the loser will pay off. Genesis is budgeting $120,000 per week to produce Grudge Match of 26 episodes scheduled in the first season with 26 repeats. Genesis sales executive Phil Oldman told Broadcasting Magazine that Grudge Match could expand to a daily half-hour show in 1992-93 if ratings and advertisers are strong enough. The syndicator is budgeting heavy for print and billboard promotions to tie into the series. One television executive who has seen an advanced screening of the pilot, but that's not to be named, told Matt Watch, it's hot. It's likely to be one of the biggest sellers among weekend shows at Nappy, a big TV program convention in New Orleans in mid-January. Genesis is hoping to have 60% of the country signed up for Grudge Match by the Nappy Convention. First year production costs will top $3 million. And Steve notes that the producers are trying to position Grudge Match as part of the companion hour with American Gladiators. Something tells Steve that this one will click. And my God did it. Well, there's one thing that foiled this <laughs> whole thing. Lyle Alzado's cancer. Yeah. Well, it's still... It was on it's still Jesse, happy. but yes. And without Tim Brando. Yeah. Yes. All right, Fix. Talk about the grudge match. How how big was like the pouring food on each other and stuff aspect by the time it made it to air? Because I mainly ah. remember the oversized boxing gloves. They had some pies. <laughs> because it's the nineties and you have to have well, pies. Well, it's three stooges. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. It, you know, a guy with his hand high behind his back swinging a foam bat at a lady with two foam bats. So basically, yeah, basically what you had is you had it was Steve Albert, Marv's brother, replacing Tim Brando. Michael Buffer. Yeah, Michael Buffer was the ring announcer. And then John Panette was the referee. Yeah, the comedian, John Panette was the referee. So um And it it looked great actually on a production value level. Yes. It looked great. And it they was put some money in. They put some money into it, but I mean there it, it didn't last. It did not last, but it was part of that companion. Yeah. It didn't get that companion to the gladiators. Yeah. yeah I, I, I I think it aired like that here. Yeah. It I think aired it aired like that in Jacksonville. It basically aired one season. So to yeah. speak, it, went, it was in the 91-92 season. Usually Saturdays on at about 12.30 on what is now the uh, local CBS affiliate, formerly independent, Channel 47. Yeah. So, yeah, I, know, I never watched it. I thought it was silly. So I don't oh, I, I was right in that perfect age range for, you know, oh, my God, is people being the crap out of each other with bullshit? <laughs> yeah. Up. Yeah, it just wasn't for me. But, uh, but, yeah, this was a thing, folks. And there is a video on YouTube. Uh, some of the stuff from the show. So yeah. you can go check that out there. I also just thought Are... that they paid for CompuBox. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, they paid Michael Buffer too. Although his asking price nineteen ninety is nowhere near what it what it is now. And to be fair, if you hand Michael Buffer enough money, he'll show up at your house. Well, you got to be unless you, if you have two hundred fifty thousand dollars, then he'll show up at your house. That's, yeah. how much, that's how much he gets paid. I know. It's been said, I'm just saying, do you have enough money? He'll show up at your house. I'm well, not also, saying Michael the, Buffer's a whore, but he's kind of a whore. The person we have to thank for that also is Bruce Buffer. Yeah. It's they meet. Bruce realizes that he has this long lost brother and it's the famous boxing announcer and he becomes his business manager. And like Bruce deserves all the credit in the world for this. He is the one that built that empire. Yeah. He is the one that came up with all the business strategy. Yeah. 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 Without Bruce Buffer, Michael Buffer does not appear in, you know, the Zohan. (laughs) Yeah. In a lot of ways he doesn't. And probably doesn't trademark. Let's get ready to rumble. Yeah, and then WCW doesn't pay him a ton of money, and like we're and we're all under Nazi rule. Amazing the things that can happen. <laughs> I guess so. All right, well that's it for the first half of the show. It's halftime, so that's some great nineteen ninety commercials. We'll come back. We'll talk about the Patreon show. We'll hit the plugs, and then we'll come back. Joe will rejoin us, and we go to WCW. Everybody. Star K90 and so much more. Loaded section. All that more after the break. Spaceships. Before you make that trip to Grandma's, before you unwrap those presents, treat your family to the hottest event of the holiday season. Star K90 Collision Course, live on pay-per-view. Witness the ultimate confrontation between Sting and the Black Scorpion. See the first ever tag team championship of the universe and much more. Order this unforgettable gift for the entire family. Star K90 Collision Course, a live pay-per-view spectacular, Sunday, December 16th. G'day. Terry Dean is not your typical angel. I'd like to explain about that weekend in Las Vegas with 
Rocky Franchetti's wife. And his mother-in-law. He's a bit unorthodox. Rose, could I take you out to dinner? You're weird, Terry. But he's an angel. Well, almost. All hope. Almost an angel. Rated PG. Starts Wednesday, December 19th at theaters everywhere. Anywhere Greyhound goes for just sixty-eight dollars uh -huh. or less. So listen up, cuz you don't miss the bus. Greyhound is sixty-eight or less. I used to have dandruff, so I tried Head and Shoulders. Then I tried Selsun Blue. Blue is better. Selsun Blue relieves dandruff flecking better than Head and Shoulders, and doctors recommend it more than Head and Shoulders, Danorex, and Tegrin. Blue is better. Selsun Blue. The markets are coming. Yes, and Mario is your only hope. Team up with him in Super Mario Land. Guide him on the Nintendo Game Boy. Challenge the mysteries and terrors of ancient Egypt. Battle all the horrors of the deep. Master lots of weird worlds to give Mario a happy ending and make your world a better place. Super Mario Land and other exciting games for Game Boy. Nintendo, now you're playing with power. Portable power. Introducing the new wrestling hotline. Tommy Schiavone, Matt Watts with Steve Beverly, Missy Hyatt, straight up with Sting, Lex Luger, the Jim Ross Report, Paul E. Dangerously, 1-900-909-9900, the wrestling hotline, your main line to the stars, $2 first minute, 45 cents each additional minute, kids 18 and under obtain your parents' permission before calling, 1-900-909-9900, dial Yes, and Mario is your only hope. Team up with him in Super Mario Land. Guide him on the Nintendo Game Boy. Challenge the mysteries and terrors of ancient Egypt. Battle all the horrors of the deep. Master lots of weird worlds to give Mario a happy ending and make your world a better place. Super Mario Land and other exciting games for Game Boy. Nintendo, now you're playing with power, portable power. New York's got some great Broadway plays, but L.A.'s got the magic. How do you do that? Magic happens, Patrick. The Lakers versus New York, Tuesday at 8 on TNT. Bigger than life. Tonight on TBS, meet Apple Annie. She gave her daughter a beautiful life and gave her friends a little luck. Now she needs more than just a little luck. She needs a miracle. Now this has got to be a complete overhaul, kids, from top to bottom. Glenn Ford, Anne Margaret, Peter Falk. Hallelujah. And Betty Davis. A Christmas to Remember continues with Pocket Full of Miracles. 8.05 Eastern on TBS tonight. All right, we're back. I hope you enjoyed all those great 1990 commercials as we're 15 and a half times 7 to show. And yes, we're talking about Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And yes, the show is out. By the time you hear this, part two, and final part of our look at John Collins' main event championship wrestling with Bo James, Ryan Shotgun with us. And um, it's quite the show, to say the least, as we talked about last week um, in the halftime segment. Uh, 
a lengthy show, but a very educational show in many ways. It's not just about John Collins and his full insanity and main event championship wrestling, but also Bo James gives quite the lesson on how to promote towns. So uh, if you ever were interested in in how you know these independent wrestling promoters do their business and get hooked up in towns, that's a discussion for you. And uh, yes, it's just tremendous stuff all the way around. Uh, John Collins is basically mental breakdown uh, goes on. We talk about that um, going broke. We talk about that. We talk about who's who was the money uh, behind John Collins and. There's so much more. Pissing off talent, left and right, burning bridges, killing towns, just about. I mean, it's a lot of lot of stories here. It's um, hard to believe sometimes, but it's the wrestling business. And it's very, very entertaining. One of the best shows we've ever done. Yes. And uh, I say that, I'm, uh, some people may say, I think I say that a lot, but it's been kind of true. <laughs> we I can't help it. We've been putting out great content lately. So uh not to pat myself on the back or picks, but uh hey, it is what it is. Yes. Um so much stuff. John Collins hopping on a four way conference call with Dave Shearer, Bob Ryder, and Todd Gordon, where he just starts beating himself up and making excuses and putting people on hold. You have to you have to hear the actual quotes to really uh get the full extent of it, harassing a message board poster on AOL Instant Messenger, exactly who the backer was, the trouble the backer was in before people even heard about MLW publicly, and then how, as many people forget and we have the details, even though people remember John Collins went to, you know, or at least did federal time or was convicted federally or something, people forget it was over this. It was not an unrelated venture. And we'll talk about that in detail, um, you know, further fallout with his weird attempted territory model, how things went to hell. Just what did we figure out it was like two and a half weeks after the ECW arena show, I believe? It's basically started the week after. Yes. Yeah, it basically started the week after the show. <laughs> yeah. Money issues, airline ticket issues. Blaming Paul Heyman for airline ticket issues. Just well, let's not go too. Yeah, no, no, I'm no, just we. I'm just giving the beginning of it. That's all I'm saying. Yes, just yes, all sorts of insanity. Paul Heyman. At the, we've done so many shows with Paul Heyman. Yeah, he still found a way. His name, and not no fault of his own. Oh, on a show he found, had nothing to do with. Found a way to be talked about in one of our, our Patreon shows. So yes, and also you get to hear us go back and forth over the course of several hours trying to figure out what. Just the degree to which John Collins may or may not be a patsy. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, $5 a month gets you access to that and all the other shows that we have done in our five plus years of the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Trudy Sheets. Well worth your money. Yes. And you keep forgetting to get into the swing of things to add, though. Remember now, we also have the uh, annual billing option where you can uh, save close to 10 bucks over the year by paying for a year in advance for the 16% discount, so $50.40. I'll just throw that to you every time, because I sure as hell ain't going to remember all that. (laughs) Well, yes, and, uh, oh, also for people who have always kind of been like, oh, do I wait till the beginning of the month, whatever, uh, I don't know if they've said much about this outside of emails they've sent to, you know, Patreon creators so far, but Patreon is adding 
like I think they called it hybrid billing at the beginning of the year, which will be it was it was something like you can join something or at the beginning of the month, then something in the middle of the month. But if you want them to be both on the same day, it'll get the second one will get prorated. So they're they're making things a little bit friendlier overall in terms of the billing and all that. Well, that's nice. Nice of them to do that. So um, you can take advantage of that. All right. Uh, Dollar Month gets you access to the Discord thanks to this segment. Uh, $25 allows you to pick a show for the week. Now make sure you pick a show that we haven't done already. And if it, we have done it, make sure you have backup choice handy. And that also helps out as well. Somebody may have your wheat picked. So yeah, have two shows in mind and uh, get with us on that and see uh, if it'll work out. Date-wise, of course, um, you know, with the calendar. And also, uh, if anything conflicts with any previous shows we've done, uh, get that in before 30 days. Uh, 10-year rule in effect, Wednesday to Tuesday, all that good stuff. All the protocol on the Patreon website to get that information to us. $50 allows you to send in for a segment of the show. And 100 for the whole show, as Joe Blair is doing this week, if you so choose. So patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, Bix, who do I think this week is our new and or returning patron? All right, we've just got a few since it's that time of the month, so we would like to thank yeah, the show. Yeah, by the time we're recording this, the show hadn't come out yet. Yes. So we would like to thank Brandon Vandeman. Thanks, Brandon. I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, what else do we have here? Uh, Jason Jason Schmidt uh, converted from the regular month five dollars a month to the fifty forty a year. There you go, thank you, Jason. And I don't know why the amount is slightly different here, but JRH uh, signed up at for fifty sixty one a year. Oh well, okay. Thank you, JRH. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he just added a little bit in or whatever, but thank you. Yes, so. Those are the new Endor returning patrons for this week. And of course, as always, we thank everyone, those of, especially those of you who have been here from the very beginning. That's right. The beginning that's come along the way and everybody that's part of our Patreon. And if you've left us, come back. Believe me, you'll uh, you want you want to be part of it at patreon.com slash between the sheets. Yes. Not everyone is like Joe Sposto and too busy with the words account to forget to ever cancel. <laughs> Well, we don't want people to cancel. I'm kidding. So. I know. We don't. But. All right. Uh, IWTV, Bix. Uh, there's a new action wrestling show up there, Bangers Only 2, which just came out. And uh, had quite the lineup on that show. Uh, Angelus Lane and Tank. Um, Eric Roy and Dan Macabe was on that show. So... Uh, Stack show, a lot of other stuff going on there too. So Anthony Henry, AC Mac, uh, setting up AC title Mac. shots for them. That's right. Well, yeah, IWTV so. title shots, I should say. Yeah. So everybody goes check that out. But uh, what else has caught your eye? So besides that, which oh, also Kevin Koo versus Brett Eisen among the matches on that show. Yeah. Plus, plus a Brogan Finley appearance as well. Yeah. I zoomed in to read the text a little closer, and then it wasn't adjusting for me. There we go. All right, and to refresh it, and then the other thing, main thing that caught my eye, that caught my eye, 
Balsharan. Yes, came out shortly before we recorded this, so I've not gotten to watch it yet, even though it's pretty short. I think it's under 10 minutes, but the first episode of our dear friend John Philip Havage's This Is Deathmatch documentary series is up now. So another new documentary series from the great John Philip Havage. Yes, indeed. Looking forward to that one, along with his... uh, He does, you know, the editing and a lot of the post work on... I don't know if it's all of the uh, the life of episodes, but definitely a lot of them. Yeah. So he always does good work. And, you know, of course, if people want to check out Barbed Wire City, his ECW documentary, they can check that out on with our other friends who don't have referrals, but still at the High Spots Wrestling Network. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Or, or I th- there may still be, like, regular a la carte, you know, rentals and streaming somewhere, but I'm not sure. But that's the main place to see it these days. But yes, on IWTV, those are the main things that popped up that caught my eye this week as far as new additions. And then as I look at the schedule real quick, at least the weekend we're recording this. Um, God, there's so much each weekend, weekend now. It's almost hard to remember or keep track of. For You know, you've got a... Uh, there's an H2O show. There's a freelance show. There's... Oh, PWX is back on IWTV. Well, there you go. They they have a show uh, that would have been the Saturday by the time this comes out. And uh, let's see what we've got here. Anything of note? Oh, Anthony Henry versus Alex Zane. J.D. Drake versus Davey Richards. Shug D versus Ethan Case. And uh, Besties in the World versus Revolt. Eh, interesting looking show there. And good to, good to see them back. Well, it says, I think it's a long way to debut, but they had briefly been on IWTV previously, hadn't they? I only remember them being on high spots. I did so. too, but I could have sworn they had been on IWTV briefly, but definitely the first I mean, live stream they've it. done. So that that that'll that should be up on demand by the time you hear this. Also our dear friends at AIW also had a Saturday night show occurring simultaneous to that one. This one is we had a few hits a few years ago. With the featured match being the return, or one of the featured matches being the return of all you go, Ethan Page against who else but Swoggle? Of course. So. Yeah, Swoggle. Goes Swoggle in an AIW match needs to be like the new, you guessed it, Frank Stallone. <laughs> um, just checking, what else? Real quick. Oh, ladder match with PME, uh, defending the titles against. The Rip City Shooters. Uh, oh, Ziggy Aim versus Bill Alfonso is on the show, which would be interesting uh, since Bill Alfonso is willing to do all the same Bill Alfonso things. And let's just say Ziggy Haim is a much better wrestler than Beulah was. Ah, <laughs> oh, come on now. Yes, yes. Ziggy, Ziggy Haim, of course, one of the finest wrestlers on the indie scene right now, if just for one of her signature moves being the Mazel Tov cocktail. Well, of course, that's going to catch your eye. <laughs> but anyway, all that on IWTV. If you sign up, use coo- well, I almost said coupon code code BTS Pod to give us our little referral bonus as long as you're a paid subscriber. So, all of this, of course, in the show descriptions, as always, show notes, whatever you want to call it. I feel like most apps are calling them show notes now, but you get the idea. All right, uh, Viper VPN Dix. Uh, we have uh, some stuff to talk about with there, don't we? Yeah, so thank you, first of all, to Mike Campbell for giving us the heads up on this. Um, They are doing what they are calling price testing through at least the end of the month. 
And the three-year deal that we hype the most is not available right now. Um, obviously, if you want to check it out still, and we're only wanting to do month-to-month anyway, everything else we said still applies. tinyurl.com slash btsvpn for a very, still a very good deal on a very, very good VPN that, uh, you know, they have an Android TV app, they have very good speeds, you know, they have, uh, various different plans, you know, monthly and annual, um, we, in case things change, or even for the next few weeks, we were thinking about seeing if there's something else we should add in as far as another VPN, at least one that I've tried, even if, and know is good, even if it's not one I've subscri- I'm subscribing to actively. So we'll, we'll see about that. But as of right now, the main deal that we hype up, which was also, you know, the best paying one to us is not available. So we'll see. Hopefully uh, that one comes back, but. If you still want to check them out, it's still an excellent VPN service. So tinyurl.com slash btsvpn, which I'm not sure when this started, but that may explain why I noticed that our referrals were down. Probably. Probably a correlation. Yeah, I don't know if it started at the beginning of the month or sooner or whatever, but there you go. Because, I mean, as we've said before, we've been open about it. Like, on those $60 referrals, they were giving us 45 so it was a very nice arrangement to have, and hopefully it comes back. Yeah. All right. Uh, plug time. Uh, Podcast-wise, uh, nothing new right now, but we'll be recording a new episode of Exile on Bash Street as we go back to the wild side, take a walk on the wild side, and we're going to... Uh, Definitely talk about Jimmy Rave a lot on that show. You know, we talked about it at the beginning of this show, talking about his uh, tragic passing, and uh, we'll talk a whole lot more about him on that show. The show's dedicated to Jimmy Rave, so we'll definitely be talking a lot about him there. So be on the lookout for that uh, as the new year rolls in. Uh, next week on Between the Sheets, though, we go back to 1996, and it'll just be me and Bix on this show since we're recording the week of Christmas. And there's a lot of fun stuff to talk about on there. Big plug at the end of the show, but we'll talk about Andre the Giant making basically his real last babyface appearance on WF television. Up until, you know, I don't count 1991. But, uh, yeah, we'll talk about that as he goes into the snake pit. We'll talk about uh, other plans, other things going on as we got Christmas week shows in WF, some interesting uh, attendances and gates to talk about especially. We have all the big Christmas night shows in the territories. Some were successful, some not so successful. Especially you, world class. Boy, we got a lot to talk about there. And we got a lot of great clips as well from the various territories. We got some Japan stuff to talk about, a little more international from different places. And we got a Jim Crocker Promotions to talk about, where, of course, we'll have great clips from there. And we'll talk about what's really going on in the state of Florida with jcp so should be a very interesting show all that more next week on between the sheets all right you can follow me on twitter at chris zelna k-r-i-s-z-e-l-o-n-e-r show proper at bt sheets pod bix at david bix and uh nothing for you this week bix you kind of laying low right now yeah the uh mensch warmers appearance got rescheduled due to some kind of scheduling conflict so that that'll probably happen after the new, new year 
The Minch Warmers. I still love that name. Yes, you do. So, uh, hilarious. All right, well, if that's it, let's get back to the rest of the show. It's hard to believe that the second half of the show starts with the last section of the show. (laughs) But that's how this show ends up this week. One of those rarities. But, yes, let's end the show with WCF, everybody. One of the very early instances we can say that because the official change that took place at the 1st of December from the NWA to WCW. So, uh, yeah. Well, the the on-screen name change. They had been WCW since very early 89, corporately. Mm -hmm. I go by TV. You know that. When I do results, I do not... I do not list it as WCW until December the 1st. So that's, it's always NWA until then. All right. There's no official word about the NWA booking job. So Dave even says in the NWA. Uh, as of right now, those in charge insist that not, not, not only will want to be Dusty Rhodes, but that nobody's even taught with him. Virtually every wrestler in the company still believes it will be Dusty Rhodes. Although, again, this could simply be the original rumor feeding upon itself or could be factual. As mentioned previously, until Dusty Rhodes is done with Titan Sports on January 20th, for legal reasons having to do with tampering laws, CW can't acknowledge talking to Rhodes about the position. So they do the next best thing. They install one of his top protégés, Barry Windham, as the booker. Mm -hmm. In the the meantime, between Ole Anderson's firing and Dusty's hiring. Yeah. Although I don't think that's ever actually reported at the time, is it? Never reported. Never reported in any of the newsletters. But it was reported that Ole was gone, right? Reported that Ole was gone, but they never said who was who replaced him, who was that's, who was in charge. That's very weird when you think about it. It never came out till Barry mentioned him in shoot interviews. Yeah. Well, as we've learned, if you want someone to do something counterfeit, go find a <laughs> Mulligan Wyndham. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. But um, yeah, Barry. Well, Barry wasn't caught up in that. Barry, <laughs> Barry is getting everything set up, you know, basically for Dusty and ways, get you know, getting everything ready. So, uh, yeah, it, it is interesting. That's one. Of the, that's that's one of the big mysteries of, of the newsletters of this era is none of the newsletters even speculated on who was actually running the show while Oli was fired until Dusty's hired. That'd be a major story. Let's try to figure out who's doing this. Okay, so for the record, okay, I pulled up the Observer Index to get a quick look at this. So the Observer dated November 26th, so covering the previous week or a little longer, more or less, includes Dusty Rhodes gives notice to to WWF, Ole Anderson's job near end. Two weeks later, the cover dated... December 10th, top story, Ole Anderson dumped his NWA booker, rumors of, of Rhodes' return. And then the 17th is NWA booker rumor mill, and nothing at least in the 24th, which is 24th and January 8th, which I guess is where the bulk of this show is from. And yeah, the 8th has Dusty Rhodes most likely as new booker, but yeah, there's nothing... So he is out, and it's reported as out by this, and is reported as being gone by this time. Although, without checking the actual stories, did they say he was done effective immediately, or did they say he was le- he was leaving the post? 
He's fired. Okay, let me pull. I'm curious to see that issue now, but you, you keep going while I look that up. I'm curious exactly how it phrases it. I said he was fired. <laughs> well, I was about to say, and well, wait I a second. No, but effective going. immediately. I mean, does it explicitly say that? That's what I'm trying to figure out. I don't think it matters. I think That's I mean, it's, it's fired. fired <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out why this ne is never why there's no speculation and no mention of Barry. That's what I can't figure out. I was about to say, it's probably because they think the committee is basically steering the ship until a new head is installed. Or they think of Jim Hurd's running it. Oh, Which, Lord. you know, he kind of kind of basically was. Oh, yeah. All right, Star K-9. By the way, Chris, why so, didn't you move when he, when he, with the steering committee reference? Uh, That's your bit. Star, Star K-90 <laughs> took place in St. Louis on December 16th. And the live crowd was 6357 pay with a gate of 93425 with about 7200 total in the building or a few hundred shy of what the building was set up to hold. Kilo Auditorium holds 10,700, 10, but with TV equipment, it was blocked down to about 8,000 seats. Must have been a great show live because from those who were there live, similar to the Chicago pay-per-view, Halloween Havoc 90, the response was 31 to 1. Thumbs up. They thought the show was good, not great or anything, but watchable, entertaining to the last match. He understands why it was bad, but it was still real bad. That is a weird sentence. He thought the show was good, not great or anything, but watchable, entertaining to the last match. I understand why it was bad, but it was still real bad. I think maybe he's meaning the main event. He probably should have yeah. emphasized he's talking about the main event. Because it sounds like he's talking about the show in general. And he I just think said it was so. good. Truly <laughs> one of the great lines in Davisms. Yes, Dave. Writing, that's for sure. All right, the show started over oh, a warm-up match. Chris, yeah. here is what the Torch said, not the Torch, what the Observer says on the December 10th issue, specifically about who's doing the booking now, okay? For uh, the present time, so this is, this is the issue before Moses, or a lot of the stuff we're covering in this week. For the present time, the booking is being done by Jim Ross, Tony Schiavone, Kevin Sullivan, and Ric Flair. Sullivan and Flair are handling the crews on the respective towns as road agents. That's not true! Well, let me just finish what he says here. Uh, this committee situation is only temporary until the new booker is brought in. Well, most seem to think this is just a formality, since Anderson wouldn't have been fired without a replacement in mind, and the fact that no replacement has even been mentioned leads everyone to believe it is Rhodes. After all, why would he quit the WWF if he didn't have another position locked up? And there's been talk that while Rhodes is certainly the leading candidate, it this still isn't totally locked up. The name Terry Funk continues to be mentioned, and even Ken Mantell, but Rhodes is surely the favorite. So nothing about Barry. Wow, that sounds gross, the idea of Ken, Ken Mantell booking WCW. Ugh. So, has anyone, I mean, not that I don't believe Barry, he seems fairly truthful, but has anyone else backed this up, Chris? I mean, why would he lie about that? I mean, that's not something that I would be willing to be touting. Oh, I was interim <laughs> booker for a month. Right. That's not a big deal. I mean, there are some people who would do that, but I don't think that's one of his things, considering, as stated on previous episodes, he was gunning for this job for how long? Uh, we're going on almost two years. At yeah. Least. So if you're gunning for a job for two years, you're not going to be the person go. So I finally got the job for a month before they brought in Dusty and we started making movies. Yeah, that seems relatively factual. Well, I found Barry Windham 
talking about this on the 1991 timeline with Sean Oliver on Kayfabe Commentaries. I found the clip. So let's hear what Barry Windham has to say here about being the booker of WCW. Yes, and for anyone who wants to check out the whole interview, I believe it should be available uh, on the High Spots Wrestling Network. Yes, I was going to say, of our good friends at High Spots, uh, High Spots Wrestling Network. Uh, Welcome with open arms by everybody? I'd imagine not. How about Dusty? Well, for the most part, uh, I mean, here's something that you didn't know. In between the the interim of of Ole being there and Dusty coming, I was I was booking the company. I didn't know that. I, I was I was in the office and just really waiting on Dusty to get there. Uh, Dusty was doing the polka dot thing with with Vince, and uh, I had just come from there. I was at the Widowmaker, and and family issues came up, and uh, I ended up working back for WCW. But uh, it's uh, I, I think it worked out for the best. I mean. Uh, uh, a lot of guys don't like Dusty and 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 didn't like the, the way that he booked, but you know he was successful, so that's what I always look at. Were people's biggest contention with Dusty the fact that he was a performer on top and the booker? Absolutely, conflict of interest. Absolutely. How would you handle, you said you had the book, so how would you handle that yourself? You were an on-camera talent, but also a booker. Would you purposely keep yourself out of main events? Yeah, I, I did while I was there doing it, which was, I mean, it was just, it was probably five months. But, yeah, I, I just, I kept myself uh, actually off a lot of shows just, just so that I could uh, run the company. But... Uh, that's just my interpretation of it. Now, wrestler memory, five months, yes. But it it does make you wonder. I'll tell you why. What Barry's probably thinking about is, you know, from the first, second half of 1990, Barry Wyndham is not in anything prominent other than cutting his hair and playing fake stink. How we have in 90. He doesn't do anything until what we're getting into. We're taking Flair's spot in the feud with Doom, Team with Art. Right. As advertised, he's not on this pay-per-view. Yeah, he's not, well, he doesn't work Halloween Havoc. Nope. Either. He doesn't work at Clash. But he wasn't the booker yet for either of those. Well, that we, well, you know, that's it. It's very interesting. It, it It's very interesting. I, it makes me wonder. If Ole was really gone before people knew he was gone exactly or if Ole may have had booking power taken from him before we knew it and he was just there in title you know it's is who knows but it is that, that adds up with what barry's saying about not being a push guy but anyway i mean it's timelines time he could have his timelines mixed up he couldn't be adding them both together but I don't believe he's lying at all. I believe no. he was And it makes sense that he would be the guy to of everybody of anybody there. If you're gonna bring Dusty in, who are you gonna have to set the table for him? Barry. Barry Wyndham. Yeah. I and, and the thing and what you said that Dave reported makes absolutely no fucking sense. Do you think that Ric Flair 
was going to be involved in booking again with Jim Hurd? Well, also, do you th- <clears throat> do you think that Ric Flair a road would agent? be agenting? Yes. That's what I'm saying. Are, are you crazy right now? It's, that's asinine. That sounds like you know what that sounds like. That sounds like somebody telling Dave that the throat to keep him off the scent. Okay. okay, so I'm looking at the clashes. So he works the June 13th clash against Doug Furness. Yes. Teams with Arn against the Renegade Warriors of all people in January after Dusty comes back. So he is not outside of Starcade, where I'm sure that it was always going to be that he'd replace Flair here. Mm-hmm. But between, so that would be, so how many, there's only one clash in the interim? Or two? September. September clash and the November clash. Okay. So, He's a so after tr- the He's summer, so I'm saying after the summer, he is not advertised for any major shows until, he's not on any major shows other than Starcade until Dusty comes back, and he's not advertised for any major shows until Dusty comes back. And as I say, I don't even think he was working that many house shows. He was. I mean, he was working. I mean, he was, he subbed for Sid when Sid got hurt. Um... A couple of times, um, but but Barry was subbed out. There's a lot of sub Holly Race subbing for Barry in September, um, and then Barry does not work a match. All right, let me let me so let me get yeah, this I just right. Pulled here. up wrestling data. Wrestling data has nothing for him. <clears throat> period. Match wise. From September. August 29th, he suffered a hyperextended right knee and a few broken toes in Rome, Georgia, on August 29th. And then he doesn't wrestle again until December. Yeah. Huh. So here's the thing. He may have been working in the office, but he may not have been the head booker. Which also makes me think, well, because Chris... What's September through when Dusty comes in? Almost five months. Mm-hmm. Yep. And also, Starcade was his first match back. Mm-hmm. And then he doesn't wrestle again until Christmas. Mm-hmm. So, this isn't even just wrestling. It doesn't seem like this is even just wrestler memory as far as the five-month thing. He's probably just doing other work in the office at a minimum, I would think. Yeah. He's probably a, he's probably Oli's assistant booker, you know. Yeah, very possible. Yeah. So there we go. So when we've uh, uns, uh, un, unsolved that, we've solved that unsolved mystery, I guess, so to speak. So there you go. How about that, folks? There it is. Live detective work. Yes. We're like those YouTube investigators that's finding all these um, cars and bones of missing people and bodies of water these days. That's crazy. Yeah. Isn't that Dom's job as the bone collector? <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> all right, so let's get back to Starcade. The show started with a warm-up match with Wild Bill Irwin beating T.C. Carter. That's a guy who worked in that area for years. Uh, said to be a quarter of a star match. Then Sam Muchnick, who promoted wrestling in St. Louis for 37 years and on a local basis, managed to maintain more respect within his community than probably any wrestling promoter in this country was ever able to do, welcomed the crowd to this event. While this meant nothing nationally, it was evident that Muchnick has remained very popular in St. Louis, even nearly nine years after he promoted his last card. 
But there was a feeling from here that he was out of place because the concepts of wrestling that much that promoted. It's not to say the style, anything else that goes on in the ring. Dave's just talking promoting concepts are 100% at odds with the concepts of world championship wrestling. That's very true. Mm-hmm. But, Dix, where's Jim Hurd from? That would be St. Louis, Missouri. What was Jim Hurd's most famous job in wrestling? Up to before he joined oh, NWA. Well, probably his only job in wrestling before this. That would be some kind of floor director job, allegedly, on Wrestling at the Chase. Who promoted Wrestling at the Chase? That would be Sam Mushnick. There you go. The, you know, this show was originally supposed to take place in St. Petersburg at the Bayfront Center. It was reported forever, never, never. And then it was changed because Heard wanted to do this show uh, for Sam Muchnick. Well, because also he was always kind of trying to impress Sam Mushnick as well. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and Dave, what Dave said about Sam and his, uh, you know, standing. I mean, really the closest other main promoter to that would be Paul Bosch. As far as the community and his standing in the community. As best saying, some of Jim Burnett uh, for a while there. (laughs) Not in the same way. No. <laughs> he had other he had other uh, things in his community that he was known for. <laughs> but oh uh, but but I mean Don Owen I guess could be up there too. But really, it's much like in Bosch. Uh, I was about to say a pre everything falls apart. Fritz. I was gonna say I was gonna say more Dory Senior and Eddie Graham in a certain way too. Eddie Graham definitely because he did all charity work. Oh gosh, say, and he learned that from I, Dory Senior. Yeah, he learned that from Doris Senior. Eddie Graham's always, you know, they're always talking about the charity stuff on TV. And yes, absolutely, you're right. I was about to say, there's still a generation of people in Florida that will tell you about Eddie Graham and well, what he a, meant. He's a legend. Yeah. In many ways. The boys' ranches are still a big thing. Oh, absolutely, yes. All right, so the main show starts with Bobby Eaton being the Z-Man when Inside Cradle on 845. Started slow and actually had problems early. But once they got into the rhythm, it turned into a very good opening match. The highlight was Z-Man suplexing Eaton onto the ramp, then diving over the top rope with a cross-body block as Eaton was outside the ring on the ramp. Eaton came off the top rope, but Zink caught him with a super kick. Then Zink missed a drop kick off the top rope. Eaton pinned him. Z-Man was acknowledged as TV champion because Dave believes the match airs this coming weekend, and this win sets Eaton up for the TV title matches with Z-Man in the future. Three stars. I tell you what, one of the underrated... Uh, Underrated things about um, WCW at this time, from like December 90, January 91, February 91, is this whole whole rivalry over the TV title between Arn, Z-Man, Eaton, and Terry Taylor. Mm-hmm. It's like they're wrestling each other on and off every week on TV and having really good TV matches. Yeah. I mean, it was basically how they built main event and Saturday night around those. Well, it made the TV titles seem really important. It did. That these guys were, you know, having these fights about it. It's why Taylor turned heel because of his jealousy over it and everything. I mean, really, really good stuff at this time. We were on a TV title. And they did kind of need to rebuild it a little bit because the way Muda was presented towards the end, I think, devalued that title a bit and then arm wins the title and it's kind of forgotten because arm was team with Oling, then arm got hurt 
And then Arn comes back from his injury. He's still the champion, but there, I mean, there's nothing happening. There's nothing happening. There's no real feud. And then they they start this stuff up, and it really kicks it up it's after Ole leaves. So funny how that worked out. Yeah. Well, Ole's also the same guy who at one time in George Chancha Preston there was no champions. Every title was vacant. Ugh, so. <laughs> I mean, the Samoans that left as national champions, those titles are vacant. Uh, the national TV title had been vacated for a while. Larry Zabisco had stripped of the national heavyweight title. So, yeah, I mean, Ole's Ole. All right, so the f- first match of the Pat O'Connor Memorial Cup tag term. Of course, Pat O'Connor was uh, the promoter in St. Louis as well with the with that group and a legend in the area. So, of course, he's going to be honored too. Yes, but they're honoring him more as a wrestler than as a coach. Yeah, but he's an yeah. a, a, a area legend, though. Yes, yes. Yeah. And a former world, NWA world champion. Yeah. So... Uh, the first match of the Pat O'Connor Memorial Tag Tournament saw the Steiner Brothers beating Sergeant Kruger, Ray Apollo, and Colonel DeClerc, Ted Petty, Rocco Rock, the South African team. Who, um, DeClerc tried to Jushin Riger dive over the top rope with a flip in midair, but Rick took one step back so as to not sell the move and caught him just enough to break the fall so he didn't break his neck and started laughing. Shortly afterwards, Scott built a tilt a world slam on the clerk and pinned him with a Frankensteiner in 212, star and a quarter. I'm trying uh, to cue it up now, but my big memory from this match is always the demented grin on Rick Steiner's face when he just lets Ted, poor Ted Petty splat. <laughs> Rick Steiner was never happier than he was at that moment. Of course not. That is the most gleeful I've ever seen either Steiner and being completely unprofessional. You're just like, look at him. He almost died. Yeah, he didn't look cool. like he was having that much fun during the Fujinami and Azuka match. Also, he just, as I'm skipping through this, he just killed Ted Petty with Steiner line. Killed everyone with the Steiner line. You got it yet? Let's see. I mean, it's a short match. Actually, wait, or was that Apollo? Oh, it was Apollo, it wasn't yet yeah, now. Here's Ted Petty. All right, let's get here we go. All right. Okay. Sound on. Wow! Spinning Savat kick. kick. He's going for something. Oh my! He's caught him! He went through the air, a 360, but he was caught by Rick Steiner in midair. But he had his back sergeant and now the south africans have rick steiner down but what kind of damage was done to the colonel he just smiles he lets this poor dude splat on the floor i was about to say he must have called this right and then i realized well he's a guy who's pretty much just been working indies as a guy who uses owning a ring to get on the show for the most well actually wait he had the new japan tour that year right yeah so he did have that but other than that, it's like he is kind of an untrained, you know, indie guy. So I was about to say. I, I can see a possibility where he did not exactly call that spot in a proper way, I guess. I was about to say, he could have called it. Didn't mean Rick Steiner was going to let it happen. Well, that too. Yeah. But, you know, that's, 
that's the moment everyone remembers from this match, pretty much. But, you know. God, Scott was yoked to shit back in the day, too. Yes. Yes. Is this going to be the Frankensteiner? Yes, it is. Yep. I also love Scott Steiner's dedication to landing on his own head doing his signature moves. (laughs) Yeah. So. All right, next match, Conan. And Dave spells it correctly, K-O-N-N-A-N. And Dave said that's how he spells it, and he should know. And Ribasterio Sr. from Mexico defeated Chris Adams and Norman Smiley, built as a team from England. This is a unique match, since all four have totally different conflicting abilities, but all are good workers within their style. However, two unfortunate things took place just prior to the match. Sometime in the past two weeks, Adam suffered a few broken ribs. Dave's not sure if it was in or out of the ring, but he was working injured. And then on Thursday night in Raw, North Carolina, Conan blew out his knee. So I had that knee injury earlier. Stretch ligaments, doctor's orders, was to keep weight off his knee for at least a month and not wrestle for three months. But since this was his big chance, he gutted his way through it. But obviously neither was anywhere close to 100%. Mass was disjointed because of style conflicts. But also had good moves. Conan pinned Smiley with a combination of a dragon sleeper and a superplex, which is one of his trademark suplexes, and 529. At the finish, Mysterio tried to dive out of the ring on Adams, but Adams was there to catch him, and he spotted himself all over the ring steps, star and a half. Okay. Um, first thing I'll say is, I think, especially for a six-minute match, he's kind of underrating this because, especially given that Smiley had never done Lucha before, this is the match that leads to Conan getting him booked in Mexico. When you consider that, and that Adams, though he had done Lucha, it had been years, I thought they worked really well together and basically just had a Lucha match. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And this, is, this is honestly, it's the first fall of a Lucha match, but this is really more of a pure Lucha Libre match than anything that ever happened on Nitro. Yeah. The way it's worked. Now, the other thing I want to bring up that I feel like is the big story of this match that it's not actually mentioned here, though, is the introduction of the British team and how the crowd reacts. So we'll play that quick, and then also I think I'll see if we can jump to the finish, maybe with sound off to see uh, Racy and your splat. In the ring. And ladies and gentlemen, the following contest in the Pat O'Connor Memorial Tag Team Tournament. Introducing first in this one fall 20-minute time limit event. Representing Great Britain. First, total combined weight, 462 pounds from Antigua in the West Indies, Norman Smiley. His tag team partner from Stratford on Avon, England, gentleman Chris Adams. Let's take a look at our Starcade stat. We're having the great ovation for this uh, duo. He gets a bigger reaction than any of the non WCW guys, other than Muda, pretty much. Well, he's been all over television. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's the of Austin. Well, that too. And he had wrestled in St. Louis plenty in the later days of the St. Louis Wrestling Club. Yeah, but the, but the Austin thing was all over TV. Yes. And, and, and I'm sure they were getting the syndicated television from Dallas. And yeah. also, this also goes to show, because the crowd doesn't realize it's him until... Some You can hear some of the crowd realizing it when Capetta says from Stratford on Avon, England. And then you hear the rest, the rest of the crowd doesn't realize it until his name is said. They did a terrible job of giving 
the fans any idea who was in this tournament. They didn't tell, oh, yeah. they, you didn't know who was in it until you saw the – I mean, other than the African team. Well, that – and they had some ads, but it's not like they showed any footage. No, but I think – I mean, they said Steiners for U.S. I think they did advertise Aido and Muda for Japan. They did. For, yeah, the people that had been there, yes. And the Russians. But they never said any names, but of course they were They Russians, said they were so. going to have, like, Olympic Russians or something. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. It's, also, by the way, can we all just talk about how good Norman Smiley Strip is in this match? Oh, just yeah. Well, smoking jacket alone. Well, look at Ray Mysteric and Conan here. <laughs> oh, that is. That Ray is, Mysteric. And a meme is born. <laughs> They're Ray Mysteric. Yes. Number yeah, four. Yeah, quickest yeah. team in tourney. Wrestling style very unique. Could be the surprise of the tournament. They kept that going. I'm more upset by the lack of Starcade stats on the long haul. I I, I mean I I'll, I remember one Adams get signed. I was hoping he's gonna be in WCW. He looks friggin' fantastic in this match. And that's what, oh, what yeah. I'm trying to queue up now. When he tags in He's in really good shape. The sequence he's about to work, you'll see, gets one of the biggest pops of the whole show. Free obviously is not bilingual. Obviously. I think that they are speak enough broken English to adhere to the commands. They're very clear. The officials went over the rules. So it's Adams and Ray Senior. In the locker room area. Right hand. Caught Chris Adams looking there. You don't want to trade karate with Chris Adams. He's a black belt. Adams buries the knee into the midsection. Of Rey Mysterio. Wow. And there's a superkick we were telling you about in our Starcade stamp. A dynamic offensive move by gentleman Chris Adams. But well, watch out behind you. That war walk into the super kick is my favorite spot on the whole show. Yeah, nobody did like Chris Adams. Yes, and also something that people forget though, and you really notice when you start watching his matches. Yes, are the guys today doing more super kicks for matches? Absolutely. But a lot of the time, he did not use it as a finish. Yeah. No, not all the time. No, it was, a lot of the time it was a move he did for a pop in the middle of the match. Yeah, it's like the super kick as a strike is very much the modern a modern convenience. But my God, the extension is so just, it's pretty. Also, you you can tell... The, running the wrestling school has made him a better worker too. Oh yeah, because overall, yeah. the way he fires up and the facials off of uh the sort of half slap half punch that Ray Senior gives him, mm -hmm. I don't remember him doing that like slow burn in Dallas kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like, like he's really milking that. Like you can tell it's a guy who has been teaching classes on how to sell and how to make moments important. Well, I was about to say, you can uh, not, uh, you know, kind of put over people, you know, on this, but you, you can see that with Jaden, my trainer, Jaden Newman. From the time before he was running a school to now is a world of difference. It seems like it helped to Danielson, too. Go ahead. Yeah, because you have to, you know, you're running these basics, you're running these fundamentals with people, you're going to have to get better. Just by repetition. Jesus. Well, right. we didn't really see it. Yeah, let me do it. <laughs> they, 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 they didn't Norman focus on the camera. Bad way on the top rope. 
Conan's got him. Oh! Reverse suplex by Conan on Norman Smiley. Very unorthodox move. Bridging back. One, two. He and, got him. And he got him. With, he, yes, he did. We've got a winner. The Mexicans advance. Oh! Oh, that sounded bad. Ladies and gentlemen, yeah. the winners of the match. The and you can tell from where they find him when they show him on the floor that, yeah, he went face first into the steps. He, you know what? I don't think that's even Adam's fault, though. I mean, you oh. can tell it was mistimed, but that's Bray's fault for jumping there. That and Bray probably shouldn't have done it in the first place. Well, also, yeah. like, is he trying to do the Ray Phoenix thing or is he just mistiming it? Well, this is 30 years before Ray Phoenix. You know what I mean, yeah. though? Like, I, well, <laughs> yeah. I think that was the intent, though. I think the intent was to do the dive like simultaneous with or like the second before the pinfall yeah and he was all his time was all over the place on that yes that it's really the only ugly spot in the whole match though like i said they they work really well together and mm -hmm. presumably though because it's chris adams he does not get a job out of this no i don't think he really probably really wanted it well that's a good point though because this is when he had started to become successful doing spot show promotion and stuff yeah all right next match masa saito and the great muta down rip morgan and jacko victory good as new zealand team well crowd really didn't know how they, yeah crowd really didn't know how to react to this but it was an all-action decent match finished saw morgan asked in the clothesline victory and his victory staggered back muta caught him with a german suplex for the pin in 541 star three quarter so there's that. I was about to say, and also, it's Jack Victory. He's a citizen of the world, David. He's a citizen of the world. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> All right, next we get the Russians. Salman Hashimakov and Victor Zangiev uh, making their U.S. debut, beating Can the Canadian team and Robert O'Connor's favorite tag team of all time, Danny Bull Johnson and Troy Montour. Oh. They went 354, which is about two minutes longer than it should have gone. There was some sort of problem here because the Soviets demonstrated legitimate wrestling maneuvers, which, of course, has nothing to do with pro wrestling. The Canadians were really bad. Hoshmikov pinned Johnson with a ability to suplex. Negative two stars. And your Starcade <laughs> fact for Johnson and Montour is one Canadian tournament in a major upset, not favored against USSR. So they're acknowledging, I'm assuming it's JR that put these together, but whoever it is, is acknowledging that these, like, are not particularly well-known Canadian wrestlers. That's one way to put it. You know what I mean? I best, yeah. Go ahead. I was just about to say the entire, you know, there were some problems here because, it's like, you know, the problem here weren't because the Soviets doing legitimate wrestling maneuvers. The problem here was Choi Montur and Danny Bull Johnson. My God. It's like, just bring in Bulldog Bob Brown for the if you want the shits. Had a couple of good mustaches in the smash though with Zangiev and uh, Johnson. Oh yeah. But Zangiev's got a sweater on during the match. You mean Montour? It's, it's like if you didn't <laughs> Oh Montour? I that's right, Montour's got the mustache. I was about to say, if you didn't know it was Victor Zangiev, you'd swear Dutch Mantel ran in and got him in this tournament. <laughs> he looks like uh, Dutch Mantel and Arne Anderson had a Russian baby. <laughs> But yeah, they uh, 
They definitely showed their class here for sure against uh, these two guys. Yes, they they look they were fun here, and it's too bad that you know he does UWFI a little early on, and it's fun. But I I do <clears throat> wish Zangief stuck with wrestling, pro wrestling longer because he you know Hashimoto eventually got pretty good, but Zangief really had a knack for how to make amateur wrestling stuff work in this setting. I wish they both stuck around. My God. All right, next we get a non-tournament match. Michael Wall Street pinned Terry Taylor with his stock market crash. It's more drop in 652. According to Mr. Los York's computer, Wall Street was going to win in less than 832. This is kind of a beat-the-clock type of deal. Match was okay, but Davis had to more considering the abilities to two and a quarter stars. So this was uh, the first ma- uh, big match of the Michael Wall Street gimmick. Yeah. Yes, and also you see that description from Dave at the end of, well, of what he was expecting. And you realize, like, no one was really down on Mike, Mike Rotunda's work yet. No. That really starts with IRS. Well, he's, he's, it's gimmick, you know? Yeah. It's like Jacques Rougeau and the Mountie. It's about the mm-hmm. gimmick. Yeah. I wonder guys, how much when, the outfit inhibited things, too. Probably, but when the guys get these gimmicks, that's what that's all they need to worry about. <laughs> Brother, you that's know? That's the way they're getting over. That's the way they, they get over. They're over yeah. with their gimmick more than they're in ring. It's that entire, you got to work smarter, brother. Yeah. And fans, Why do I got to do the bumps? And fans still remember more about IRS than they do Mike Rotunda. The hmm. various versions of Mike Rotunda, too. I mean, it's like, yeah, you can tell someone, hey, remember IRS? And they'll be like, yeah, I remember him. You can't it's bring like, up, you remember Captain Mike Rotunda. I mean, it's like Ted DiBiase is the perfect example of this. I mean, Ted DiBiase had that awesome career pre-Million Dollar Man, and then because Million Dollar Man, he becomes a worldwide star, and that's what everybody remembers him for. It's Million Dollar Man, and when he's Million Dollar Man, I mean, he was working nowhere near what he was working before, but it didn't matter because the gimmick was over, and it became, made him a star. Yes. Mm-hmm. Now, I forget, and I actually, let me just look on the network thing, because it should say whatever it would have said on the graphic. Is he, because Dave has Wall Street as two words, but wasn't Wall Street supposed to be his last name as one word? Yeah, that's how they have it here. Yeah. It's, it's Dave. Bix. It's a Davism. Yeah. Kickboxing. Sport of the story. Storyline is in the notes of this show. Story space line. So, all right. How did we know that no. body a builder though? I don't know. Well, he because well, he did body build in. He cared yeah, about because he actually knew about that one. All right. So another non-tournament match. Ricky Morton and Tommy Wildfire Rich defeated the Freebirds in six thirteen. Good fast-paced action with Little Richard Barley. Rocky King and his farewell appearance as the NWA scooped Titan on the heel turns of the Black Ballet and the pay-per-view angles. Wait, 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 what? <laughs> he, he, what he's trying to say is they beat WF to the punch because WF was already building towards Virgil turning on DiBiase. Oh, okay. Uh, the Black Ballet. I completely forgot that he turned here, too, until reading this. Yep. I Robert barely Gibson- even remember this match was on the show. Yeah, Robert Gibson on crutches was in the Bayface corner. Either Gibson was working to get sympathy, or, and no doubt this is a real story, his knee is in really bad shape. Finish saw the birds hold Morton's leg as Marley went up to come off the top rope on it. Gibson hit Marley with the crutch. He crashed into Jimmy Jam. Morton pinned guard with the schoolboy. After the match, the birds turned on Marley and gave him a double DDT. They were pounding on him until Morton and Rich made the say. This left Gibson in the aisle, and the birds ran to him and gave him a double close on the way out. Better match than it figured to be because it was kept short. 
They've made mistakes on several big shows this year in programming. Freebirds matches go 15 to 25 minutes to announce stars. Oh, yes, they sure did. There were some long Freebirds matches in mm-hmm. 19 reviews. So, yeah, good idea to keep this in short. I mean, also, maybe I'm the lone person on this, but I really believe that the Jimmy Jam Freebird era doesn't get enough respect for how fun it was. It was entertaining. No, so I mean, it was good. <laughs> I mean, entertaining is fine, but it, I mean, that, that matters. I like 89, I'll give you. I thought they were better in 89, but once once they started to gimmick it up in 90, I mean, yeah, it it it, it, it wasn't good. I mean, and, and I think 91 once when they got rid of the gimmick, it maybe got a little bit better, but once they dropped the makeup and everything, you mean? Yeah, when they had makeup, but they actually increased the gimmick more because then you have the road boss in Diamond Dallas. Oh, that's different. That's different. That's different, though, because they're not, they're not in this glitter glam. You know, that whole thing was just horrible. I saw them in Soft Lake Mall as a kid, and they were in full gimmick in the mall. Brother, that's what you do. I mean, they were they were glittered up with this the makeup. Shopping, not doing a signing or anything. Shopping, yes. I'm sorry, shopping. more people probably should be doing that. Yeah, I mean, they were they were doing the gimmick absolutely in in, in public. So, but yeah, it was a good thing this match for sure. All right, actually, the seventh match was Sid and Danny Spivey, the skyscrapers reunited, beating Big Cat Curtis Hughes and Motor City Madman in 61 seconds. When Sid pinned the Man Man after a double power bomb, short and sweet, one star. So long, Man Man. This is Oli. This is some of Oli's bullshit now. Getting uh, killed on the way out. Yep. Uh, so there you go. At least 61. you got the skyscrapers reunion, though. Yeah, I was about to say you got the skyscrapers reunion, the greatest trainer no one ever talks about, and the Motor City Man Man. <laughs> and we've also got a member of the Four Horsemen, <laughs> a group that includes the heel under the mask in the main event, who is trying to play mind games with Sting to take the world title as a total babyface. Oh, yeah. Well, to be fair, I mean, skyscrapers were always a babyface. Well, well let's, let's take a look at this for a second. That's the real music for the show, though. Are you sure? Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. I thought they went to the old Skyscraper music. No, they They did not use the Scorpion song. No. Yeah, they did not use the Scorpion's knockoff. Okay. Did they wait? Did they ever use the knockoff before Sid came back in '99? Though. I thought so. Uh, I mean, well, technically. Because I think they dropped the actual China White in early 90 when everyone dropped the license songs. Well, my yeah. thing is, Sid had his own music anyway, the horse, and why don't they use that? I don't know. So I'm guessing they didn't have the China White knockoff yet. Tampa, Florida. Oh. He weighs 305 pounds. Dangerous. Danny Spivey. His tag team partner, he says he's from anywhere. He darn well pleases. Sid is the biggest he's ever been here. Yes. I 
Alright, let's take a quick look at our star case so stat if we must that his singlet does not fit. And, and, and the guys they're facing are not small men in the slightest. Uh, no, it's Curtis Hughes and the uh, oh, what was <laughs> uh what, what's uh what's his face? What's Motor City Man Man's real name? Mike Moore. Yes, that's right. I was thinking Mike Moran, but then I was like, no, that that's uh and, Mike. Well should know what was happening here. Dan Spivey is not wearing knee pads. Nope. Nice talk. <laughs> he ain't bumping. Double elevation. And that's 330 pounds. You took that back body drop like it was nothing. Yep. Sid Vicious with that kick right above the heart. Vicious still a prominent member of the horseman. Okay. Uh oh. Shoulder block. And he follows it in. The end may be near for the Motor City Man Man. Oh, there's no way they can get this guy up. 335 pounds. Oh, Jesus. Oh, no. And oh, my. Double power ball. One, two, three. Skyscrapers running. Ladies and gentlemen, here are your winners. Vicious Dance Fighting. Sedicious. The Skyscrapers. Okay. What a weird fucking show because, I mean, this is another heel versus heel match. Who are the heels? Who are the faces? Well, okay. I mean, the skyscrapers are the faces in this match, but I get what you're saying. Well, I was about to say, if it wasn't for the fact that how this all ends up later, they could have gotten away with a Sid Babyface run off of this. Oh, you wouldn't uh, even need to turn. Like, you just have no. to. Especially because they keep having him do stuff separate from the horsemen so much. Yeah. Like, and, uh, yeah. Well, we, I think we talked about this mainly on the Sid Patreon show, right? I don't think this was on a regular show, that you look at the dynamic here and you look at how crowds are reacting to Sid. Sid as a top babyface with Spivey being brought in occasionally between Japanese tours to help him settle feuds and stuff would have been fantastic. Yeah, like Sid is almost 1B to Sting. That's a license to print possible money, maybe. Because anyway, people can say everything they want about Sid being a terrible worker, blah, 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 blah. But his physical charisma is off the charts. And always has been. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, a, a, he was a star. He was a god in center stage. From the basic beginning. Mm-hmm. He's a god everywhere. He, every Because he, he's just... It, it just it, it oozes out of him. Absolutely. That and steroids, especially at this time. Yeah, and Spivey, you know, was one of these guys that just he would pop in and out, and now he's going to be back here for a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, off and on, we'll talk about that later on. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it, this is a weird deal that they do this, and they put these guys together as this little side project, you know, between Sid's horseman stint. But it's because Spivey's got this All Japan deal that they can't do really anything on the regular with him. But, yeah, it's just a weird deal. But, I mean, thank God they put away the Motor City Man Man. And how apropos was it that Paul Heyman was on commentary for the death of the Motor City Man Man, considering he's the guy responsible for pushing that motherfucker in his magazines like hell. Well, so, and he was his manager at the beginning of his run here. Yeah, because he was brought in the feud with Luger. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which was forgotten about at this point in time. Yeah. All right. 
So let's go to the next round of the tournament. The Steiners beat Conan and Ray Sr. in 251 when Ray went for a Raul Mata-style head decision to a cradle, but Rick caught him in midair and pinned him with a powerbomb. Ray was all banged up for missing that dive in the first match. Conan was dragging his leg very noticeably. Yep. As yeah. You can see here. Highlight was Conan on Scott's shoulders as Rick came off the top with a bulldog, star on a quarter. Is that the debut of that? It's one of the first times, if not the first time, yes. Yeah, it's at least the first pay-per-view. They had already done the Doomsday DDT, I know, a couple times on TV. No, it's not the first pay-per-view of it, because they did it at Havoc 90. Havoc 90 with the Nasty Boys, that's right. Yeah, and the DDT. Yeah. They stacked that on the Nasties. Yeah, well, that that was a hell of a match. (laughs) Yeah. So... There you go. You can tell they respect right. Nan for being a big, a jacked up dude who's trying to mat wrestle with them. Mm-hmm. You know, they seem to be taking him a bit more seriously than they did the indie guys. The uh, South African team? <laughs> yes, South Africa those, by way of Northeast. New Jersey. Yeah. All right. Muda Saino beat Salma Hoshmikov and Victor Zangiev in 308. When Saito up in Zangiev with a Saito suplex, they traded nice suplexes, and even though the Soviets are green, they've worked with these guys for, so it's watchable, one star. Yeah, a smart move on their part mm. to put the Russians against the New Japan guys, because they have worked with them. Yeah, well, Anoki wants them to at least look good. Yeah, so at least they did that. That was a smart move on their part. All right, Lex Luger retained the United States Heavyweight, regained, excuse me, the United States title in a lariat match with Stan Hansen. Pre-match hype had told that us that this would be the old Dusty-style bull rope match, but called a lariat match. You know, two guys would be tied together with a rope with a bell in the middle. Well, wouldn't you know it, the bell wasn't there. Still, this was a good stiff brawl with them taking turns trying to drag each other around the ring. Finally, Luger dragged Hansen around the three corners as he went for the fourth. The ref went down. Luger went hit the corner. No referee. Hansen then took off his boot, hit Luger, and started dragging him around and used the lariat prior to hitting the fourth corner. Crowd was really heated when they thought this was a win for Hansen. Referee Nick Patrick was about to raise Hansen's hand, but the first ref told him what happened, and Luger was awarded a match in the title at 10-13. Good finish, good match, two and a half stars. Are you going to want to watch a clip of the finish or no? Uh, I mean, I guess we can watch the actual finish. Oh, I'm trying. Especially, to go ahead. Is this the best of that type of match though, with the four corners? It's mm. a really good example of it. I would say that at a minimum, it's one of my favorites. It's and it's and like I said, two of the best Luger matches from that year, because also the Havoc ninety match was a rocker. All right, here we go. Wait, no, well, wait, do you want to go to... I don't want to go that far back. Want, okay, well, that's what I was asking you. They, okay, you want it to be after the ref bump. Okay. You you want right. the hand... All right, go. Oh, you did want Luke. Okay, you did want Luke or touching hey, the corner of the ref bump. Okay, that's what I was trying to figure yeah. out. Uh, you went that way back. So... No, I didn't really. It was right before this. Uh, And now the network is doing its little stupid dance. Okay. Uh, you know, this even happened before we had to use a VPN for it. I think we just forget that part. Like, the, the web interface for the uh, award-winning WWE Network has always been a little... Not always, since they redid it. Uh, a little janky. 
That's about to say the award-winning WWE Network is not a fan of wanting to go back to anything. Yeah, much exactly. like the WWE itself. I have no idea how Peacock compares for this kind of thing. At least, uh, ask me. And it's happening again. Oh, that's great. Come on, let's see if it actually goes back here. If it doesn't work this time, we're just skipping this and going forward. Let's see. Okay. Uh, well, at least we have a functioning video again. Uh, no, it went to the... Oh, wait, that's the next segment, right? So, hold on. Yeah. Rough bump, rough bump, rough bump. Come on. Okay, no, this is before the rough bump. This... <sighs> okay, here we go. Finally. Jesus Christ. Okay. So Luger's trying to get to the fourth corner. And here we go. Brilliant officiating by Randy Anderson that he's just standing between the wrestler and the fourth corner. He's feet away, only feet away! But it's the longest feet of his life! Luger within a couple of feet from regaining the United States Heavyweight Championship! Hanson pulling with all he has! He's inches away! Randy Anderson's realizing how stupid No doubt. Luger got the fourth post. The he was hit in the back of the head by that cowboy boot of Stan Hansen. Luger did touch that fourth post, Paul. Unbelievable. What brilliant maneuvering by Stan Hansen. He let go of the rope. Luger went crashing into the referee. And now Hansen goes for all four corners. Hansen, what's Hansen? He's trying to get the referee revived. Luger has won this match. There are rope burns all over Luger's body and Henson as well. He didn't win this match. What's this? Their senior referee, Nick Patrick, down here. One. Yes. Way to the crowd is irate, and rightfully so. This is very fair. It is. Two. How is it not fair? Because the match should have been over when... Luger touched the fourth turnbuckle. This is just like when the referee restarted at Halloween Havoc, Sting versus Sid Vicious. We got three turnbuckles right here. That's three. One more to go. Apparently, Nick Patrick did not see what happened. He came down to resume the officiating with Randy Anderson down. Hans has got one boot on, one boot off. Luger trying to wrap his legs around the rope to hold... Hanson from touching that fourth turnbuckle, but by all rights, Luger has won this match. He didn't win the match because the referee never raised his hand. How could you say he's won the match? Luger Larry, with a lariat and touches the fourth corner. Ladies and gentlemen, the winner and still United States heavyweight champion, Stan.
because the referee never saw him hit the fourth turnbuckle. Stan Hansen should still be the United States heavyweight champion. I get what they were trying to do there and be clever with, but not the best execution. No. Like, I get the idea, but... Okay, so here are the problems with this. One, Randy Anderson has to look like such an idiot. <laughs> the way wow. he's positioning himself. Like, there has to be some other way to get there. Go ahead. I was about to say, this... There's a couple of lessons to be learned, mostly, you know. Big one, though, for people outside of wrestling, if you're in baseball, never block the base. Because <laughs> that's what Randy just did. Right. So there's that, and then I, I'm sure someone had this in their head, maybe Barry Windham, like, LOL, reverse dusty finish. But even though the crowd pops, I feel like you're kind of diminishing the reaction in the moment by having the final decision depend entirely that you're going straight to the re first referee refer bleh, first referee being like yeah oh no I did see it he won like yeah. that's just, it's it's kind of flat for what it, what they're trying to do it is that said it's still a tremendous match though because they were laying leather I yeah, couldn't do that it's good. All right. So next we get Doom retaining the NWA World Tag Titles in a North St. Louis street fight. Going to a double pinfall with Barry Wyndham and Arn Anderson in 719. It was an old style quadruple juice brawl. For some reason, they had cut men in the corners like boxing. It turned out to be Porkchop Cash and George the Russian Brute Petrovsky with hair. Oh, they never really got involved. Windham bled 90 seconds in, but a three-minute more, all four were bloody. Stiff chair shots, with the exception of the double pin finish. This match is exactly what it was supposed to be. Ed Moore finished off Simmons and Anderson pin while simultaneously Windham had cradle read. More on this later. Four stars. Mm. Um, natural last. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the more on this later, by the way, I'll go ahead and go to it now. Okay. Just a little bit later in the notes. Uh, and it's Steve Beverly, actually, that has more on this, not Dave. Uh, in case people weren't about the dull pin scenario, that was not the originally planned finish for the street fight. Eddie Long and Ron Simmons refused to do the job in the fashion presented, so the twin pin was a compromise. So, Wyndham and Anderson were supposed to win the tag titles. And Wyndham's the booker. And he, you know, went against it. He changed it. He changed for the compromise. Unselfish booking. Mm-hmm. You know. You know. Also helps explain why, although I guess that's under Dusty, but still it kind of also maybe helps explain why Doom losing the tag titles and then splitting up is as flat as it is. Yeah, and Arn and Wyndham. This is their first match together in this incarnation of, uh, as a team. They are fucking awesome in this short though this feud, this Doom feud, and yeah. the, the promos, the, the black and white promos are some, back to oh, the oh, yeah. some of the greatest shit. Oh. I show that promo, those two promos to anyone I can. The ninety yeah. promos, because they are just they're perfect. Almost perfect promos. 
of getting over a new look and a new feel. Yeah. Ric Flair don't, don't wear suits no more. You know, I mean, Harry they Wyndham got a funny haircut. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, just great shit. Oh, so great. Oh, my God. I'm not going to say I'm going to steal that. Pro- I'm stealing that promo, though. So totally in my life, some point in my life. Stealing that. Um, and it's just and the entire like, honestly, like. This is one of my favorite matches just to watch because. You've got four dudes who are just legitimately part of that. Would you like to walk down a, a dark alley and face these men? Hell no. Nah. Like death. Death come a walking. It's just, oh, yeah. Perfect. And there's poor chop. Yep, standing on the ramp. Poor chop, cat. And somewhere in the corner is the world's worst Russian. The Russian brute. Well, is it quite as bad as Porchenko like or the continental Russians? It's worse. Okay. Barry, uh, Barry looks like he's uh, been hanging out the Blue Oyster a little bit. <laughs> also. In a thing that it wasn't always the case for WCW, especially in this era, the camera work in this match is fantastic. Oh, yeah. I also would like to point out anyone who ever gets into a street fight from this point, wear jeans with the damn pads over them. Yeah. So do it right. Respect really, the business. Yeah, really good stuff. Best, best match on the show. Absolutely. God. All right, so we get the tag tournament finals next. The Steiners won the tournament, beating Great Muda and Masaido in 10:53. Originally, Dick the Bruiser was supposed to referee for this match, as was advertised on television. Well, then Masao Hattori. Trivia note: Hattori was USAAU Freestyle Nash Champion in 136 in the early 70s. Was coming in on New Japan business, so they decided to have him work as a special referee. But announcers made a point that he wasn't going to be a heel ref. So Hattori refereeing the match, and they moved Bruiser to the street fight. Which made sense, because Bruiser was well-known as a street fighter. Well, in the 11th hour and 59th minute, Bruiser was moved once again to the main event. Good fast-paced action with lots of hot moves. The Japanese played total heels. This is a good match to be sure, but it could have been better if we'd seen a Frankenstein and a moonsault thrown in. Rick Pinsaito at the Sesslip flip up the top rope. Three and a quarter stars. Yeah, it was odd that we didn't get the signature moves, like Dave said. Yeah. But, I mean, we kind of got them throughout the night, so they're trying to play with formula. I guess. But it was still a cup of hot dopeness, so. Yeah, that's good. Really good. Second best match on the show. Mm -hmm. And then we had the main event. Using a baseball analogy, at this point in the show, the home team had about a six-run lead. When the man with more saves than Hoyt Wilhelm and Raleigh Fingers combined showed up for the ninth inning. Officially, Sting pinned the Black Scorpion, who was Ric Flair, in the cage match at 1831 to keep the title of Flying Bright Press from off the top row. All right, real quick, if you're wondering why Flair is not in the tag match, Bix, you want to explain why Flair was not in the tag match? You mean you what was the official reason given? Um, yeah, what happened? I be- was it residual injuries from Doom attacking him in the sh- during the show for for a day angle? Yeah, a combination of that and suppose I think they attacked him during the night. Early, yeah. it was basically that. It was the attack on the angle previous to the in the show. Yes, yeah, the show for a day angle. Okay, so that's why Wyndham is in the spot. 
Yeah. But anyway. Also, I just realized something. Both of the angles they do with Doom a year apart, their debut in this, where they're attacking someone who's been pulled out of... Is it just a car or is it a limo both times? They do... They, okay, so they do... And I'm guessing this is a deliberate callback. They basically did a reprise of the Scott Steiner pre-tape angle. You know, instead well, who of... Who was, was the booker in that angle? Ric Flair. Who's involved in this angle? Ric Flair. Who's probably still getting some power to book his own programs, especially with Wyndham there. Of course, Wyndham's letting him do what he wants. Yes. Yeah. So, pulling, you know, Doom pulling someone out of a limo, beating him up while Doom's faces are never seen on camera. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. By the way, uh, in this picture we've got here, yeah, Dick the Bruiser looks like if Popeye the Sailor Man was bloated. Yeah, he yeah he definitely did. Yes. So, All do right. you want to keep reading, or do we want to start with the ma magnificent entrance of the Black Scorpion? Well, let me read. Let me read because he talks about the entrance. Okay. All right. The, the point I have to ponder here is if Raleigh Fingers or Hoyt Wilhelm could have kept the, that lead if they had known had the pitch wearing a mask, but also weren't allowed to throw any pitches they never had any success with. What Dave's referring to is Ric Flair had to work the, this match as a Black Scorpion, so he couldn't do Ric Flair shtick spots, which is Ric Flair. So there's that. On the good side, the ring entrance where it appeared the Scorpion came down from his seeing in a flying saucer device was impressive. Bringing all the previous Scorpions. Hey, where was Tony Zane? <laughs> he was at home, Dave, watching his tights, smoking a bowl. Dave gets to at least finish the storyline. The only people that, that you, only people that using Dave Sheldon, Wobble Irvin, and Randy Cully as Scorpion henchmen mean anything to were the newsletter readers. Sheldon had never been unmasked. Well, those were unmasked. The cr crowds viewing those cards were tiny, and the hardcore should still attend live. Uh, Dave knows that Bruiser like Tugboat's grandfather in the ring. All right. Um, Ouch, let's, Dave. Let's look at the entrance of the Black Scorpion, shall we? Yes, also keep in mind, by the way, and we should probably discuss this more when we get further with this match. Maybe not necessarily at house shows, although I think it helped to a degree. Like, this feud had been more of a success than people might think. It had drawn the, you know, it tied with Flair Luger on the same show, but Clash 12, they, it was the most watched match in the history of cable television. It had its highs and lows, I guess we can say that. Yeah, mm -hmm. so now, well... Dave says this is one of the highs, apparently. So, Let's go to Ric Flair coming out of a spaceship. Ladies and gentlemen, this contest for the World Heavyweight Championship, Spooky. it is the world title versus the mask of this challenger. Parts unknown, weight unknown, the Black Scorpion. Black Scorpion making his way to the ring. Very mysterious individual. I don't recognize this guy. We've had a lot of speculation. Wait just a minute. What? Look behind him. I don't believe, are we seeing? I think I'm wearing Gordon Soli's bifocals. I'm seeing double. Well, we've got more blacks. Wait a minute here. We got one in the There's another one. Yeah, they trailed for like 30 seconds. What? There's four of them. What was in that grapefruit juice you gave me earlier? Vitamin C. Well, this is a little bit strange. Four scorpions. We knew that there have been a lot of different scorpion sightings. Gee, I wonder who that Elvis is. In the last several weeks. Yeah. 
He looks... You can tell by the tendons in the hand. I don't understand what's going on. He looks kind of Russian. And I'm supposed to know everything. This is the Little Bazaar. I like that they're making it clear, though, that the other guys were not the real Black Sword. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, what's that? What's that lowering? Looks like a spacecraft. Hey, I wasn't briefed about this. This isn't right. You want to go home to mommy and daddy? Could I? Sure could. They're watching, you know, back in Scarsdale. We'll get you a glass of warm milk when this one's over. This is that thing hovering overhead. What in the world is going on? Why didn't you tell me about this? I didn't know about this, Paul. Well, we've had Dick the Bruiser introduced. The cage is here. We've got four black scorpions. And this apparatus. This is definitely Jim Hurd. <laughs> so these beer Hans Ferrari. We need one more favor. I hate to say this, but I hope Sting beats this guy tonight. So I can't take any more like of this. Spreading I have out. a weak heart, you know. And then it gets to the ramp and it closes up into a. Yes. I don't even know what I would have called that. You know, for the comedy gooker. Which just oh, happened a couple weeks before this. Yeah, but with more pirate. And because it's WCW, everybody, um, either the smoke was supposed to hide that the door could not close all the way, <laughs> or the door just didn't close all the way. And Flair did not realize that you could already see the cape he's wearing as the Black Scorpion and I think part of his boot until the smoke kind of rushes up more. Damn it, David Crockett. <laughs> well. Get on the ball. I don't know if he could do much worse in 1990 than uh, the fetish shop uh, country whipping match. But... <laughs> you learned a lot about people in 1990. There is only one true black scorpion, and it is I. <laughs> they are only messengers. There is only one black scorpion. And he said, it is I. And there... I noticed something else, too. That did mm. not sound like as much like Oli as it used to. No. Very? Let's Who go knows? back and hear that again, because I'm curious now. You see... Our only messengers. There is only one true black scorpion. I can't tell who it is, but it's not Oli. Yeah. Because once you're like a grown adult and you go back and watch it, like most of the black scorpion stuff, you're like, oh, it's Oli. It's like they're not even trying that hard. Like, it's very obvious. So the fact that this doesn't sound like that makes me think it's not Oli. And it is Oli. <laughs> they are only messengers. There is only one black scorpion. And he said, It is I. And there is the man that we have waited to finally see in the ring with the heavyweight champion of the world. 
I don't recognize them. I'll wait till they get to a close-up, Paul. Oh, that pose oh, with the arms out and the cape and the robe. I've never seen anything like that before. Ah! With the fire pods. Oh, God, we're going to get the close-up shot where it's very obviously Flair. Here we go. I don't recognize the way he walks. <laughs> well, the stats are a little bit inconclusive. He alleges he's from Sting's past. He's mentioned California and Tulsa in recorded statements. He says he was once Sting's tag team partner. If he fails to win the title tonight, he must unmask. Why did I they mean, even do that close-up? Why did they even go this far as saying California and Tulsa? That's what, you know, we, California stuff everybody knows. But, yes, they mentioned Tulsa, too, and being a tag team partner. So they're really throwing it in your face saying it's Warrior. It's supposed to be Warrior. Yes. Yeah. Which is insane. They are trying to false advertise the other major promotion, rival promotions, world champion. World without champion. actually doing yeah. it. Yes. Yes. WCW. Everyone. So anyway, well, I have a, right, uh, I have a uh, weird question though. Hmm? If they went with Angel of Death as the payoff, I'm not saying it would have worked, but he would have fit the clues much better. They shouldn't have done it. They shouldn't even done those clues like that. That's well, not no. But yeah, like, the clues it, were too clever by half. Is there anything to the idea that it was originally going to be Dave Sheldon, though? No, I don't think so. So no, was it wasn't it supposed to be Al Scorpion? He's like, I am taking the fall. I am, you know. But he was Al Scorpion on this Clash. Well, that's yeah. a, well. The reason I ask that though is, why are you bothering with bringing in Angel of Death? I don't otherwise? think they had. I don't think they had an end game. It's Oli. I don't think they had an end game plan. All right. So are we going to the finish and, now? And, and, and they're dragging this out to the end because Oli's gone. So now it's time to get rid of it. Well, yeah. and games are for March, brother. All right, Flair did as good a job as possible in hiding his identity, other than his mask. And because of that, he had the worst <laughs> match Dave's ever seen him in, including the class match with Joe Gardog. Flair juiced under the mask. Then Steen tore off the Black Master of a silver mask so you could see the juice. Not much to say about the match. Post-match saw the four bogus scorpions at the ring, then Arn and Barry with a 7-on-2 advantage on Sting and Bruiser in a lock cage. The heels got nothing accomplished. Three-quarters of a star. All right. Well, let's watch the finish of this match. The champion of the world, the Black Scorpion, has been battered. The Stinger going up top. Standing on the top rope, and he flies!
Jackson just nailed Dick the Bruiser from behind with a steel chair. Wyndham and Anderson are here to take over on Sting. We got about a minute left. Big Luger chant. No, they're saying chant Bruiser. Oh, they're chanting Bruiser. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Your hearing is better than mine, then. No one's saving him yet. We got two minutes left. Two minutes left in the match in this whole pay-per-view. Okay, Okay, so I have a question. The network version is just under two hours, 50 minutes. Like a few seconds. I don't believe there's much of anything edited out. No. So is he – but this is super rushed. So is he BSing or do they have strict Uh, orders to get get the show off the air by 10 – by – 10 to the hour. Yeah, I guess. pretty much all. Yeah, all the wrestling pay-per-views pretty much had that order. I mean, yeah. so, so, I mean, there were the rarities that actually went right there to the you know the end of the hour, but more often than not, they were done 10 minutes before the hour. Well, no, yeah, the reason I asked is because I don't think the satellite time would be two hours, 50 minutes, though. I would think it would be three hours. The satellite, the, yeah, but the, the, the companies want them done with a little... Buffer. They want a buffer because well, there's North, no, there's North, no well, in, because it, well the immediate replays. Was there an immediate replay yet though in this era? Uh, probably. I'm uh, maybe. But and even though there wasn't, you got you have to have time to get people to want to order. You know, animal instincts or something, whatever. I mean, you got you got to get the, the 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 buffer time. You can't just end because another pay per view starting up at the, at the start of the hour. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anderson with a chair. They're trying to finish him off for good. They are trying to finish Sting off for good. Well, if it's a horseman in there, then it leads for me to believe that it would be. Could no. be another horseman under that mask. Obviously. No, no way. Scott is at the door. Grabbing a mask. <laughs> trying to pull it off. And it, here it comes. That's a person. Here anymore. comes a mask. Who is it? It's got blonde hair. Oh, I wonder who it is. Who is it? We got 30 seconds. It's Ric Flair. Ric the Black Scorpion is Ric Flair. It's Ric Flair. Sting won the title. He's retained the title. The Black Scorpion. What's nature, boy, Ric Flair? What a, what, what a wind down to Starcade 90. Sting defeats the Black Scorpion. It turns out to be nature, boy, Ric Flair. And we'll see you at WrestleWar, February 24th. 
Okay. Um, I don't know why this part never hit me until now. Because Flair gets the haircut for the one match. Although, in fairness, I don't know if it's him or her. Someone had been directing him to try to change around his hair multiple times in 1990. You know, most memorably in the form of a ponytail Flair and George Washington Flair. But he's in a full bodysuit. Is there really not a way you could have figured out to hide his hair under that? Spartacus gimmick. Well, also yep. his hair isn't even that long. It's not, like it's not like his hair was stupidly long to where he couldn't have hidden it anyway. So, Spartacus. Jim heard once Spartacus. But it's right after this you get the music when, mm-hmm. he, when he appears as Ric Flair. Yeah, you get the horseman coming, uh, the full on. You know, we stole this music from Ben Hur. Yeah. And by the way, I'm guessing because we have so little time, we don't get credits. Yeah. Boo. All right, uh, Dave had a few more quick comments on the show. As far as creating a reason for the Flair Sting main event starting at Christmas night and continuing through the month of January, they hurt their cause more than helped it. There's absolutely no reason for Flair to be considered a viable challenger after having lost again, juiced, and then failed to get anything accomplished with a 7-on-2 advantage in the post-match brawl. Which, by the way, was nothing like it was supposed to be. Between the show running late and people being in the wrong place at the wrong time, it looked like it, if it looked like it was directionless, it's not because it was, but because what was supposed to take place, basically a replay of the famous 1985 Ric Flair Dusty Rhodes angle in a cage, which drew incredible business for six months in 1986, somehow did materialize. Because it was rushed, I'd say probably the main reason. Mm-hmm. The introduction of blood on the show was a positive. R- really, given the street fight and cage stipulations, the juice was mandatory. Given the fact WCW has a rewind this lost hardcore bloodthirsty audience, juice right now is necessary. And you could count on it in the next pay-per-view since they're doing war games. Well, I'll say you can. Yeah. <laughs> now here's the problem. We have a cage on this pay-per-view. We have cage matches just about every house show in January, which no doubt will produce heavy juice. When Anderson and Wendland versus Doom, most cities will be in cages. In February, we have war games. I see the situation being taken to the extreme in another direction, Dave said, which is okay in the short run, but over the long haul, we'll do exactly what he did before, kill the crowds. Of course, if Cage Match City is just for the first quarter, no problem, but they get into a situation which has happened before when Rhodes was Booker, when virtually every card had a cage match, they kill the cage and the juices gimmicks. Now, on the Scorpion, Dave believes Flair was going to be the Scorpion from day one. Well, there you go. And there's more to the story than meets the eye. About two weeks ago, even when the angle was shot for Flair to be injured and explained why Barry Wyndham would replace him in a tag match and free him to be Scorpion, some changes in original plans took place. It wound up with Flair being moved back to the tag team match, which is why TV they stopped selling the injury immediately. And naturally, at that point, Wyndham was to be the Scorpion. The Tuesday for the card, the situation changed again, and Flair was moved back to the Scorpion spot. After the announcers had said he was fine and basically said 100% in the tag match with Wyndham in the tag. When Flair was in the tag, Doom was supposed to go over since that tag was set up bearing arm versus Doom at the house shows for January since Flair was working with Sting. However, when everything switched again during last week and bearing arm with the rest of Doom, the office wanted the title switch to start the feud and use Doom as a challenger at the houses. But somebody wouldn't do the job, which you talked about, and the company was back into the corner. They didn't want to have Arn and Barry lose because they were killing the interest in rematches. And they were, although anyone on the road to killing Flair and Sting's rematch interest because of the best laid plans. And the game didn't allow for a DQ or count out, and thus we get the politician finish. Nobody wins, and nobody loses, 
That was a great match anyway. Well, knowing what we know with with Wyndham being the booker, it's like, what do you make of this? I mean, it makes you wonder how much of this, how much is Dave, what Dave's being fed's bullshit? Uh, I would like to say it probably a lot because there's no way he was like, no, Flair's totally going to be the Black Scorpion. I mean, I makes me wonder how much of this is, is you know, him being fed complete bullshit. I mean, it seems like the reason it was Flair was at least it makes sense out of the voice, obviously, being Oli. And killing it off. They're killing yeah. the, the, the gimmick off. So it's it's just obvious to me that, that uh, okay, who's not in the company anymore? That would be that would be somebody that would talk that'd be, be talking to Dave on the regular. Um, that would be someone who we've talked about would probably have been a decent choice for the Scorpion, and that would be one Thomas Edward Gilbert Jr. No, I'm not talking about oh. him. He's long gone by this point in time. Okay. Cornette! Oh. Ah. Well, more on that later. So, but. Well, Cornette's not there, so... But he at had this point been time, there during... Yeah but, yeah, so, yeah, but he had been there, but he would be somebody that would be feeding Dave information... I'm wondering who is there that would be feeding Dave information as a source. Paul? Because Terry Taylor's not. Well, Paul might be. But how much is Paul involved in anything? Mm -hmm. You know? So, I mean, Terry Taylor, you know, that's a whole other story of another time. So it seems to me that Dave is getting fed bullshit by somebody. You know? Knowing what we know. I just realized something. Is Barry being the Booker kayfabe, being kayfabe, so there's not even a hint in public that Dusty's coming in? It's gotta be. Oh, that's yeah. gotta be. That's gotta be part of it, and that's why they're doing all this. Has to be. Games within games. Because they don't want they don't want to know that they that Dusty is is a, a lot to come in because of the whole tampering charge, and Barry's just the you know the front man. Yeah, and. To be honest, with what we know about how the newsletters reacted to Dusty, yeah, uh, any word of Dusty coming back, and that faucet gets turned right back on. Yeah, so it's interesting reading this stuff. All right, as for the tag tournament, Dave gives the company a lot of credit for effort. In a situation like this, Dave's belief is he either do it as a work or not worry about legitimacy or do it with legitimacy. Half and half serves no purpose. The turning and selling tickets because it was never pushed, but the concept was interesting, and Dave thought seeing all the different styles added to the uniqueness of the car. If there weren't so many injuries, Scott Steiner wasn't 100%, although you couldn't tell it. Conan wasn't even 50%. It might have been better. Turnings really don't work well in pay-per-view, and Dave thinks to do it right, you have to educate the casual fans who everyone is on your tournament before, television beforehand. But most people seem to enjoy it. Anyway, except for one match, it was a whole lot better than the Clash match than the advertising for the thing was. Obviously, the Steiners are the hottest thing of the promotion. But they're in a bad position in that right now they have no opponents. Nobody buys either the Freebirds or the Master Blasters as foes. Ah, yes. So your hottest act is an imposition right now to help draw. Damn this thing with faint praise, don't you, Dave? Well, he's right about the Steiners because they didn't have opponents at this time because they just lost the Nasty Boys. Well, they had beat them yeah. anyway. But yeah. they, they lost the Nasty Boys, and there's no other tag I'm, team. Doom, Doom's about to break up. 
Yeah. I mean, they could have went Arn and Barry with the Steiners, but yeah, I mean, all and you that have been the plan. Yeah, especially all you have later than in a couple of months is the placeholder match, basically with Sting and Luger. Yeah, because the Freebirds get the world tag title. Steiners aren't involved in that feud at yeah. all, moment. So, yeah, I mean, maybe it was going to be Steiners and Arn and Barry. I don't know, but uh, yeah, and this is a. Uh, you know, becomes the running theme with Starcade though for a few years is these tournaments and is gimmicks and the one of them. Yep. All right, but uh, we already read that. Matt Watch right, from early estimates. Yeah, <laughs> from, from, from early estimates, it appears showed that in the same neighborhood on pay per view as the Chicago show. Maybe one point one point five percent buy rate from early estimates. Which, if it's more than one percent, they should be happy. This is a nineteen ninety five price tag. So even a one percent buy rate would be a two point six million dollar gross. Which the WCW was enough that the show was more than worthwhile. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Starcade ninety buy rate was a one point three zero Bix. Okay. And do we know what the universe between, would have been approximately? Was between one point zero one point five. So. Yeah. And Dave, said, and Dave said with a one percent buy rate to be two point six million dollar gross. So. They had well, the number well, 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 three million dollar gross. They were still yeah. nineteen ninety five at this time. Yeah, so which was too rich for my family because I watched this on Scramble Vision. <laughs> so, so, so that would be one hundred thirty thousand buys in that range. Okay, like the thing I think people forget: none of their pay per views in this ever really did gangbusters. I guess the biggest. Was Wrestle War ninety because didn't that did I think close to a quarter million homes, but they never really did badly on pay per view once they had the full clearance until like late ninety three, like they had pretty consistent pay per view success. I right, um it's that's about two point six million dollars at one point three. Yeah, I mean two point five nine three five hundred thousand. So we're going with a so we're going with a ten million home universe basically. Well, I'm going with 1995 price tag at, at that, yes. So. No, I'm, I think Dave is as well, so. Yeah. You're close, yeah. Still good. Yeah. You know, All right, um, the, the one yeah. thing, though, and I'm curious how much they're trying to do this at the time, I would be coming out of this whole program, though, thinking, okay, how do we, A, get all the people who watch The Clash to watch our other shows and B, how do we convert them to spending money? And it doesn't seem like there was really any effort to try to do that. Uh, so they didn't know, they didn't know how to do it. Right. As I say, that's mm. been a uh, mystery for a lot of companies over the ages, how to convert. Yes. I mean, I mean, look at TNA impact. Have this die hard, TV prop fan base, but they can never convert it to, hey, you want to spend some money on a pay-per-view? But to me, it's not even the diehards. It's who are these millions of people that are sometimes millions of people on the bigger ones that are watching The Clash but aren't watching anything else? Well, it's during the week. Yeah. Mm. It's free. During the week, you know, Saturday night, you know, people are out doing things. Mm-hmm. During the week, they're at home. Yeah, it's free entertainment if you've got already got cable. 
Well, mm. and if you're st- and if you're someone who's going out during the day on Saturday or Sunday, mm-hmm. then you might not be home until during or after. Even if you're someone who's yeah. staying in for the night. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's not the best time slot, which really also shows even more just how overwhelmingly successful those wrestling shows were. All right, so the ratings on the the 15th, talking about WCW and weekend ratings. On the 15th, you're at 2.9. Say it was primetime on the 16th, celebrating his 300 program. All America did a 2.7. Well, Man Event, the same day as Star K, pulled a 2.4. But it probably lost some audience because people were to Star K could watch the pregame show. And Power did a typical 1.5. Mm. So there's your, uh, your buy rate. I mean, not buy rate, your rating. <laughs> Your ratings. And as uh, far as households for Matt Watch, it was uh, World Championship Wrestling was in uh, 1.62, and then that goes all the way down to uh, 840,000 for Power Hour on Saturday morning. Early Saturday morning. Yes. There you go. Yes. All right. Um, because the truth being sent out for Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, World Championship Wrestling has moved the side of their January 30th Clash of the Champions. At press time, the site has officially been announced, but days are speculation that probably in Greenville, South Carolina, or Augusta, Georgia. The tenant card has Sting and Luger against Doom, Flair against Pillman, Arn and Wyndham against the Renegade Warriors, Zinc versus Eaton for the TV title, Steiner versus Master Blasters for U.S. tag titles, JYD versus Iron Sheik, a few others, including an arm wrestling match with Missy Hyde against Polly Dangerously, which will be set up on upcoming TBS television shows. At least on paper, it's a very solid wrestling lineup, and this would be the best clash in a long time. And a lot of it was. I mean, just the location, all the stuff with the war, but this yeah. thing has so many location changes. I was about to say, Lejeune, and then it was, it, it ended up in Augusta, correct? It ended up in Atlanta, seeing it oh. center. Oh, yeah. Wait, I thought no, it ended up. Gainesville, 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 Gainesville George Mount Center, because right. it was going yeah. to be a CNN Center in Atlanta. And then the war. Yeah, but it was good. I mean, it was going to be a Camp Lejeune. Then they mentioned Greenville, Augusta. Then it ended up going to be a senior center. And then it ended up at Georgia Mount Center in Gainesville. Now, I forget. Is this the clash that was going to have the Georgia Red Clay match? Yes. The so, Georgia Red Clay match? And that was, But that was once it was moved to the Mountain Center, right? Uh, I think it was actually advertised for CNN Center. Oh, Okay. But I don't know. I mean, it's, it's so confusing. If I remember right, there was I don't remember who was going to be in it, but they were going to do basically like as a gimmick match. They were going to do a mud wrestling match, kind of. Sounds yeah. like something you would do with Missy and Paul. Well, they're not feuding it. This is just this is the beginning of that. Wow. All right. Looks like the Saturday TBS show will have Jim Ross and Bob Cottle sticking together on play by play, but Paul Lee would be doing most of the interviews. Ross and Carl were so good together as a team. They were. Bob was great in that in that role of the color guy. Yes. Really good. I wonder what his other boss, though, thought of him being replaced by Paul Heyman. Oh, probably some muttered slurs, and then he drank a big highball of gin. <laughs> All right, um... Sting is doing a TV movie called Super Force this week. What is Super Force? I don't and know. Is it the sequel to Mega Force that we never got? I have no idea what this is. I don't remember this. 
I want to find this because this sounds awesome just from the name. Let's see. Super Force movie, 1991. It's a TV series. Ooh. And did Steve Borden appear? Well, I'm looking now. Um, Steve Borden. Yes. He was the he played Halor or Halor oh, on the episode of Super Force. Don't know what which episode. Okay, it was in a nineteen ninety air nineteen ninety two. Uh, no, air, yeah, oh, air March the second nineteen ninety one. Okay, and I think there is a. Yeah. All right, here we go. Oh. Here's, here's a photo. All right, here's a photo of Sting. Uh, I guess it's a head headshot or whatever, but there he is. Tales of Future Past, Season 1, Episode 22, aired March 2nd, 1991. Super Force is about a, uh, a, a former astronaut turned cop who used a highly advanced powered exoskeleton motorcycle to fight crime in the city of Metroplex. Sting worked in a Metroplex during the, the then future year of 2020. Among the features of the black battlesuit were enhanced strength and armament and a force field that protected the wearer from virtually all known weapons. Whereas the motorcycle had an array of James Bond type gadgets and weapons. Syndicated by Viacom, Super Force was designed to be a companion series to Superboy. In the second series, in a proposed two hour block uh... of action, it also included Lightning Force. Unusual for a series only ran 30 minutes per episode, Super Force debuted with a two hour TV pilot film. Which was later split into four episodes for syndicated purposes. And you can get the complete series on Region 1 DVD. G. Gordon Liddy was a regular cast member of uh, Super Force. So oh, got... I am so buying this later. <laughs> so there you go. Put it right next to my copy of Alien Nation. For, for, okay. For, it stings the episode. Forget being haunted by the past. It's the future. Super Force needs to worry about. When a genetically engineered assassin from the world of tomorrow, played by Steve Borden, targets him for termination. Yes. So we had Sting on this and Luger on um, Superboy. 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 How about that, huh? Heck yeah. And also Sting is originally from the Metroplex. Oh, guess what we have? We have clips. We have a clip. <gasps> How long is it? We got more. It's a minute forty six seconds. Whoever did this broke the um, broke the stings parts. The sting broke stings parts down into parts. But this is the first one that pops up. Okay, is this taken from VHS or do I need a uh, gimmick? Uh, Probably DVD. It's gotta be. It's gotta be VHS. So. Well, no, it could be DVD because it was released in twenty seventeen on DVD. Really? It's possible. Well, let's see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it is DVD. I don't need to bring my little gimmick. I know you? <laughs> no, but I know you, Super Force. You killed my comrades in the middle of the train to do their jobs. I think you better check yeah, the facts. I'm here because of what you were going to do in the future. Going to do? It's we're going to kill our leader. But not anymore. And Lamar on the trail. We're going to Wayne Wayne It's rightful place in the future scheme of things. The what are you, some kind of psycho? I followed you here so that I can confront you out of the suit. Look, man, you're making a big mistake. I'm not Super Force. Never even seen him. Now you see him, 
phrase of gods or men are the words it might have been okay so i'm assuming that's a distorted <laughs> steve Vorton voice but stay he does a very good job with his facial expressions and everything playing this character yeah it's about to say He's he was actually good. Like I mean, heck, he was good in that. Uh, was it two episodes of Thunder of Paradise? As a hammerhead. You know what? You know, yeah. this is making me wish would have happened. Although it would have been insane that for them to, to pull this off. Mm. Go on. The Black Scorpion eventually revealed himself to be Sting. It wasn't that the plot of the WCW comic as a way to turn heel. Can you imagine that? Imagine that. Hmm. That the Black Scorpion all along was staying. Nah, and then I don't to... know about that. That would be crazy to try to pull off the. It would be something. Also, I okay. Actually, let me go back to the clip. Although I'll mute, make sure it's muted. Uh, okay, it is. Um. Okay, this exterior here that we see them at, is it me or is that the Cyberdyne building from Terminator Two? Probably. Was Terminator Two shot in Vancouver? No. That was shot in a lot in L.A. Super Force was shot in, in Orlando. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Was that that... Wait a minute. Did they, they shoot it at Universal Studios? Yes. Yes. So I, I know exactly what building that is then. I'm pretty sure I know what building that is. That would be the building that uh, housed the uh, animal, the Superstar Animal Show, which interestingly was across the lagoon from the uh, set they had for Swamp Thing. About that. As we're doing this, I am I'm actually tweeting the clip now as we're doing this. So there you go. Giving people a teaser of what they're uh here on this week's show. Okay, let's see the exterior. Okay, it's not the Cyberdyne building, but it looks similar. It's a futuristic building. It was where the that sign was that made me think it was the Cyberdyne building. I'm still just like, okay, I want to see more of the show because I am currently really jazzed up on some weird stuff tonight. <laughs> well, that was part five. three. I see there's also a part. Wait, one, two, three, four, five. There's five at least, yeah. Should we see uh, what Sting's last 90 seconds are? Uh, nah. Well, people can find it out. Okay. Yeah, you search for the Stinger and Super Force, it'll come up. Alright, so to the torch. There's talk that Danny Spivey would be returning to WCW. Oh, you think? This contradicts supposed contract Spivey, ha Spivey has with Herb Abrams' UWF, <laughs> which both Herb and people from WCW confirmed to actually exist. If Sid's in war games, look for Spivey to challenge Lex Luger for the U.S. title in the February pay-per-view. Which he did. And he did. That's what happens. So good job by way. So there you go. Torch is starting to turn a corner around this time. Yeah. 
Owen Hart scheduled to start on January 11th at the Meadowlands against Rip Rogers, which could be a great match. This Rip's the best job in the promotion, according to Dave. I don't think he works Meadowlands because I don't think he's into a little later, but he does come in. He does work well with Rip Rogers. Um, mm-hmm. Also because they've worked together before. Or actually, have they? Yes. Was Did they overlap in Stampede? Stampede, yeah. They did overlap. Okay. All right. Owen's first match in the company is not until March. That's what I thought. Yeah. March 5th in Marietta. Teaming with Brad Arms, no, Ricky Morton to beat Greg Sawyer and Joey Maddox. Um, so yes, we, we had an Owen Hart Ricky Morton tag team, folks. Okay. So mm. looking at results on history of WWE. New Year's Day in Greensboro, Brad Armstrong is listed as a sub for Owen Hart beating Minotaur Steve DeSalvo. But that's the only thing that he's actually listed as being a, substituted for. Yeah, and then February 26th, he's backstage at Center Stage. Then he uh, debuts at the Cobb County Civic Center on March 5th. Which is what I just said. No, well, you didn't say Cobb County Civic Center. Uh, I did not say Marietta, Joe. I I heard Marietta. I didn't Thank hear you. you say Marietta. Okay. Again. All right. All right. Matt Watts. Jim Hurd left on December 18th for Japan on business for WCW. We're hearing plenty of optimism over the Tokyo Dome show. Yeah, because they're going to have a Tokyo Dome show in March. Yep. Super show. And then they'll air it later that year. Yep. All right. Matt Watts continues. WCW events coordinators were reshuffled last week. Gordon Soley and Ron Ames are no longer handling promotions. David Crockett has been assigned to the West Coast with Russell Wars Phoenix location apparently one of David's spots. Chip Burnham's being shifted to the Carolinas from his Georgia slot. Hmm. Hmm. So David Crockett was the Phoenix hookup. That's interesting. So Don Glass is gone by this point, right? Obviously. T- I guess by the time they have the regional event coordinators... In 90, he's gone. He's, he's not he's gone. Probably gone. Oh, yeah, Oli's in charge. Well, Oli wouldn't be in but charge that's when, that. when Ron, Ron West and all them are brought in when Oli takes over as the event coordinators. It was, because Oli needs his people. Yeah. It was like Ron West for core, southeastern places for WCW. Rob Russon was Florida and maybe Midwest? No, no, Gordon Soli was Florida. Rob Russon was, I guess Rob Russon was Midwest. Yeah. And I think that was it. And then, you know, got shuffled as the year went on. Rob Brusson didn't last very long. Um, I guess this is an improvement to have people who theoretically know their regions overseen by someone in Atlanta. Uh, Yeah. Also, uh, doubling back a little, I don't think Riff Rogers is even on the Meadowland show at all. No. Although... I <laughs> He may have been subbed for because the opener is the Zeman uh, beating the Black Angel. Either of you want to guess who that is under the mask? Mm. I'm, I'm looking, so. Jose Luis Rivera. Well, how about that? In hey, got to get that payday. Yeah. All right, Jim Ross criticized Titans cage match rules through the door or over the top on the WPIX show. We saw about how the cage match at the Meadowlands and how the match must end in a pin. And now he felt cage match rules where you have to climb or leave the cage don't make any sense. Well, he's not he's not wrong in that. No, <laughs> no. It, well, it it worked for Bruno the way that Bruno worked the gimmick. 
because of the Must whole Bruno is sort of honorable Bruno, you know, that whole thing. Bruno, Bruno will beat the guy within an inch of his life. And then he shows mercy and calmly walks out the door. Outside of that context, it's always sucked. There's only been one good escape the cage over the top cage match involved Brett and Owen. Yep. Who deliberately worked it a certain way because they're like, this format sucks. <laughs> yeah. Like, literally. It's the same it was... with... Go ahead. I was about to say, it's the same. It's like that format sucks, much like the strap match where you touch corner sucks as a rule. But they were like, uh, you know, Brett talks about in the bunk. It's like, well, we can't do false finishes the usual way. So, okay, let's try to do as many athletic, dramatic near escapes as we can. So it, and it, you know, I, I don't know if it's my favorite WWF cage match of the post Bruno escape era, but it's really good. And I, I think I appreciate it more now knowing what Brett and Owen were trying to do than I used to. I was about to say, it's probably the best blue bar cage match. Uh, probably. I, uh, the only other thing I can think of, I mean, the only other two, I guess, I can think of that compare Hogan Boss Man. Yeah. And what was the other one I was about to say? It was something else in the 90s, I think. Um, what Piper. Oh, Piper Root is quite good. No, there was one other I was thinking. Uh, I mean, Savage DiBiase is very good. Uh, what was I thinking of? Steiner's Money, Inc. is surprisingly really good. Something I'm forgetting. Oh, now I remember. Uh, Brett Yoko. Ah. The house show and Coliseum video matches are very, okay, yeah. very good. So they, they, there are matches that are enjoyable, but there's no, you know, blow away a legendary cage match the way you'd think of it. You know, oh, and other stuff too. Well, well. Okay, Chris, you'd remember this better than me. Are the tags in the mid-80s, like the ones with Adonis and Orndorff and Savage and Bruno and all those, Tito and all those people mixed up in different feuds, are those pinfall or are those escape? Um, escape. Okay. Escape those tags day. are really good, too, especially the Bruno and Tito versus Savage and Adonis one. That's one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. All right, um... The fact that Lawrence Taylor be part of the January Lift Meadowlands show was mentioned on December 17th in the New York Post Ghost New York Post Gossip column. This is getting into base and mainstream pub in the New York area, but as of last word we've heard, the advance has nothing to brag about. So if the thing is if somehow this is the Giants most likely play Chicago, or Chicago loses the first round, whoever beats them, Green Bay, at the Meadowlands a few days later for some sort of controversy to be created. When WF had the football players in the battle role at WrestleMania 2, there was a big controversy because some teams wouldn't allow their players to participate with insurance forms, and Dallas Cowboys wouldn't let Too Tall Jones in no matter what, and he had to stand outside the ring. Controversy over it in the last week will lead to a lot of mainstream publicity, which may sell tickets. Either way, this would have been a lot more effective if there were some hot selling ticket uh, hot ticket selling items and a big spectacular, and this tailored thing was the garnish. To rely on it for the bulk of your drawing power may be asking too much. And they push that a lot, actually. Yeah, well, definitely well, on, on the New York television, they did. And this, well, it, even and this, say, I think, was right because the Giants were on well, the way to the Super Bowl, and they were the be best team in the NFL. Them and Buffalo were the best teams in the NFL, and they're on their way. I mean, so yeah. you couldn't have picked a better time for this. Well, I was about to say, and even more than the New York show, they were pushing it on main stuff because you had Heyman and or Paul Lee show up and all this with, you know, and what was it Flair go to um, 
LT's bar? They did that after the show. Oh, okay. That's the party afterwards. Okay. I know it ended up on television, though. Yeah, that's the party after the show. But, uh, but absolutely, yeah. I mean, it was a, uh, it was a big deal in the New York market. But Dave's right, though. I mean, that it needs to be the garnish. It doesn't need to be the main thing you're relying on because you're relying on something that's not a regular in your promotion. Yeah. So, LT can draw, but he can't draw the whole house. No. All right. Um, Matt Watch has the, the December 17th issue of Advertising Age featured a full-page color ad with 11 TV screens proclaiming three letters of number one in cable television. TBS. Braves Baseball, Andy Griffith Show, and countless other Turner program staples are pictured except for World Championship Wrestling. WCW, everybody. I'm sorry, TBS, everybody. Well, I mean... They they weren't fans of having them, nope. you know, uh, uh, you know, in the group, uh, nope. obviously, and uh, they weren't going to put them out there in the forefront. I'm just you. right now thinking of other shows on top of Braves baseball and Andy Griffith show that they put up above them in the pecking order when they thought of this. Oh, probably um, they probably had Looney Tunes. Yeah, it's like well, let's sense. see. Do we put on Learning the Ropes? No, that's already happened. Uh, Beastmaster. We show Beastmaster a lot. Can we put Beastmaster? Oh, no, it shows. I went down. I don't think they put actual movies on there. So, I mean, let me see what was airing on TBS at this time as a regular deal. Let me see here. The Leave of the Beaver sequel. So, Andy Griffith, Atlanta. All right. So let me see here. All right. So, all right. So here, here's TBS. This is a Saturday. That college football. Oh, oh, Monsters, Beverly Hillbillies, Andy Griffith, Happy Days. Yeah. All right. Um. So that would be airing on like Saturday. Night Tracks. Yeah. Play Night Tracks a lot. I know that. Um, and of course they had their movies too. They played a lot of so. Yes, but I say there wasn't, and they, and they probably had like they probably had the NBA. They had their sports entities: the NBA, SEC football, um, the Goodwill Games, the Olympic type stuff that they did. Yes, because so, yeah. Ted wanted to bring the world together via a Olympics knockoff that contained everything. So yeah, that would be probably what was in the uh, in in the screens. If it's eleven screens, it had to be what was taking up most of it. So, but anyway, they're not going to uh, promote WCW no matter what because no, it's the same. So no, we don't want to be connected to that wrestling. Yeah, no. go ahead, Vix. As I say, unfortunately, uh, it does not look like ad, at least in a form that would have the scans. Their ad age is not online, so we don't have a way to look at this ad. It doesn't look like. Oh. And I couldn't find um, it anywhere else, unfortunately. Whatever. Well, let's end this show with a Christmas poem, shall we? Oh, from who? Well, I'll read the poem and then tell you who wrote it. Uh, well, you're yeah, you're, well, you're, you're yeah. seeing it, but Dave has it. It's at the a guessing game, y'all. Play it at Dave, home. Dave has it at the beginning, but I'm going to wait to the end. Yes. This is called The Grinch That Stole Wrestling. 
Twas the night for Christmas, two years after the buy, and instead the business will bring a tear to your eye. We're changing the scripts, the New York Times quote had read. All the secrets were out, and pro wrestling was dead. All the grandiose visions of life's glory and fame, of million-dollar pro wrestling achieving national acclaim, had been supplanted instead by what the word, but by what the corporate world had borne, a farce of pro wrestling deserving only of scorn. Oh, at first they had tried, they had tried very hard, but they hired a VP who had little regard for the business to which so many others were committed. He knew not the first thing, but he would never admit it. When suddenly from the office there was such a big fight, they sent James E. Barnett to help out if he might. He returned with a pale face and a trembling hand. Yet another of our bookers had promptly been canned. We'll depend on the champ, the few faithful did think. Rick Flair has saved many promotions from a sea of red ink. Away to Charlotte, they went with anticipation, knowing Flair could light fires under the whole wrestling nation. But the brains in Atlanta had closed the mine of gold. Who wants to see Flair? He's 10 years too old. Then what strange sight did our shocked eyes meet? But Jim heard himself, his face red as a beat. With contracts in hand, given out to unknowns, we knew in a moment all our hopes had just flown. And he ranted and raged, and he called out these names. On Funk, on Steamboat, on Warriors and Flair, on Midnight, on Cornet, get the hell out of there. He must step aside for these faces that are new. We'll draw 20 million with this muscle head steer. The last clash ratings proved, believe you and me, we can sell this green talent if the show is for free. As rain clouds dry up in the hot desert sky, the attendance dwindled. TV ratings began to die. TBS didn't sit still. No, they planned their attack. No blood, no violence. That'll get these crowds back. And even though Watts was just a phone call away, they couldn't have that. Why he just get in the way? Because after all, as part of his deal, he tried to make the fans think. Wrestling matches are real. So into their clouded minds, another sorry notion did fly. We'll make even sillier shows. That way all the kids will buy. So action, the fans continued the crave. Up north, it seemed, Vince had dug a similar grave. When that cranky old herd found a foolproof new plan, he hired Moldy Ole, wrestling's grumpy old man. Morale dropped lower. Old cronies were brought in. Him went the old hand. It seemed no one could win. Whatever knack had been had way back when, by only for booking, had left him by then. The best that could be done by that sarcastic old rat was a lean heel who pulled rabbits out of his scorpion hat. Anyone want to draw? Chip Burnham's trademark line was reduced to, here's 20 and a pitiful whine. The ship sank slowly with all hands on board. Nero heard fiddled and Petrick the board. The great potential of this venture slipped away like grains of sand, butchered by alleged businessmen who couldn't find their ass with both hands. And then the murder was finished at last of this business which boomed in a not-too-distant past. 
Every fan knew the words. Kayfay, Mark and Moore. A few blamed the sheets. The promoters told millions more. But what of Jim Hurd? You ask with a shout. Couldn't Petrick or Turner force the old Grinch on out? Sad to say, the world of corporate affairs seems to guarantee he'll always be there. So raising his fists, cursing under his breath, and condemning Dave Meltzer to a horrible death, he was heard to exclaim as he flew to St. Louis, I should have stuck with pizza. Wrestling? Oh, fooey. Signed, James E. Cornette. This poem was courtesy of the Jim Cornette Christmas Card Collection, available at all stores that stop the latest hot Coliseum videotape, Warlord's Five Star Matches. He's enjoying having time off for the first time in a long time. <laughs> I was about to say, I think I felt Christmas cheer or heartburn. I can't tell. Um, yeah, Merry Christmas. Well, he's only, he's only just recovering from the terrible heartburn. Uh, at this time. No, seriously. Like, I don't know if that's where you were going with this. Like, he quit the booking committee because he had a heart attack scare that turned out to be terrible, stress-induced heartburn. Oh. Considering that pile, yeah, I could see it too. Yes, and also that that was the beginning of him not drinking caffeine and drink, only drinking Sprite. Carbonated beverages, that one thing that we all know is really good for heartburn? Anyway, ah, I mean, to be fair, when I was a child and I was having an upset stomach or heartburn or anything, my mom would hand me like ginger ale or Sprite. Well, the ginger so. ale is for the ginger, not the carbonation. I don't know why she was handing me Sprite or Seven Ups too. So well, I think it's an old something. Maybe, but he's enjoying himself, and that's nice. Um, of course, when Dusty comes in, Dusty calls him. And because Hurd was still there, but he wanted to, he didn't want to like feel like he was turning down Dusty. He just said that he was too far into, I believe, to setting up Smoky Mountain already. And it, it didn't make sense. And that's how he turned down Dusty. And uh, the, okay, the wreath sent to WCW was in 91, right? Yeah. After the fly, yes, after the flare stuff happens. The, uh, yes. Sorry about the death of, well, excuse me, our condolences on the death of your wrestling promotion. I believe yes. that's what it said. But interesting stuff here. Yeah, I w I'd love to know more about different wrestling Christmas cards. Like, I know he had his for a few years. Of course, Scott Hudson and Steve Prezak had theirs that we actually have copies of. Um, is there anyone else that was, like, famous for it? Uh, no, no, I haven't heard any. Okay. It's probably something talked about in hushed tones and hope and everyone hoping that the statute of limitations have run out. Yeah. Do you think that Cornette had the ho 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 racket next to him as he wrote this? I would hope. Yes. You would ho ho hope? I would ho ho hope. Who well, knows? I guess that's it for World Championship Wrestling in this this show. And the yeah. show, yes. So, uh Joe, we appreciate you uh Becoming one of our patrons and putting down the money to be on the show. So, uh, plug away with anything you want to plug. Um, okay. I've got a few things. I would plug my Twitter at parapunk underscore 2020, but don't follow me. I'm terrible. What I will, however, plug is the following things I've been asked by several nice people to plug. Uh, Total Wrestling Entertainment Chattanooga, TWE Chattanooga. 
Check VOD out on IWTV. We also got a show coming up on 122.22. That'll be our next show at the building. Come see the fighting granny in person. Yeah. Action wrestling. Always check it out on the VOD on IWTV. There's um, one of the many camera people mm-hmm. that work for our dear close personal friend, Matt Griffin. Um, Southeast first, by the way, also at the action building, 121-22. Come see TWE will be represented. Southern Underground Pro will be represented. Action Wrestling will be represented. Just recently uh, dropped will be Southern Honor, also represented. And on VOD, because by the time this release, the show of already passed, KOBK sold out at the beautiful TWE arena. Check the VOD. The fighting granny may punch someone. I have no clue. Hopefully, I'm not nearby holding the camera. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. Check all that stuff out on IBTV. So, there you go. All right. Next week on Between the Sheets, this uh, Christmas week as we record, and we're going to go back to the 80s, and we go back to 1986, where we'll wow. be discussing it just be me and you. This is Christmas week. I'm not trying to even ask for you to be guest to be on. Just saying, yeah. But WWF, we have uh, an update on Dynamite Kid and, his, and what's going on there with his injury. Andre the Giant, what's the word with that? Plus, WWF making big moves in television. We'll be talking more about that in the major markets. Plus, we'll go through the Christmas week house shows and some clips, interesting clips, including Andre the Giant and Snake Pit. And uh, one of his last babyface appearances on television, so we'll have that. Um, we got all the Christmas week stuff from all the the territories. I mean, you name it, they all had shows. World class. Well, that's going to be an interesting discussion. We got clips from uh, UWF to talk about. We got new uh, talent in Memphis, plus Jared all the time in Richview is getting, starting to get going hot and heavy. We got news on Continental changing uh, their home base. We got some Florida stuff to talk about. That's comings and goings there and why that's happening. We got some stuff international. We got some Japanese awards to talk about on next week's show. Gong's Awards for 1986. We'll talk about that. Plus, uh, is Kira Maeda becoming a softie in New Japan? We'll have that. And we got the NWA, Jim Crow Promotions, in fact, where we'll talk about uh, the impending breakup of the Four Horsemen and what's really going on with Jim Crockett Promotions in the state of Florida. All that more next week on Between the Sheets. And actually, the show's notes for that show is actually two pages longer than the show's this week. Wow. <laughs> a lot of Got results. Lucky. A lot of a lot of results. Well. A lot of results. So there you go. But anyway, all right, Joe, we appreciate you uh, being on with us, and uh, anytime you're welcome. Uh, all right. Whenever you, whenever you have an idea for a show, let us know, and uh, we'll we'll knock it out. All so, right, my man. Bix, thank you as always. You're the rock of the show. This is Chris and so long from the Peach State of Georgia.
Hello, everyone. Welcome to Between the Sheets, Patreon special, episode number 63. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, it's time for part two of our series on John Collins' Main Event Championship Wrestling. And if you thought the first one was wild and crazy, you ain't heard nothing yet. Oh, the first half is nothing compared to this. <laughs> no, it is not. So, on that note, let's get to our guest on this show, our co-host, uh, King Kingsport, Bo James, our dear friend. And, Bo, you were telling us off the air an interesting little uh, story about the first show compared to some of your other appearances on this show. So, uh, tell everybody what you were telling us. Out of all the other great wrestlers and great figures and characters that we have talked about, on my how many years now of being on this show, I've got more personal messages and feedback over this nut than anybody else that we've <laughs> talked about. We've done a lot of audio, and I think because yeah. I, think, I think you've been on you know for about five years now, maybe four at the least on shows, very very many shows, both Patreon and regular show, and. Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, and I was saying, like I said, we ain't got to the the really spicy stuff yet. So was this feedback from people in the business, fans, or both? Nobody in the business. All oh. listeners of Between the Sheets. Wow. Yeah. You know, many of them started with, I've listened to you on with Chris and Bix for many years. This is the craziest stuff I've ever heard. <laughs> And yeah, folks, you're just hearing about it. You didn't live it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, indeed. Because we've not we've not got to death threats <laughs> and mega mass homicide and all this other <laughs> stuff that was being thrown around on phone calls and <laughs> messages and Well, I'm uh, sure we'll get I'll to it later your... then. So wait a second, is the orid had Tracy already been using the term ultra mega mass homicide, or does it first come to life during that? Oh, he he's been using that as long as I've known him since 1989. Okay. He I, 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 he said it on promos. He said it on I've heard him saying in promos, you know, as a heel. So gotcha. yeah, even though it didn't pick up steam as a thing with fans until about a year after this, after the IWA thing with Eaton. Yeah. All right, well, we ended uh, the first show with the second week of August, and they had their debut show at the ECW Arena, and we had all the hoopla surrounding that. So if you haven't listened to that yet, you better listen to that, because you need to listen to that before you listen to this, actually. So you can get it. You you probably need to take notes as you go along listing just so you can keep (laughs) it all straight. (laughs) Yeah, exactly, because there's a lot of... A lot of lies being told by John Collins to, uh, throughout that show that he can't get, keep straight, much less us. So um, let's continue where we left off. All right. One, uh, one, WrestlingClassics.com message board. Crimson Mask, longtime poster there. Uh, subject verbatim transcript of AOL IM conversation with apparently John Collins. Okay, sports fans, I just got enlisted. I am a brother from John Collins. Here it is in full, unedited and unabridged. Okay, who wants to be who here? You're John Collins. Okay. We are not a me company. We are a we company. 
Excuse me? We have to be a we company for everything to work out right. If not, we won't survive and won't be able to last long. Okay, I agree, but what is all this apropos of? What do you mean? What brings you to be IMing me? I heard you've been posting stuff about me and my company on a message board called WrestlingClassics.com. Okay, yes, I have. The whole thing, frankly, sounded screwed to me from the word go. Why is that? Are you jealous? No, 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 wait, these are a few columns in a row. Sorry. Are you jealous you're not working for MECW? I heard you've been calling us a cow and saying stuff like moo-moo. Jealous? Uh, no, not at all. Seen to me, with all the plans to, you were all jumping the gun big time on your first announcement, and Terry Taylor was the one who called it me-cow. You don't want to see MECW to survive, do you? You just like seeing one promotion, and that is the WWF, correct? It's people like yourself who want to see the business and have no competition. What? It's people like yourself who want to see the business and have no competition. I would love to see you survive. I would love to see a viable alternative. Your thing didn't sound viable to me from the jump. I would love to see the boys be able to get on the plane so their tickets paid if that's what they were promised. I dislike this Monopoly crap as much as anyone. Maybe you are the one canceling the flights. Who is this, Indie Fan? Uh, just for the record, Indie Fan was the guy who was posting, like, all the MECW stuff on Wrestling Classics and is, you know, a, one of the reasons we were able to find so much of this stuff. Because yeah. Wrestling Classics has so much of their archive saved. Yeah. So anyway, um, who is that? Either you're Indie Fan ribbing me or you're a raving paranoiac. I'm canceling the flights. Yeah, you and Heyman. Pal, I've never met Paulie in my life. Sure, that's what they all say. Well, it was nice talking to you. Remember the name, MECW. You need help. We will be around for the next five to ten years, if not longer. I hope so, whether you believe that or not. Heck, we might even change... R-A-R-E, I haven't pointed out the spelling stuff before, but that one I had to, name to something else. But we will still be around. Bye-bye. Okay. I got to eat dinner now. One last time. Indy? This is you, right? Uh, no. Last time I checked, my name is John Collins. Okay. Then check this out. I am not canceling your flights. Sure, whatever you say. Yeah, that is what I say. What the fuck was that? What the fuck? (laughs) I love how, especially going through all this stuff, it's very obvious that's really him. Which is sad. That's really sad. (laughs) Jesus Christ. This This is the strongest proof we've seen so far that he is going through some mental illness issues. Bo, what do you think about all this? I want to get your take on this. (laughs) He can't shut up. He has to have somebody to talk to and somebody to tell how great he is and what he's going to do. And he just wants somebody to listen to him. Somebody. When you're going after fans on message boards, then 
you're almost at the bottom. Oh, my goodness. This would be sad even for a low-level indie, then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Amazing. And it just is going to get better. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just $5 per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.